Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back uh, doing a, a podcast about a bunch of different things. The I'll kind of break them down, I guess. We're going to talk about Ben Shapiro was here in Madison two nights ago. Was that last night or two nights? Two nights ago at the UW, yeah. and we went to see him, and... I mean, we'll just talk about that. What do we think about Ben? What did we think about the questions being asked by the UW students? Um, did we feel safe? Did we feel safe? Did Nick have to pull out his Glock? Um, and then the second thing we're going to be talking about is Rosario Butterfield came on this podcast and said a bunch of stuff that I thought was amazing. It's called Preston Sprinkle, a heretic and a false teacher. It was great. And... Um, and Nick is here to defend Mr. Sprinkles in all of his glory. And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, and then and then we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, so I have a book club with a couple guys, and we read, we read a bunch of different books. But right now we're on the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And there's just some questions I have about that that need to be answered. And then Nick gave a sermon two weeks ago, and he talked about fear in some capacity. And you kind of talk about like not being afraid in some capacity. Mm -hmm. I could kind of forget about like, I remember what you talked about last. It was a forgettable word. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, You talked about fear. I remember what I didn't like. I don't remember what I do like. No, I I, I thought it was a good sermon. I just think that the concept of the fear of the Lord should just be like, we should touch on that because Mm -hmm. I, you know, don't actually think people give good answers to what is the fear of the Lord. Usually you hear, well, it just means you respect God. And then I'm like, well, it says fear, not respect. So just the ancient languages had words for respect that were not fear. Hmm, and those words are not used. Was that your phone that did that? No, it was my computer. That. All right. Know. Well here. Okay. So let's just start with, with Ben Shapiro. Um, and so for people wondering, why are you going to talk about a bunch of different topics instead of do the regular format? What I've found is that when Nick and I kind of just riff and talk about a bunch of different things, it doesn't mean that we're never going to do another topical podcast again. We've got some stuff planned in the future. What, but when we do this, like riff, talk about 50 different things, it gets way more downloads than if we just do a topical one. So yeah. we widen our audience and people want to hear us talk for a long time. So I, I just said, let's talk about yeah. these four things I and see like what happens. I feel like one of those on Lewis's book. Yeah, that was. We were on, I mean, it was a long book. I mean, that's there was a, a lot book. to say about yeah. that book. So I, right. I felt like it's not just us talking long. It's I do want to congratulate you on the guests you had recently, mm-hmm. though. I mean, that right. was a big breakout for us. You had big better breakout. people to talk to than me, which was good. <laughs> yeah. I listened to and very much enjoyed all of those really? podcasts. Yeah. And I did. And I, I did. still can't believe you got Rosario on here. Yeah. I got her phone we, number. We couldn't too. get here offering her thousands of dollars to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, so I got her contact information, email, phone number, and I'm trying to like play it right. Yeah. I don't think she listens to this podcast. So <laughs> I'm trying to play it right because I really want her to come on and talk about a couple other things. I like yeah. two topics I think of is uh, hospitality. Like, what is hospitality? She talks a lot yeah. about that, but I think modern day women on social media have turned hospitality into a, an aesthetic instead of a relational connection, but with another human. So it's just, I think that make that your is, house. A nice that's, space. I think that, that may not be an accurate way to say, it. I do think it's a prophetic way to say it. I do think that that, right. may, that flip 
is a real danger and you can see it start happening. It's happening. Yeah. It hasn't fully happened, yeah, but there's, then there's, there's a lot of posts out there about how to make a certain kind of bread. And I wonder right. if there's a lot of people in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Like with you talking right. about life. And, exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, when my wife did a lot more hospitality, my kids were very little. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people would sit at our counter or they'd be in the kitchen and, we, and she would cook them. Not because that was her place. It was just, she was making dinner for family. Right. Usually it was because I was cutting the lawn or fixing right. something or doing some. Yeah masculinely domained thing mm-hmm. you know well and then the other one i want to talk to you about because her and i were talking about this before we started recording is uh college ministries i mean she does not like college it ministries. did not sound like she's yeah you know i was i was like me- like just as much as me like i was like rosario is like like the grandmother i never had that i always wish i had somebody i just go be they'd be like well, and, i got and, kicked out of crew and, and she'd be like about, let me make you cookies and one, and one of the things you like about her which is i think one of the things you like about me is mm. the italian it's great like you, you were somehow born to be an italian mm. even though you aren't italian no this, i'm irish this sort of bombastic yeah. interrupting yeah well you know when when the, when the irish and italians came to new york where i was where i'm from yeah have you seen the irish so, movie so many so there was a lot of like animus but also mm. By the 1940s, mm-hmm. so many Irish and Italians married each other. Really? So then they because their cultures were, just, had this, they were this kind of similar. Like they yeah. were from very, they knew how to live on no money. Right. They were Catholic. Yeah. They were interrupting cultures. <laughs> they were somewhat violent, yeah. yet also kind of loving and refl- yeah. like they were Dysfunctional like, like they loved that. hard and they yeah. fought hard. Yeah. You know? right. And so alcohol, they're both alcoholic both cultures. A lot of alcohol. Yeah. 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 Different and, alcohols, but yeah, yes. different alcohols. And and the interesting, the Irish um, are are very and and because they're both Catholic, big families. Right. 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 And right. those in and, and those generations, I mean, now the families have disappeared. Right. But did you see the Irishman movie, Scorsese? Mm-hmm. Dude, that is it's four hours or something. Yeah, I, that's why I didn't. I see saw it. Flowers of the Killer Moon. Oh wait, Killers of the <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon, Flowers of the it's it's Killers of the Flower Moon. Did you see that? Mm. Do you know what that's about? Nope. All right. Well, we won't talk about that. But it's a Scorsese movie. It's about this, the, like in the nineteen twenties. I, I did Oklahoma. watch The Departed, and I was done with Scorsese after that movie. Oh, I don't like The Departed. I don't like all of the gore. Yeah. Is that why you were done with it? I just think it's kind of like screw you. I'm going to kill the everybody. And like, like, so you don't like Tarantino either. I don't like Tarantino. Not really. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, it's not like I'm like I don't get what they're doing. Like, oh yeah, aren't you yeah, so like right. yeah? So there's all these happy endings, and you're going to make sure there aren't any. Like, did you, I get it. It's hilarious. Did but you watch Silence? I haven't. No. That's really good. That's my second favorite movie ever. Yeah, I actually heard that was a really well. It's really movie. good. And and then Silence, and then Irishman, and then this new one he did are all really good. Not a bunch of killing, and. Spielberg's The Fablemans, that one is really good and it's super dysfunctional. It's about his childhood. Spielberg's mm-hmm. childhood is really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so so Shapiro, Ben Shapiro was at the UW and he did like a, an hour long thing and it was like free to get in and he did. Was a it 15. only an hour? The whole thing? It was an hour. It was one hour. I mean, it went quick. Yeah, we stayed. We stood in line longer than we were in there. Yeah, I got there. We I think Andrew and I got there an hour and a half before he mm-hmm. started. Okay. Free event though. All free you event. do is give me your email. Right. Give me your email. Free event. And he was previously the there week. were no fights. No fights. No no shootings. No bombs. No, but at the beginning when the, the chancellor lady came out to like introduce him or whatever and like say that they won't tolerate any uh protests or something, that lady looked miserable. Like she like hated her life as she was introducing Ben Shapiro. She wouldn't mention his name. She kept saying our speaker. Our speaker, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, Though, though the dean did look miserable mm-hmm. and 
like strutted off the stage as mm-hmm. fast as mm-hmm. I think she is her pronouns would go. Yeah, she her. We looked it up. It's a she it is her. She her. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. 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 I am pleased that this is what they they are doing. UW yeah. is doing. I mean, like, but they're basically saying like, not only yeah. do we not you. Like you're not, we're not going to tolerate. We're, mm-hmm. we're literally take you out of here, and they say swiftly. And they like, did do. We're yeah. going to grab you, and you're gone. Sound like they're going to kill him. I mean, that's like how. I mean, we're going to take you out of here swiftly. It definitely like sounded like force was going to be. Used. Yeah. Well, and, there was a bunch of people, officers there. Yeah. So I think that's probably good. I think I they. Re- I think what they realize is if we don't do anything, this is going to continue to be like this. It's mm. going to be out of hand. People will just do this kind of stuff. Mm. If we crack down on it for a year across the country at most universities. Yeah. And we literally drive these people off and we charge them with crimes yeah. and kick them out of the universities and so on. It'll stop. Yeah. For maybe not for a generation, but it'll stop for maybe a decade. For, yeah. Maybe you know? a while. I was interested in seeing. It's just got to be done. And, and, right. and it's the hundreds of thousands of dollars being spent on security. Yeah. Like if right. there is a culture that nothing happens at these things, right. you can have a 10th of the security. And but when you fine. let this stuff get out of hand and now you've got to have 15 mm-hmm. officers and a whole yeah. security company. Then it's it's like a couple hundred thousand dollars of security just to have the event, or yeah. or at least tens of thousands. No, I was uh, Andrew and I were a little nervous. My mom was texting us like, "Be careful, they're going to shoot you and stuff." But that's she does that like when we drive a car, like be careful, yeah. somebody's going to shoot you. So the yeah. so I, I want to know what I mean. I guess what were your thoughts on his fifteen minute dialogue that I, I didn't think it was like his his monologue his like little his monologue thing and yeah. then his and then he did a bunch of Q and A. I, I I thought overall Ben Shapiro was right about everything, but I didn't actually think that the event was like mm-hmm. spectacular. Yeah, I didn't I mean, I, I told Rachel because my whole family went. Like, we took our yeah. ten or eleven year old, and yeah. you got those June. nice seats because do you <laughs> do you like is does Jude need those nice seats or do you? No, just he didn't like, even sit, sit in the handicapped seat. He was sitting next to that kid who asked that question with his mask on, right? Who is with his hood up? Who yeah. didn't want to be known yet? Yeah, yeah. And that guy behaved fine when he wasn't asking this question. Yeah. Really. But like, I think so. Anyway, the speech part. I think was very short. Yeah. He didn't really build an argument. The West. I, I think it's clear that events like this are all about the Q and a. Yeah. And it seems to me that they're all about the, um, the later posting of the Q and a. Yeah. Right. Like, can you get a good YouTube yeah. clip? Yeah. Um, so, and I didn't think there was one. I would be surprised if any of them become viral. Ben Shapiro destroys, destroys so yeah. and so such and such. That, I think when he when he said that thing when he said one of the guys who was asking the questions he he was the most antagonistic one mm-hmm. he kept telling Shapiro what Israel should do mm-hmm. and then he and, and then, then Israel like well should Hamas surrender yeah and then he said well I can't I can't yeah. tell Hamas what to do I'm not in charge of Hamas. I'm not in charge of Hamas and then Shapiro and was, like, was like you're no, also it, not in charge of Israel, Israel. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that might I might get yeah. viral but yeah that's about yeah that yeah that would yeah. cut well yeah that mm-hmm. would do well but the guy was not persuaded by that yeah he was mad yeah so it wasn't as bad as the Oxford Union where there were people basically saying oh my Israel gosh. should be wiped out yeah but it was but there was a lot of there I mean there just was a lot of sympathy for Hamas yeah well I think most of those people would say what they really are sympathizing with are the are the innocent people of Gaza and I think and, and here's the thing I, that I think is worth saying right this is our fault the united, the united states. states is fault because we have participated in sending billions of dollars of humanitarian aid into these places no i know that the, the and no. we did not track where the money went I we know. did not, not make sure it was going to food and water 
to the people of Gaza. Instead, it got laundered as we as we knew it was <laughs> do you into ever, Hamas and Hamas used it to prepare to attack Israel. Do you and like we finance that? Do you ask yourself it's our government's fault? Right, but how how does the government not track that stuff? Do you ever ask yourself that? Like I don't know how, how could that the happened. government track the number of just billions that's, that's of dollars. That's true. That's way too much money to track. It's way too much money. That's true. So so you're in most, so of, these, that in most of these places, how would you do it? Right. Like you would literally have to yeah. send American aid workers to go and into track, Gaza yeah. and they would have to literally watch all the bags mm-hmm. move. And then you'd have to actually track that they stayed with the families. Yeah. You'd have to get the name of every family. Right. And then you have to, because the thing is, is once those families walk away from the distribution site, huh. Hamas can just collect all that crap and sell it. Yeah. Right. right. So right. you'd have to actually like go to those women afterwards and say, okay, you left with right. 112 pounds of lentils. Uh, did you eat them? Huh. Right. And then they would, you have to believe they were telling you the truth. Right. I mean, it would just be an extraordinarily tedious. This is why you can't build up such a large uh, budget. You can't, this is why you can't tax people so much because we can't possibly know where all that money goes. I mean, that's not the only reason. That's one, I mean, of, the that's reasons, one of the reasons so- why so much humanitarian aid is considered toxic by a lot of people who critique it is because you're, you, it, it's just these, they end up being global bribes. Oftentimes yeah. to, to people who are corrupting governments, yeah. like in Africa, a lot of that stuff we want to send into places, it's, yeah. it's getting split and laundered and sent here and there. And like, yeah. so, so anyway, I, I mean, I think that the United States bears as much responsibility here as anybody yeah, because yeah. we, we just blindly say, well, we're going to support. Mm-hmm. Now I say that obviously I don't work in the state department. I don't know all the details of why these things are done, but it just, it obviously money that did was not generated in Gaza. Mm-hmm has been used to do these things in right. Gaza. Yeah. And it seems very evident from the news reporting of liberal news sources yeah. that, it's, that it's very clear that a lot of that was humanitarian aid money. And yeah. I've, I've heard estimates as high as 80% of the money going in for humanitarian aid is being skimmed off for terrorist right. use. And that is just, just completely and utterly unacceptable. I just, I, I, right. there's nothing conscionable about that. No, I agree with that. My, my question is this, how do you, as, as a younger generation, you know, I guess anybody younger than 40 right now is kind of, their whole argument is like Israel is, is not being humanitarian because they're killing civilians. Of course that's yeah. true, but my, th- so there's a mul- multitude of questions that come into my head. Cause I'm like, okay, first off, if you, if somebody punches you in the face and you punch them back in the face, is that justified? Now my answer would be absolutely. It's justified. If you get punched, you can punch somebody else back in the face. Now, I feel like my generation has been able to figure that out with this. If somebody sends missiles into your country and kills a bunch of your civilians, or were they rocket yeah. rockets? Okay, what they would say is somebody punches you in the face and you swing at them, but you hit their little sister. And you shrug your shoulders and be like, that's the cost of fighting. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Right? Don't punch me. That's don't punch me. And nobody's got in that. That's the because, because the, when you swung at that guy, yeah. he actually ducked behind right. his little sister purpose. No, he grabs um, his little sister's and face and up, puts right. her up as a shield. Yeah. And yeah. You, like and a so you punch her yeah. while you're punching yeah. him. Oh man. And so, yeah, what, if I was going to ask Shapiro a question, what I would have asked is mm-hmm. we know most people accept that some collateral damage is part of war. Mm-hmm. If you execute a war against an enemy, when there's any civilians around, some percentage mm-hmm. of civilian death is going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Right. Not, it's not good. And, right. I think and we also know good. that Israel 
doesn't want to kill, doesn't wantonly kill civilians because they yeah. literally could go in and bomb all of Gaza and literally kill everybody. Yeah, they've okay? got. So if they didn't care at all about the ratio, they just kill everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they so they they're not going to kill everybody. Yeah, and trying. we accept that there's some ratio that's acceptable. The mm-hmm. question is, what is it? Yeah. So if Israel goes into Gaza after what Gaza as after what Hamas has done, given that there's all these civilians in Gaza that Hamas is actually forcing to stay there and shooting people if they leave. Yeah. Right, and now you're going to go in and try to sort that out. The ratio is going to be higher than in most cases. Mm-hmm. What is acceptable? Or like, what is the right. principle by which we decide whether or not Israel is, quote, doing a good enough job? Yeah. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what, I don't how you would even you can, verify. You can't create. A, I don't know how you would verify who's who and what's what. No. I mean, if a, if a 12-year-old kid pulls up an AK-47 and you shoot him dead, they're going to take pictures of his dead body after they've taken the AK-47, AK-47 away. Out of there, yeah. Right. Like, I don't even know how you would possibly go about doing right. this. I, so I think this is the part of the problem is this, is this knowledge gap. Is it a knowledge right. gap or, or is it like a willful, willful ignorance? Because I literally cannot imagine being so stupid to look at this situation and be like, we need to call for a ceasefire. And everybody who's saying ceasefire, that drives me nuts because Hamas is not interested in a ceasefire. They wouldn't have sent rockets into Israel if they wanted a ceasefire. Like, that's clear. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, terrorists flying planes into the United States World Trade Centers doesn't send the message, we want ceasefire and peace. It sends the message, we want war. And so that's what they yeah. got. I'm not, I, I don't, yeah. I'm not even sure how you have a ceasefire when one of the units is not like a national combatant unit. Like when they're terrorists, do they even have a central yeah, command? Yeah, is there anybody is, who yeah, can call for weird. a ceasefire yeah. for that side? Mm-hmm. Like there's no evidence yeah, that, that there's that weird. kind of discipline within the ranks. Even. But Ben Shapiro was saying that I'm like really the sure Palestinian that. government is run, is like it, Hamas voted into that. Like is Hamas. They, yeah. As far as so, I know. Yeah. So they are like a, they open Hamas was elected. Yeah. They're elected. Yeah. Right. But they're, they're not, uh, it's not the same as nine 11 in that it's not like, you're not going after a terrorist group. You're going after like a whole right. yeah. governmental structure. Yeah. I guess. So, yeah. I, so I think, I think Shapiro is right that like Israel has the right to defend itself. Hamas should surrender. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens in Gaza on one level mm-hmm. is Hamas's fault. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean there's nothing Israel can do that makes anything there their fault. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, but I think that all you can ask for Israel is that Israel does what it can, mm-hmm. so to speak, to minimize civilian casualties. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's like without, expose themselves to inordinate casualties. Yeah. Cause I mean, they're a country of just a few million people. Yeah. They've got maybe 430,000 or 400, I think it's 460,000 people called up, but they don't have a lot of replacements. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have an unlimited number of men to send to war. Right. Right. And so they can't just go in there and like get people killed. Right. They've got to have a very, very low strategic, yeah. very, very low um, casualty rate. And yeah. otherwise they cannot continue to operate. Israel has one of the highest birth rates. Right. And so their their population is slightly expanding, but yeah. not so that they can yeah. like go through these pro- processes of war. And and the Arab con- surrounding Arab countries have birth rates that are pretty similar to theirs. Yeah. Their populations are slightly expanding as well. So Right. Well, this is the I mean, so this is comes down to the ultimate question that everybody's all the Christians are asking right now. What side should Christians be on? Should they be on mm-hmm. the side of Israel or on the side of Palestine slash Hamas. Now, I, I, I think that there's my, so tell me if I'm, I'll give the answer that I think you're going to give and tell me if this is right, because a lot of people are trying to make like a biblical, like a theological, give theological reasoning for why Christians should be on the side of Israel. And then the other people are trying to give like 
humanitarian, postmodern, nonsensical reasons as Critical to what, theory. Yeah, basically, basically what, why did why to be on the side of Palestine? So I'm not even going to anti-colonialist reasons. Is yeah, I think what they would say. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like really. Really brilliant stuff. Um, the so I'm not even going to discuss that. I, I'm going to. I don't like the argument that America, that Christians in America should be on the side of Israel for any sort of theological reason. For any like that, we have a theological, biblical obligation to be on the side of Israel. I, I don't like that argument. I I would assume you don't like it. I'll make this assumption, but I'll say this: what I would think you would say is. People should be on the side of Israel, not because they're not because it's Israel, but because it's the side because that's the just. They're gonna hear that Sorry. <laughs> because it's the just and good and right thing. Like it's the right thing to do in this particular situation. It's 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 as Christians yeah. we're pursuing justice, and in this particular situation, Israel had an injustice uh, perpetrated perpetrated against them, right. and we should be on the side of justice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's our, I, so I think that that's our, should be a provisional position. Yeah. So I think we should say, yeah, we're going to, we want to watch our ally mm-hmm. and see how they prosecute their offensive right. actions. And we're not just give writing a moral blank check and yeah. saying, do whatever you want. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't like covering Israel with the same moral idea of that. Everything that happened in world war two is morally right. That because we mm. bombed Dresden, for example, and killed lots of civilians, that therefore, look, if Israel kills a bunch of civilians, that's just, that's just what has to happen. Mm-hmm. I do think it shows a precedent that like in in executing wars in which large mm. gr- ethnic groups and national groups were fundamentally opposed and couldn't live in peace together. Yeah. That sometimes that in order to sort that out, like massive casualties ended up happening because you couldn't just yeah. make everybody get along. They didn't get along. Right. And I think Puritans the, and Anglican. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the things that people are struggling with in the Middle East is in America, there's this belief that everybody can just mix. Mm-hmm. That if you have a, a reasonably functioning country, everybody just mixes and it's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's like American privilege or something. That's yeah. like what's going on here because they so think they, that's They just think true. that that can be true of Israel. Yeah. They're like, well, I mean, why can't that be true mm-hmm. of Israel? Why can't everybody just mix? Right. I mean, people are different, but that's diversity. Diversity is our strength, right? right, right. And it's like, well, it's a melting pot. Yeah, Everywhere it, should be a melting pot. Right. Yeah. And you're like, well, I mean, yeah, ideally right. that would be great, but there are very, very different value systems. Some of those include violence. And sometimes right. those value systems are for 200 years, people saying we should kill all of the people in this other group. Mm-hmm. And I want to just make clear to people that the, um, America as the the melting pot experiment, like it's one, it's still an experiment. Like the first several. Right, it's not working right now. Right. Like the first several, yeah. I guess the first hundred years, like where it was slavery. So it wasn't like. Yes. Like we didn't have. Well, and 95% of Americans claimed to be Christians. Yeah. So even right. though they weren't all biblically Christian. Right. We had a very yeah. cohesive culture. Yeah. Right. Now it wasn't right. all, it was like, and I'm not saying that like it was all done well. Right. But like there was right. something to appeal to, like even during the civil rights movement, yeah. like, like um, Martin Luther King had no problem finding material yeah, by which right. to excoriate white, white <laughs> right. um, culture right. when it was being racist because mm. he had a Bible. Yeah. And all of the white people had Bibles. Yeah. And he was like, look at this, buddy. And yeah, it was, right. I mean, it was like right. undeniable. He was using yeah. out, we had shared sources. Mm-hmm. Even people who rejected that kind of civil rights action, like W.E. Du Bois, mm-hmm. Du Bois was in some ways like a, a black elitist. He still quoted Latin. <laughs> he would quote Ovid and Horace mm-hmm. and like these Latins, like all these, because he still, his education as a black man in America, even breaking away from white Anglo Saxonism, was still a white Anglo Saxon, like, 
historically Western curriculum. Yeah. And he said he thought people should learn all that stuff. He just said we should learn all kinds of more stuff too. I mean, do just we, add to I mean, do we, we can, we can read black history. We can, but right. he's like, but I think he thought reading some of the greats of Western civilization was part of what made him educated. Yeah. And I don't think he just ever despised that. Right. I can't find right. a text that he's written. Well, and, did. and the, there's a truth to the fact that right, right now it doesn't look like the experiment's going very well. And there's a no. lot of tension, racial tension. No, our country is coming apart right now. Fall, yeah. It is falling apart. Now that I don't know. Now, if, if the, that's if the more, country can get rid of, Right. One of the two polls, like if the liberals yeah. or progressives can get rid of all the conservatives yeah. or shut them all up enough, then maybe they can have a new hegemony. But, but right it's now, not falling apart because of because of cultural differences. It's falling apart because of political ideologies that because of ideological differences. Yeah, but which the, I, I, think, I know those stem from. You know how cultural. people how they say that like when you're 15 you get cancer. It's it's oftentimes not because your body just made cancer. It's because your immune system couldn't hold it back anymore 50 or 15 50 like when you oh, as 50. you get older right like yeah, your body yeah. has cancer in it. like my yeah. body has cancer in it yeah, sure. but right now yeah. my immune system is yeah. finding seeking and destroying all these cancer yeah. cells so i don't quote have cancer mm -hmm. right like when america had a shared moral vision yeah a shared religious vision mm -hmm. right and a shared culture yeah right anglo-saxon enlightenment judeo-christian mm -hmm. right that kind of dynamic that even when it was like hypocritical nominal like mm -hmm. there, there was so much wrong with it yeah but it but it existed there yeah. was a north star mm -hmm. if you took out your compass it there the pin swung around to mm -hmm. the end yeah. you kind you sort of knew like even people even like teenagers who fornicated in the back of cars still paid some lip service to chastity and marriage mm -hmm. and families yeah. and so on and in in certain norms and cultures right as those cultures are torn down on the mostly on the left since the 1960s, but now a good bit on the right. Yeah, additionally, totally, totally. When as you hear these people going, what about our norms? What about our norms? And yeah. they sound like these old fuddy duddies yeah. and nobody has any idea that they're like totally right. Mm. That, mm. that like there is, I mean, this is why people called the police, the thin blue line and the army, the thin red line, that the line mm. between chaos and civilization is real thin. Yeah. And a line of men, usually men, who are endangering their lives stand on that line to keep us from chaos. Right. And that thin end line of people is as endangered as the norms are. Yeah. And when you don't have clear norms, you just don't have anything. Right. And the, and I think the 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 point is that is that in, in Israel, Israel and, and Palestine, right. Arabs and Jews together right. have very few real norms. Right. The only norms that they that they so quote had right. were the norms of liberalism. But liberalism is fraying everywhere. And as Patrick Janine says, it's failed. Right. Liberalism failed. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, right. Did you so listen to the one I did with him? I haven't yet. No. Yeah. But, but, it, but to the extent good. to which Janine is right. And mm -hmm. remember, his book was put out by President Obama as well as a bunch of people yeah. on the right and as like one of the best readings. Obama in the book. Yeah. 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 But Obama was like, yep, I read it. Great yeah. book. You know, Cornell West yeah. was one of them too. Right. Yeah. And I think West understands that, that yeah. like for, and, and now I think West, sees it from a critical perspective, like mm -hmm. that liberalism is a, a, is a, what a jargon, um, dialect of white supremacy. Like there's a, ver there's a <laughs> yeah, version okay. of, there's a version yes. of liberalism where the people in charge talk about how open they are yeah. while they control everything. Yeah. And you think that's what Cornell West is kind of like, I would see, I, and, I, and I'm not sure Cornell, Cornell West would say that that's a function of white, mm. of whiteness. But he might say of, of elitism, and so and so he would maybe his argument in the progressive aisle would be, this is actually an archaic mode of 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 philosophy. Like Liber liberalism is archaic say, because it produces the what this dynamic of white, uh, like that th that we need to evolve out of this liberal 
philosophy into something. I don't know what the next my step assumption, is. My assumption is that West would say something like, liberalism is like Christianity. If we mm. did it, it would be great. Oh. But what it really is, is a means by which powerful people tell themselves yeah. that they're good yeah. and still extract yeah. their wealth from people who are not yeah. as well off. Well, okay, I can say this because <laughs> because actually we got the go-ahead last week, but I'm, I'm going to start putting together. So Deneen kind of gave us the go ahead to like, we're going to create a promo and try to raise a million dollars to turn his book into a documentary. And I'm going to be director, executive producer. Okay. Uh, and so I've been doing a lot of research on this mm-hmm. stuff and I, and I've been trying to figure out one, what, what do I believe? But two, wh- what does this all mean? And the thing that I, I learned in, in doing some more research is that I guess philosophically, there's two versions of the word liberty. Like there's positive liberty and negative liberty. And positive Mm -hmm. liberty is a pursuit, is the freedom to pursue virue, generally Mm -hmm. speaking. And negative liberty is the the freedom to pursue whatever I want, whenever I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with in parentheses, without harming somebody else. Without harming anybody else, which is a super vague And Deneen says basically what we do nowadays is we just all argue about what that means. What What it means to harm. uh, Yeah, what what does it mean to harm somebody? So so what I recognize was that like, as I'm trying to like storyline... And what it turns out, progressive... Before before progressives were progressives, they were liberals, and they said nothing I do hurts anybody. Right. And then... They woke up to their critical theory and they were like, oh, everything everybody does hurts everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And once they realized everything everybody does hurts everyone. Yeah. Because everything everybody does in a global economy does affect everyone. Right. And they're recognizing some fact of sin nature in that everything everybody does does hurt people. Right. So so when when conservatives said, hey, I don't think gay marriage is a good idea. Mm -hmm. They were like, that hurts me. Because what you're doing is you're influencing culture against me. Right. And then when we had drag queen story hours yeah. and conservatives right. were like doing sexually inappropriate things in right. front of kids hurts them. You can't do that. Right. And they're like, well, wait, and they were like, wait a second. That's all the same logic. Hmm. Right. Like well, all the things we do affect each other. Yeah. When we affect each other, it's affecting each other for good or ill. Yeah. If you take away people's personal responsibility mm-hmm. as a wall towards the outer thing. Right. So, so like Thomas Jefferson was like, no, no. What that means is if it picks my pocket or breaks my leg, that is, it directly takes away the opportunities for my yeah. well-being and my pursuit of happiness. Huh. Like I can't get a job. That's what Jefferson said. Yeah. The, the famous quote from Jefferson is something that picks my pocket or breaks my leg. Well, So as I'm like, re- so it's, it's, it's like directly right. steals from me or directly harms me. I'm trying to find a way to, to depict the difference between positive and negative liber, liber, liberty mm-hmm. in whatever this documentary. And I'm trying to think about like, because people need to recognize that when we say because li- liberalism comes from the word liberty, yeah. well, you could definitely get that from the Acton yeah. folks. The Acton folks have always been really good at. This. Well, my my question, well, because the way that I'm, even though you said Janine to- is not a huge fan of the Acton folks, <laughs> at least before we record, I was trying to like connect with him. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I went to Acton, and he was like disgusted with that. I would say Ugh. that. I, yeah, he does not like Acton. Yeah. Um, well, because Acton does believe in liberalism. Well, he essentially did, yes, yeah. and he like. He's not like a huge capitalism guy either. Mm-hmm. And so is he Catholic? He's hardcore it's Catholic. Very Catholic, yeah. Very Catholic. Like is, is he integralist? Uh what does that mean? Like Inter- we should integrate Catholicism because we have to have yes, something. That's what post liberalism is. Yeah. That was what his new book Regime Change was. So every all of the liberals right. loved why liberalism failed. Yeah, that's, that's a fun thought experiment. Then he <laughs> did a regime change where he's, he's like, it's like time for us all to be Catholic. And then they're all like, We hate Deneen, you know. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm, I was trying to find a way to depict this. Well, like, that's the thing. You, historic... you do have to have a regime. That's the whole point of yeah. 
liberalism yeah. failing. Which is why I'm kind of like, I, I agree with, with his diagnosis and I might even agree with his solution as long as it's just not. No, but I asked him in the podcast, I was like, okay, so is your, is your critique of liberalism the same critique that your, your critique of like modern American liberalism, the same critique? Would you make that critique about Protestantism as well? And of course his answer was yes. And so like. Because Protestantism if, doesn't have a mechanism for centralization. Exactly. And I really, really, really resonate with that because uh-huh. it drives me crazy no that there's way too many people. Right. There's no Pope. But well, the Pope th- could shut is. you up as well as anybody else. Yeah. Well, or, yeah. And then everybody says, well, yeah, we, we have a Pope in Protestantism. It's, it's, it's our convictions. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't buy that. But anyways, I'm trying to find a way to depict well, this. But, but I think Protestantism, at least evangelicalism, is supposed to have the principle of America, which is hmm. the rule of law, not the rule of men. Yeah. That yeah. is. The law rules us. Yeah. And we know what it means. Right. And let's not pretend we don't know what it means. Well, and you but we see, all have yeah. to have the guts to say, no, that's right. what the law means. Well, and you see what happens with a, with a regime like Catholicism that gains too much power and control. They just start to, one, make stuff up and two, shut things down that are actually true. Yeah. Like I mean, the main function of totalitarianism is when the king is good, it's great. And when right. the king is bad, it's exactly. terrible. Exactly. Right. And, and, and it's, it's hard. Like it's, a, and once it's bad, yeah. it's very hard to fix. Yeah. So I'm trying to find a way to depict this. That's also true of bureaucratic democracy. Democracy yeah, you can yeah. fix with an election, but bureaucratic democracy, where the corruption gets ingrained and ingrained and ingrained yeah, and ingrained yeah, in the yeah. bureaucracy, I think that's just as hard to change as tyranny. I think America yeah. is living under a bureaucratic tyranny so that our democratic undulations actually can't do much. I, I could agree with that. Democrat yeah. or Republican. Yeah, I agree with that. So anyways, I'm trying to figure out a way to depict this, like historically to give people an idea of what negative and positive liberalism is. Mm-hmm. And I basically can't come across this, like the American revolution, as far as I've read about like John Adams and some of the, the motivations of the founders. Now it's not every founder's motivation, but essentially was like to, they were, they were fighting for Liberty in the positive sense. They're fighting so that they could pursue virtue and religious freedom. They, they wanted to be able to pursue religious. I mean, this isn't the only thing that they wanted to do, but yeah. let's just say they want to be able to pursue virtue in whatever way that they wanted to kind of within Christianity. Like they wanted to maintain their way of life. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the French revolution was the exact opposite. They were the yes. negative liberalism where they wanted to pursue whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And that one didn't work. And this, and the American revolution did work. And that one went like really, really, really bad. The French revolution mm-hmm. went really bad. And the American revolution went, it like, it like went good and, and we're still working it out. But my fear is that like, we're kind of making a hook historically and we're going to like end up where the French revolution ended up. If we continue down this route, which is, I think what Denise's argument kind of is like liberalism failed because it succeeded. Now everybody's doing whatever they want, whenever they want, (laughs) and things are going to go really, really bad. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think he's, I think he's right about all of that. I don't know if he's, I don't know what to implement. And I'm glad he gave a vision forward, but I don't know what to implement as a Protestant evangelical Christian who really can't stand the Catholic church. And a lot yeah. of Yeah. So I think an alternative to, to, um, to Deneen, I think is Yuval Levin. Yuval Levin. Yeah. And one of his books a little while back was called the great debate. And it's about how right and left emerged from America, basically from the philosophies of Edinburgh and Thomas Paine. I did listen to the book. It is mind numbingly, all really um yeah but the 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 thesis i think is good and so i think his his more recent book a time to build if somebody wanted to read something by him i think would be better but essentially a time to build is that what we actually need to do to save our society is rebuild its institutions 
What we need are institutions that form people according to norms that we can affirm. And we have to start small and build back big. So, so okay, we have to start with families and then churches and then schools and then blah, blah, blah. I think what I would say to that Which is, is what like, my life is given to, right? Like I'm yeah, building a family, sounds I'm building good, a church, what I'm building that? schools, I'm... Define norms. I think that's what where Deneen would be right, like. But if you I guys see, can't. I'm building the institution, right? You, then Nick. I, yeah. Then I can set the norms. But that's that's why Deneen. That's why people like me and Deneen are like, well, who gives an f? You're Nick Gibson from Madison, Wisconsin. Whatever. Why mm-hmm. do you think you can establish norms here? Like you, you're a guy. Well, I can establish norms. So I well, think, you can because you're in charge. I think but it's I'm the asking function like, of right authority. So like, what I chose to do with my life was to get married and to have a family. Yeah. Then I get to be a father and a husband and I get to set the norms in my family. Explicit or implicitly just because of the, the function of the family and the marriage. Correct. It's an institution and I'm at the head of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I can, I can work to become a pastor as part of my calling. But who gives you these authority? Like you're you're saying this because an egalitarian wouldn't agree with that. The church invited me and gave me the authority to lead it as its pastor. Right. Because the church is already partly submitting to the Bible. Now I'm trying to figure out how to make it fully in, in conjunction with scripture, right? But but I'm now using my life to help build this institution right. that is forming people that will hopefully form churches to form people that will form churches to form no, people. No, no, I, I, I think that's all good, but okay, think about... Now I'm, and now I'm this. saying, well, now now what's not forming people? Schools, yeah. I think, are forming right. kids really poorly. So now I'm building schools to okay. try to form our kids better. I'm all on board with this. Right? Okay, now let's do a thought experiment, though. Let's say like some random guy like... Like, I'm just going to make up a name like Preston Sprinkle, like becomes a pastor and he becomes a pastor with the same goal as you. But all of his, quote unquote, norms, ethics, right. values are all completely different than yours. Correct. Now, I know that what you would say is like, because, you know, we're Americans and we're just like, well, that's just like his local level governance and he's governing you know over on the east side of madison and you're governing over here on the west side of madison and that they're just going to be all these different differentiations at a local level and blah 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 blah. but Mm -hmm. somebody like me and deneen might say that sounds freaking chaotic it sounds like what's happening right now because i can walk down the street to the uw madison which is an institution that is super corrupt Mm -hmm. uh, according to my norms and your norms Mm -hmm. but you know, what's the argument against that? Other than the fact that they're like, you know, using taxpayers, you know, so maybe I could use a different right. example. Yeah. Well, that's why I think that fundamental to, I think the reason why liberalism is failing, and I, I would like to somehow get this back to Israel if we can, yeah, I was um, is that liberalism and its freedom mm-hmm. absolutely requires a fundamental commitment of the society towards personal responsibility. And, Say that and again, to so. personal and subsidiary responsibility. Okay. So you are primarily in charge of you. Yeah. Yeah. And then you and your wife are primarily in charge of your family. Yeah. And so on. Yeah. So the, so the concentric circles of responsibility run subsidiarily, but right. also responsibility functions yeah. that way. Because the problem is, is that like, if I choose to follow Preston Sprinkle rather than some other pastor, right. Yeah. Or, or theological teacher, mm-hmm. uh, that I have to be responsible Yeah. for that. Like God, like, before God and for right. the, and mainly for the consequences that come into my life. Yeah. Right. And that, that's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why the founding fathers did not want a welfare state. Hmm. Right. Because the welfare state yeah. takes away, takes the, away the responsibility. responsibility yeah. Right. That makes, I mean, I, I agree they with were, that. They're yeah. very much for charity. If right. you wanted to help me, 
mm-hmm. even though let's say I screwed up my, so, mm-hmm. so let's say my life is screwed up. That mm-hmm. could be for misfortune mm-hmm. or for my own personal failure or some yeah. mixture of the two. Yeah. So who decides whether or not, whether or not anybody should help me. Yeah. Right. So I shouldn't be able to just take help yeah. because maybe I did this and I need to feel the pain of it. Right. Now, if you decide you want to help me. Yeah. Because you, what you earned is in your hands mm-hmm. and you know me well enough to know if it helps me for you to help me right. truly in the long run, right, I've then tried, you can guys. make that choice. I've tried. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, does, that, does that make sense? And so yes. the founding fathers were very, very strong on that. And, and the welfare state really cuts the nerve of that because one, it helps people who maybe shouldn't be helped and it, it toxifies yeah, their own right. growth, but then it also takes, takes out the internal, um, the human, the humanness, the human, uh, the accountability of local knowledge. Yeah, like you know yeah, if yeah, I'm yeah, screwing yeah. around right, or not. Right. You right, know if I'm right. working really hard to get right, a job or not because right. you're close enough to me. Right. The government is not. And the government, yeah. by definition, if it's going to be, quote, fair, can't discriminate. Yeah. But that also means it can't differentiate properly. Right. right. And it won't. You got to listen to the interview I did with him because a lot of what you're saying is similar to what he said. Now, yeah. now I can connect the this problem back. Is, so, so I think what Deneen is getting at, and I think Levin is getting at this, and I think you're getting at this, is liberalism cannot function as the primary foundation of our right. society given human nature you have to have negative liberal negative liber, liberalism uh, based off of negative liberty i i would argue that that both. liberalism both because even positive if you, liberty can if you define what the virtues and morals and ethics are that you're pursuing right which means you need something for liberty to be built on Exactly. So this is why it won't yeah. work in liberalism, Israel because those right. two, because they're Liber- both built yeah. off of two fundamental right. different. Liberalism ethics. is not a, is not yeah. a first floor. Yeah. It's a second yeah. to eighth. Yeah. Floor. You can't be the, it's that a good, it's a good second and third floor. Yeah. It's a terrible first yeah. floor and basement. Yeah. And, and so, so the, and without Christianity right. or Judeo-Christian right. values or Anglo-Saxonism yeah. or Magna Carta mm-hmm. or Western norms right. or English common law or yeah. blah, 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 something yeah. like that. Without that in place, you have, you don't, you cannot yeah. make liberalism work. And this is why people and this, need to and secularism recognize. is similar. Secularism yeah. is a second or third floor as well. Right. So right. what a lot of Americans want is they want secularism as the yes, first floor, first floor. Right. and then they want right. liberalism as a second floor, but, but, but secularism can't be a first floor. Yeah. It's secularism and liberalism are like a function rather than a foundation. You need something beneath yeah. secularism. Yeah. Right. 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 Tribalism, right. racialism, yeah. nationalism, or something a lot better like Judeo-Christianity yeah. or Religion English common or law. Yeah. All, all the good options like Anglo-Saxonism, English common law, Judeo-Christianity. They're all Judeo-Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Different versions. Of yeah. It. Okay. So this is why it won't work to integrate just for people to recognize one, the reason yeah. why America has, has in some ways worked and why young people think that Israel and Palestine can just coexist is because in America for like 200 years, when you would come over to join America, you would, you would subscribe to the American way of living and you would submit to the American ethic in a lot of ways. You would have to, wherever you're coming from, you had to do the American thing. You had to pursue mm-hmm. life in the American way. Now it wasn't like you, you come through Ellis Island and they're like, you have to not, if you don't do this, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and there were well, laws well, and, I mean, and, people and stuff like people that. People don't realize that until like very recently, right? you were either a stolen African, yeah, a, um, a migrant immigrated, yeah. Asian, or you were a white person, a yeah. Northern European, right? So Northern Europeans were the vast mm-hmm. population of free men and women, mm-hmm. especially East of the Mississippi, where all the decisions were being made nationally. Yeah. Right. Like, like, I mean, way over 85%. Yeah. It wasn't until the 19, late 1960s, early 1970s with the new immigration law that it completely diversified in and like knocked out white immigration. 
And so, yeah, you had this run of Irish Italians, but the Irish Italians, um, they got, they kind of got in line under the wasps, under wasp culture because wasp culture allowed them to rise. Yeah. Right. And so it wasn't until you got into the like immigration from like people of widely differing language groups that weren't Neo-Latin languages and for which English was not easily learned that you started to get these like extremely different populations. And so there was always, there was always a Chinatown in places like New York, but like the true cultural diversification that we're seeing Mm -hmm. on one level it's like you're like well what's wrong with that and there's there isn't anything in Mm -hmm. principle wrong with that but it's a little bit like a cross-cultural marriage you can you can can my daughter who is jewish and english can she marry a korean absolutely is there anything wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that if if he's a christian great but if but what would i tell her would i say yeah go for it no that's not what i would say i would say if you want to marry him you should marry him but here's the thing you need to understand cross-cultural marriages have all kinds yeah. of issues, right? There are all kinds of things that you think are totally fine that are going to drive him insane. Yeah, he, you're going to do things that you think are, you're totally free to do. And he's going to feel totally dishonored mm-hmm. and personally attacked by you yeah. and vice versa. Like there are all these, there are hundreds yeah. of cultural rules that you do not know right. that you think, you know, and once you get hanging out with his family and his yeah. parents, there's 300 more rules you don't know yeah. because he's been Americanized halfway. Yeah. Right. And like, if you think it's just going to be simple, Right. You're kidding yourself. Now, right. if you want to enter into that because you love him and you want to create a family out Go of these ahead, two cultures, don't do it in ignorance. Like, right. Don't, right. Don't it's do absolutely it 100% yeah. fine. It's even right. good in a way, right. but don't pretend it's going to be easy <laughs> Yeah. just because yeah. you love each other. Yeah. It's not. Right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, and so this is true culturally. This is true. And right. What we've got in Israel right. are two cultures that when they are functioning by the people who are sort of empowering them. Yeah. They're not very compatible. And what's happening there is kind of what's happening in America where Mm -hmm. the the Republicans and Democrats like are getting toxic towards each other. Yeah. That's been happening there for a really long time, except Mm -hmm. it's violently toxic. And Mm -hmm. if you think, and it's, and it really isn't the people like I remember, um, I won't say her name, but there's a young woman from our church who went to Israel for more than a year as a missionary. And she was in, she was among Palestinians and Lexi and I got to eat with her when we were there for uh, I can't remember what year we went, but we went to Israel not too long ago. That was like five years ago. Yeah. Like 2018. It might be that long ago. 2017. Now, yeah. I remember at, uh, one of the guys <laughs> at this church went there and then he was my parents' small group and he showed us all the pictures. I think mm-hmm. it was 2017, 2018. Yeah, it was a while back. Yeah. But um, so anyway, she'd been there for like eight or nine months. Okay. And so we just, we, we hooked up in Jericho and we were, we went and had uh, a meal somewhere. And so we're talking about her experience and she was like, so how is it like living with a ministering among the Palestinian people? And she's yeah. like, it's great. They're wonderful. There's so much hospitality, but I mean like shit, tons of great things to say. And then I was like, so like, well, how do they feel about the Jews? And she's like, oh, that's bad. The, yeah. <laughs> they, they hate the Jews. They hate the <laughs> like, Jews. Yeah. They're really, 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 really racist and they want to kill them. Wow. Um, and, and it's kind of like, it, it, it was like, it was a really nice, interesting insight because like, they're not devils. Like these are people. Yeah, I know. And right. and within their culture and, and they, they they are loving yeah. their neighbor. They are I mean they're, they're like normal people. Right. But they live in a culture and a society where the right. where the mythology and the mm-hmm. ethos mm-hmm. is that these Jews that they don't personally know, but that are actually pretty close by, yeah, are the ones creating all the problems. When I in mean, fact, when in fact their own overlords yeah. are creating all the problems. I and bet they you really don't to, know that. Yeah, you could probably have gone to like Texas in 1815 and had dinner with a really nice 
plantation owner right and been like this is a great person they also own 400 slaves right and been like and you're like how how do you do this so good on everything else right well and then and then or you could come to our culture and you go get dinner with with a woman who's the nicest person ever who's aborted four Four babies murdered four children so it's like i would be a lot of young people want to be like wow all those archaic stupid cultures that these these racist and everything they're so moral and we're way more moral it's like no we kill three thousand babies a day we we, the most the most spiritually honest thing you could do is say some version of that is true of me i wonder what it is right and actually think about it and figure it out because it's it may not be that bad but it's it's not good yeah, and it probably you know? might be that bad, yeah. at least in your belief system. So that's yeah, why I those mean, two one countries... One thing I see a lot with younger people is they're super charitable to people way to their left who, who believe insane oh, things, oh, and I they know. literally oh, will not speak to their parents. I know, I know. It's crazy. They, they think their parents are like these devils they could yeah. never talk to. Or, like, yeah. or people just a little bit to their right, politically. Yeah. yeah. And that level of like evil hypocrisy is something that is incredibly blind, hypocritical, immature. It's horrible. Yeah. And I just, I want to see people get over it. And and then, but but there are some conservative people that, that it, the other thing is true. But I, I just see that a lot with younger people who are more progressive. Yeah. It's kind of like, they will give somebody who like literally is cheering on Hamas, yeah. Yeah. essentially, yeah. or... Or, or out of stupidity and yet they think their parents are crazy because yeah. they voted for Donald Trump. And it's yeah. like, well, they also bore you into this world and right. they also paid for you to live and they also changed mm-hmm. your diapers. And they also right. did a bazillion things, a, for a you, billion you know, things for you. Yeah. And it is unbelievably unconscionably selfish yeah. for you to have this, treat them this way. Right. And that's why yeah. Israel and Palestine cannot coexist. I mean, that essentially like, no, not, not what you just I, yeah, said, I but, think, what, but I, I think, think what we're saying about I, the, the fundamental structures of each uh, civilization and what they believe and how they, and, and, and they can, they cannot just simply be mixed together like milk and, and pancake oh, batter. I was going to say milk and uh, cereal. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just put them together. Right. Yeah. Like, like everybody's like, yeah, well, why not? It's like, well, because the Jews will die. Right. That's why. Yeah. Somebody's going to die. Yeah. You I mean, need to they wake hate up. each other. Go, I, go travel somewhere. Like good grief. Right. Like stop well, and, living. And in also a- like there are literally just dozens and dozens and dozens of direct quotations for the entire history of Israel of all of the nations around them saying our goal is to kill all the Jews. <laughs> yeah. And this idea that people are so liberal and so open-minded yeah. that they will not take people at their word. Dude, that you see is, this crap, the LGBTQ something plus I just for Hamas. Cannot yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> it's crazy. I have never laughed so hard. It's like that picture was on uh, Twitter. It's like yeah. LGBTQ as, for Hamas. And he's like, okay, who's going to tell him? You know, it's like, come on. Yeah, dude. they literally will kill you. Yeah, <sighs> I mean, as long as the tech, those the Texas boys who are Republicans who mm. like to shoot guns stand between you and Hamas, you can cheer for them. Yeah, but right. But the minute those people you hate, don't stand between right. you and the people you're cheering for. Hamas they will kill you. Kill you. Yeah. Right. They don't like LGBTQ. Yeah. Oh my right. gosh. So I, I think I thought, you know, I tried to get Mike from, uh, and they is, think that's a joke, but like they do kill gay people. Oh, they hate that. It's part of their religion. It's, a, it's part of Islam. You know, it's like mm-hmm. most religions aren't pro homosexuality yeah. actually, believe it or not. Yeah. And they hate, they hate people like me who are like homosexual sex is sinful. You, you who, can't who be a, you can't be a like member you. at our church if you are unrepentant, and yeah, these people will kill you. Wait, who who says that about you? LGBTQ people say that about you. They don't. Yeah, like there's you. some. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I so thought you were saying like, Hamas says that about no. you. I was like, I don't know. Hamas, I don't know what Hamas would do with me. They they would not. They they would kill you because you're a Christian. Well, um, 
Here's a little factoid. Bethlehem. They would be open. Bethlehem. Would, listen. Originally was 80% Christians. Bethlehem, the town? Yeah, the city of Bethlehem. Yeah. It, because the, the city of Bethlehem is in Palestinian territory. Yeah. It's a little town of Bethlehem. Yeah. That's <laughs> but it used to be, it, I mean, it put tens of thousands of people. And it used to be 80% Christians. Yeah. And now it's well under 20%. Really? Because Christian Arabs can't live among the Palestinians. Wow. So it, just to tell you what it's like, it's not just that they hate Jews. They hate the bigotry people that goes aren't well that, beyond that. Yeah, I mean, right? it's not it's Nazism. It's you just part of it too. Is like... is that the Christian Arabs kept pushing for reforms? Yeah, they kept pushing against corruption for reforms, yeah. and so the, the the authorities that be like cracked down pretty hard. Yeah. But the problem is that those Arabs have nowhere to go. Yeah, I think a lot of Israel. Yeah. I mean, some of them got in Israel, but like right. it's still not easy to be an Arab Christian in Israel. People my age have no concept of ideas uh, actually manifesting into danger and like some ideas are really bad ideas. And if they go to their ultimate conclusion, they end in really horrific dehumanizing and murderous places. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's kept ideas from doing that in America is law is, is the Western Judeo Christian values that is kind of intertwined with our law here. And so that's why you can have all these horrible ideas on campus and not have people murdering everybody yet. I think in about within the next 20 to 50 years, if, if something doesn't drastically change, that's yeah. going to, the, the ideas, the, the barrier between ideas and death is going to fall down. And then people are going to recognize at my, my age, people are going to recognize, oh, my Marxist, you know, secular, dehumanizing, blah, 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 objective idea about whatever is actually a horrible thing. And like a bunch of people just died because of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how else you can get that across to a young person who's so, who's so bought into the idea that who, who, who assumes this liberal, this open, free, uh, empathetic, compassionate liberalism that everybody just has, they think that everybody just has that. Everybody just acts like that with each Mm -hmm. other. So if we go, if I go over to North Korea, you know, and sit down with Kim Jong-un, he's going to want to talk to me. They think that stuff. That's why they love Dennis Rodman. Yeah, I so mean, he did talk so. to Dennis Rodman, though. Dennis Rodman did go to... You remember that? Yeah. That, what a he guy. did talk with him, right? Yeah. He, yeah. Like, he was like, he's well, not that bad of a guy. And everybody was like, Dennis, shut up. He's yeah. like a bad guy. Well, I mean, any if you sit down and talk to anybody, if anybody sits down and talks to anybody for a couple hours, mm-hmm. and that person knows how to be just relatively charming, mm-hmm. you're going to feel that way. I mean, that's yeah. what George Bush said about... Yeah. Russia guy who I, what's his name? Putin. Like he said, with Putin, I looked into his soul and he's, you know, he's okay. I don't remember what the quote is, but he was just like, and, and like George W. Bush is, I mean, people joke that he was stupid, but yeah, he not, he's he not he stupid. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, and he graduated from like Harvard or something. Yeah. I, allegedly. I think Yale. Yeah. I mean, he was not a good student. <laughs> he wasn't. Apparently. No, apparently not. No, but like, yeah. I mean, these people yeah. all have IQs above 130. I mean, yeah. they're not stupid. Right. 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 And so like, the idea that, I mean, he just like, he got taken. Yeah. I mean, it just happens. You, you, you're with people. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why empathy. So like part of the issue with progressivism is trying to create an ethical foundation because it knows, yeah it knows it needs one right. and it knows that secularism doesn't always really provide one, but they want, it want, they want to derive one from secularism. So do you trying- think it knows it needs one? I, I feel like it, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 I think it, it under, I think it, I think human beings, uh, they know they have to speak ethically in some way. They know and they, know they, they, they have subconsciously to know something. It. Yeah, I think they subconsciously know it. But I think that the progressives, while they understand that there's like an objective truth somewhere out there, mm-hmm. they consciously are so they want so badly for things to be fluid and weird. And so as they 
try to move closer to postmodernism in all of its glory, they subconsciously are searching for like a objective ethic. And those two things like, like run into each other and collide oftentimes. And so they, they create these like secular, uh, these, they create these secular taboos that are constantly shifting and changing that nobody can really get a grasp on because in five years it's going to change and be more radical or more or or less. Right. I don't know if is that. So when I was in college in the nineties, like undergrad, relativism was kind of in it was like 30 years ago but people were like really pumping yeah relativism and i mean i was 19 and i could take that apart i was like okay you realize you're making nothing to take apart yeah you you realize it's just a circular (laughs) idea like you're you're affirming like it's a truth right the idea that there are no truths like like, so there's one truth yeah well yeah yeah oh so now there's two truths (laughs) (laughs) you just kept going that's kind of funny Yeah. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's four truths. Right. <laughs> yeah, and so like once you recognize that, then postmodernism doesn't literally say there can't be any truths. Yeah. It's just an acid mm-hmm. that burns anything on the floor. Right. Like yeah, and so it's the minute you try to build something, yeah. it just eats it away. Yeah. Right. Because everything can be criticized from some perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like so you're trying to build something. So what you do is you end up bio- biologizing the human person and you say, OK, what is fundamental that we all kind of intuitively think is moral and that is basically almost biologically moral. Now that's a circular argument uh, too, right. because how can you know that something that's biologically driven is in fact morally good, unless right. all you mean by morally good is biologically driven, but hatred uh, and murder is all biologically driven too. Right. So how do we distinguish between the biologically driven that's good and not good? You is know, this a similar point that Lewis tries, tried to make in the Pilgrim's Regress and what, and when he looked into the bodies of people in the dungeon mm-hmm. That, is that the same type I of thing? I think partly the idea that you could, well, no, because that was deconstruction. He's saying like you could see through things that way by yeah, breaking them down okay. to their constituent parts. Yeah. But in this case, what's happening is like you, so, so what, so what they're looking for is like, what, what is part of the biological process of the human person mm-hmm. that seems like it's as good as apple pie? Like nobody mm-hmm. would attack this. Yeah, right. Right. And so, and of course you're being, it's being overwhelmed by, by the more feminine drive coming from the social sciences, yeah. particularly things like sociology and so on. And so a- empathy feels like the golden ticket because what's wrong with empathy, right? I mean, the idea of being able to feel Step what another person somebody feels, else's shoes. it's yeah. almost like a non-Christian version of treat others the way you would want to be treated. It's almost like <laughs> a, a biologized yeah. golden rule right. and everybody knows the golden rule is correct. In a way, so except empathy, for the fact that it's impossible. Right. It well, can't but, but, be done. I can't ever walk in your shoes. No, but you could treat me the way you want to be treated. So the golden, those the golden the rule thing. doesn't That's require empathy. empathy. Right. The golden rule does? Doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. You can assume that I'm like you. Yeah. And then you right. would do. But there's some empathy in it in that like you don't necessarily just assume I want exactly what you want. And the golden rule, I think, is predicated on people are selfish. Do we unto others well, what you would have, like done to you is like. Jesus's way. You will mentally advocate for yourself. Yes. So start with that. Yeah. And then you're using your sinful nature as a hack to build your own morality. Yeah. It's like capitalism. Yeah. That's a little bit. right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, okay. But empathy like is a two edged sword. Like empathy does not have a moral compass. Like, like yeah, the, the, the reason why right. I like, I sit down with Vladimir Putin and I go, Oh, I looked into his eyes. He's a good man. Yeah. Or I sit down with Kim yeah. Jong-un and I was like, you know, he's not, not a bad guy. It's because when I'm sitting with, with him, I get this feeling like we're connecting. Yeah. Just because we're human beings. Right. Because right? you are. Because you're human. Right. You're talking. It's the same and, reason the guy goes yeah, to work and ends right. up sleeping with one of the women at work. Right. And cheating right. on his wife is because he was spending a lot of time at work. Right. He's actually with her. He felt connected. He naturally empathizes yeah. with her. That yeah. creates a connection. Right. It's a man and a woman. So that connection right. sexualizes. All right. of a sudden, like, 
he's sleeping with her, right? right. Because he actually allowed his empathetic mm-hmm. impulses to create this bond, right? He allowed, the, and that's the important distinction is that he Correct. chose to do these things. Right. And, and, Empathy and, requires yeah. moral judgment. Moral judgment. And so it's again, and so it's it a, can't it's be a, the basis of a number judgment. two thing. It's a number two right. thing again. It's a great, yeah, it's a great second and third floor, but it's not a foundation. Freaking liberals. Floor. Come on, give me some foundation, people. Right. Everything is a secondary. They're trying right. to build civilization so I, I off think, of so secondary. On one level, you could say one, a ground level progressive ethic would be for there is no favoritism with God. There is no favoritism. There is of- no favoritism with God. So the, like the democratic principle of like, what would it look like to have a society that was not wreathed in favoritism huh. is something that they would say that they want. And that is a foundational rule. It is rooted in fairness. Yeah. To a certain extent, fairness is, is right as a goal, all things being equal. That is fairness under law or justice. And, and also you could say fairness can be applied. Uh, so okay, fairness. You, know, you don't have to be that close to the mic. Did you know that fairness in the sense of impartiality? Yeah. So like, if you look at in, in the, at the end of Ephesians, Paul says to slaves to obey their masters. Yeah. Right. And then he turns on the masters and he says, listen, don't threaten them. That's the verse I started with. When I started to deconstruct. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, kidding. he said, don't threaten your slaves. And he said, listen, you need to realize that your master is in heaven and he has no partiality. There's yeah. no favoritism. Yeah. So oh. there is, you, you may be in the position of master, but you have not one iota of preference. Does James talk about the sin of partiality? J- mm-hmm. James talks yeah. about that too. Yeah. yeah. And right. then, and then Paul, when he's talking to Timothy at the end yeah. and he says in his ministry, to make sure he shows no favoritism yeah. between people. So there's this very strong biblical ethic of no favoritism. Right. Now what people call inordinate systemic privilege when that's accurate, an accurate description, hmm. that is a form of favoritism and therefore corruption. So there okay. are some principles that are on the progressive side that are in Judeo-Christianity if they would admit Judeo-Christianity as a foundational ethic. You know, I would just say, though, the first thing that pops into my head is, one, there's two situations in the Bible that are God is clearly favor- favoritizing somebody. The, the Israelites... The Jews, he chose those people, and so those are his favor. Those are his people. He's those are different from everybody else. And then in the New Testament, the those whom he predestined, the people who are who who he have has picked to get saved, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, how does that work along with with no partiality and no favoritism? I mm-hmm. would I would say that that works in that the that no there shouldn't be any partiality among us as Christians and among us as believers and. That should be a, f- a functional aspect of our life that we don't show partiality, but that that doesn't actually that rule doesn't apply to God Himself. That mm-hmm. He shows partiality. He shows partiality within the angels. He shows partiality within people. Within within uh, within animals. Within He shows partiality all the time. He's He chooses this group and He doesn't choose this group. That the moral ethic. I don't think that God shows partiality within the realms of his, his ethical obligations to creatures. So I, I, I so it, I don't think, I don't think non-partiality means oh, you there's think... no choices. He makes no choices between people. I think partiality is that he treats each person in accordance with justice. And he, there is no partiality. Like one person, like he will dim, yeah, diminish okay. the justice I of get one what person you're saying. If you to have give a, yeah. another person what they want. Yeah. If you have a proper understanding of, he of won't all the corruption. attributes. So God doesn't, you know, he treats everybody with love, justice, peace, kindness, goodness, grace, whatever, all of those things. He's, he's treating them with all of those things because see the liberal might He gives disagree. everybody what they're due. Yeah. A liberal Christian would disagree. They'd be like, well, God, if God is, 
is choosing this person and not choosing this person to be saved, that person gets damned, then he's not engaging in love. And then we would say like, well, actually he is engaging in love. You've just redefined it to mean acceptance and affirmation. And God defines love as sacrifice and and somewhat of acceptance in in being adopted into the family of Christ, but as obe- yeah. it's defined within the terms of obedience and following yeah. Christ. I feel like I would have to defend the Calvinist doctrine of predestination, the version of predestination, in order to make that point. And that sounds like lifting five hundred pounds to lift five pounds. So I, I that's not how I want to prove this. <laughs> the Bible does directly say in things like how a pastor should treat this person versus that person, Mm -hmm. that there should be no partiality or favoritism. And I think on that, on that kind of level, like what you owe others given the stewardship or the trust that you have and what you owe them in that he says, says there is no favoritism right? or in how he morally judged the slave versus the master. He's like, look, if you think because you're the master, you, I'm going to judge you less harshly, right? You're kidding yourself. You're going to get judged more harshly. You have more, not less. Yeah. Um, and so I think those kinds of, and, and so what the adjustments are and how God does that judging is something that's within his own mind. I don't, I don't know what's right. Right. There, but do you, I do know that he's saying he does not show partiality. So do you think that, that, so you agree with Paul that he says, therefore there is no man, like no longer man or woman. Like, so you agree with like transgenderism. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just wanted to say that. Uh, Cause that's one of the arguments that I've heard for transgenderism is that, you know, therefore there is, what does he say? There is no longer man or woman, right. slave or free or whatever, but all we are all one under Christ. A right. Paraphrase of the Bible, but that that was that's one of the arguments that I've heard for Christian uh, Christian transgenderism. I obviously don't believe that that's true, but that's kind of uh, that's that's within the 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 conversation of partiality, right? I mean, I would say that w- what you just said is what Paul is trying to say there. Is that Paul? Yeah, the possible. It's Paul. Okay. Well, yeah, you, I think you're cl- there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Doesn't say I man know, or, male woman? or female is in Galatians. I I I was looking up oh. the verse and I didn't find it easily. <laughs> oh, there is it's Maybe. uh it's uh 3:28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Yeah. Male right. nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I mean, to, to say, to say that that's ripping it out of its context, as Jordan Peterson would say, <laughs> is to say almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, it's just, that's, yeah. it's really a ter- would yeah. be a, just, a, really the idea is, is that the, those distinctions yeah. relative the, to salvation yeah. have been eliminated and access to salvation yeah. exists for everybody and nobody can stand in anybody's way yeah, right. and nobody can, can add to themselves the distinction that they are one thing in yeah. addition to being yeah. a Christian. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't mean that like all hierarchies or gender roles are are all gone. Yeah. I do think it does mean that there's no favoritism. Hmm. Right. Right. Which is, I was. So what what he said, do you think God favored, but God hated Esau and he loved his, uh, he loved Jacob. Is that Jacob and Esau? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He hated Esau and he loved Jacob. I see favoritism in the Bible. I'm fine with it. Yeah. I think, I think that this gets back to like questions like what is Liberty? Right? Is it doing whatever you want? Like the def- the definition we're using of the word. What does that have to do with? Yeah, him like does, does justice mean there can be no dis- that everybody has to have equity? Right? Like like there there is like the most. Are you saying I'm? Th- that's what I'm saying. That it, yeah. that that I God mean, needs to give if, equity. If you're saying I see favoritism in the Bible, how like, define favoritism? In favoritism in that case, you're so I think favoritism can be defined as. I'm not talking about. I'm not a so, point so of you, equity. So you, just so so you can define knows. favoritism as. Yeah. 
any any extension of favor towards one person that you don't give everybody else. That could be that could be one definition of favoritism. Okay, okay. That would be the, that'd be the broadest. That's right? the that's the equity one. Though. That would be the most democratic, most yeah. broad definition you get. So do the Bible. And then one. the and then the other one yeah. would be something like, um, you give to one person what you owe another person at their expense. So okay. for example, like, oh yeah, we yeah, a horrible okay. snowstorm, all right, all right, and we right, only have five hundred right. pounds of food. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. a hundred right. people in here. Yeah, and I right. give you somebody else's yeah. food. It's you know what this That's is like. Favoritism. This is like when when Michael has a surplus. Do you, do you know that episode where Michael has a surplus? I know no episode of The Office. Oh my gosh, Michael has a surplus, and Oscar is trying to explain to him that if they spend the money, then they're going to get that much money next year. But if they don't then they're not going to get that much money next year. Mm -hmm. And Michael can't understand what a surplus is. So he's mm -hmm. like, okay, when you're a kid, <laughs> he goes through this whole thing about when you're a kid and, uh, and mom gives you $10 to make a lemonade stand. You go to the store to get all that you need and you, you only spend $8. You have $2 left. What do you do with the $2? And he's like, you keep it, right? And so he understands what a surplus is. I just thought that was, you, you explaining that to me was like me being Michael and you being Oscar. Cause I, I don't, I don't disagree with, I, I don't disagree with, with the biblical definition, but does that work on a, I mean, this is how a lot of people end up deconstructing their faith. <clears throat> yeah. Cause they, they use the, the liberal the definition. Most, and by that, I'm not saying liberal bad there. I'm saying there is a very liberal definition Yeah, and then there is a, a more constrained definition. Yeah. Right. And in the, the context of reading the Bible, it demonstrates that usually that word means the more constrained definition. Right. right. But if you just assume in your head, the more, the more liberalized or the broader definition, yeah. you'll be like, well, that's not true. Well, the Bible contradicts that everywhere. Like you just said. And that's because, yeah, you're defining the word wrong. And it's not our fault. Right? The Bible defines its own words right. in its own categories. And you have yes. to pay close yeah. enough attention to yeah. what it's saying. Most of being a Christian out. is learning how to read the Bible in yeah. its own definition. And, see, what's supposed to happen is God wants you to say, well, wait a second, that's, there's favoritism here and there and there. Yeah. And then he wants you to say, Lord, what don't I understand? Yeah. And and to hold in your mind, is it my definition of favoritism that's wrong? Yeah, right. Or is it God that's wrong? Well, it's not God that's wrong. Right. So, that's, so you can it's probably your definition out. of favoritism. Yeah. So let's look a lot more closely at how right. you're defining this. Right. And then what happens is you begin to understand how God governs and his providence better yeah. because you're like, oh, yeah. what he means by favoritism is this. Yeah. He doesn't mean he has to literally treat everybody exactly the same. Right. What you might call broad fairness. Yeah. What it means is, is that he treats people with similar principles relative to justice of what he believes he owes them, mm -hmm. but he can act in gracious ways towards human beings. And if he does that to one, he does not have to do it to another. What's that Machen guy's name? Jay Gresham Machen. So do you agree with him that if you don't, if you don't believe in the biblical definitions of the words that you're not a Christian? There's only one right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I think that Jesus is so, there are so many teachings of Jesus about being careful about judging other people mm -hmm. to say they're not a Christian. It's one thing for me to, to criticize what they say and say, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. That's why like, I can look at somebody like Preston Sprinkle and be like, this thing he says right here, I think that's wrong. And I think it's dangerously wrong. I might even say, I think that's false teaching. If there's enough of those, I might be able to say somebody like that is a quote false teacher. But for me to go, he's not a Christian, man. I'm, I'm so way I said, I said that on a text message. Didn't I say that? That you think he's was, probably not a Christian. Yeah. I do you want to move to this topic now? Yeah, let's do it. I said that. I don't know where I stand with that. Okay, so you yet. we did a podcast. Rosario Butterfield is basically like the last podcast, right? She's the last one that we've yeah. done. So yeah. I listened. Well, when this comes out, it might be somebody else. Okay, so I listened to her book and I agreed, really good. I agreed with almost all of it, so frankly. Good. Um 
However, I do, I also there's um, one part at the end I didn't agree with. I wrote oh, yeah. a review and I got to send it to you so you can write something. Yeah, uh, I didn't love her chapter on modesty. Oh wow, that doesn't I, surprise me. I, that doesn't I, surprise me at no, all. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. There were some things about. I just wanted more. I guess I want. I want. Oh, I felt like more. it was less than she did in most of the other chapters. Yeah. And I felt like she could have done a lot more. In fact, I, liked I thought what the, she the whole about. book kind of left me wanting. Yeah. I kind of wanted more, but she. What did she talk? Expositionism or something? Or sorry, is that not? That's not what it's called. Exhibitionism. Exhibition. No, no, no. What What did she got to talk about in modesty in relation to social media? She said that women are. Uh, what what word is I it? I do think e exhibitionism word. is the opposite of modesty. Oh, she said they're they're like like they're engaging in exhibitionism on social media, mm -hmm. and so just get off. I thought that point was awesome. I thought her point on social media was spot on, and like everybody needs to hear that stuff, especially mm -hmm. Christian girl, women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that I mean I don't know that I can definitively say I I don't, I don't think I want to definitively say that like all women should get off social media and all I men do. too, but I do. But I think that I think that people really, really underestimate the dangers but people inherent don't want in the to say system it. of social media. People don't want to say it, but then I say, name one, one name one benefit, statistic, statistical or non. Just name a benefit of <laughs> one singular benefit of social media for individuals. I'm not talking about for businesses and for yeah. churches and for whatever. I'm talking for marketing. I'm talking about what name one single benefit, a single benefit. Mm -hmm. Name one of social media. Okay, do you want me to try this or try, is yes, that rhetorical? Yeah, no. So, one young woman I talked to about this recently said that she has friends in four or five different countries that she personally keeps in touch with mm -hmm. and they and they do a lot of that keeping in touch through Instagram. You don't have to. You can do it through WhatsApp. Boom. <laughs> Roasted, done. I mean, that's so that, you, you don't, don't consider, have to. You don't consider WhatsApp a social media. No, WhatsApp's a like WhatsApp's like you texting. Just a yeah, it's a texting. So, app. do you think Snapchat is social media? See, okay. So the reason why I don't like Snapchat is mostly because like everybody is like sending nudes to each other on Snapchat, and mm -hmm. that's basically what it's for. And everybody who has Snapchat will tell you it's so that they can communicate with their friends. But no, there's so you can send nudes. We're not stupid, okay? <laughs> so like I think that like it. I thought it was mostly like the anonymity, even talking with your friends, so your parents could never go in. And there's your part stuff. of that, but the main reason. Like, yeah, you can bully kids on there. Like, that's bad. But, like, the main reason is nudes. That's the main reason. Like, I, I like yeah, I can't I, tell you. I think you. I'm naive about that. You're so naive. I think, I think. I mean, on one level, I'm not because I've. I, if my kid came to me. After, after I've been, like, in pastoral ministry for, yeah. like, five years, the idea that somebody could surprise me with human depravity <laughs> yeah. makes me laugh. Well, okay? I, Every my, once in a while, I hear a new one yeah. that I hadn't heard exactly like that before. But yeah. the level of surprise yeah. in me is always zero. My kid comes to me and says, Dad, I'm going to get Snapchat. I'm going to be like, oh, so you're addicted to porn. You're trying to take it to the next level. Like, that's going to be my yeah. my brain. Like, you're trying to take this to the next level. So we need to, like, gouge your eyeballs out, like mm -hmm. the Bible says. But, like, that is what Snapchat well, see, is I for. Think, and I think this is where one of the reasons why you like Rosario Butterfield. Well, one, I want to say the reason why I say that about Snapchat is because I did all that stupid crap on social media, right. on Snapchat. And right. that and is and bad. And it makes sense why you like so Rosario on this. It's because Rosario is you lesbian. <laughs> like she was uh, yeah, women's yeah, studies yeah. lesbian. She wrote legislation for, wrote, for right, gay rights. Wrote policy oh, for same-sex yeah. marriage for her university. So, like, and you see this. You also see this with ex-Catholics. I really felt like so, her and I so did connect. There's yeah. a lot of people. There's a lot of people that grew up Catholic, yeah. and they are the most anti-Catholic people. 
they're oh, like yeah. you have no idea the fucking yeah, pope yeah. and like nobody's a christian it's an emotional it's like, thing too yeah it's yeah. like it's so it's partly emotional because you feel school. hurt yeah but it's also like listen I don't know what you think, but I've been on the inside. Yeah, I've seen this I've crap. seen the belly yeah, of the beast. Exactly. Don't tell me I know. it's not that bad. Nick, I remember I had a conversation right. with you like five years ago. And I was like, do your kids have Snapchat? And you were like, yeah. And I, I remember thinking in my head, this guy's a moron. <laughs> like, just being like, why would you let your kids have Snapchat? And I still think nobody should let. If your kids have my Snapchat, because my daughter delete the had damn a single thing. male person on her Snapchat. And she Bro. was mostly with homeschoolers. Oh, I could totally. I could totally. I'm not saying... I think you talk about Rachel. Yeah. She listens to this podcast. I'm not Rachel. Maybe you're the one in a billion who doesn't actually use Snapchat in a bad way. Whatever. Congratulations. Oh. But what I'm saying is that is so easy to get around. Like I would I, be genuinely surprised if Rachel was doing that. I have other children. Every parent said every children, that's what yeah. every parent said before they find out their kids doing it. Like mm-hmm. oh, my my I'd be so surprised if my kid. I'm not saying Rachel's yeah. anybody's doing anything. I'm just saying well, I am saying like everybody is doing it, but the the social media point that she made, even like okay, so that 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 point doesn't count. So can you find another Which one point? legitimate reason? So yeah, when I when that woman said that that she was using um, Instagram yeah. to communicate with these friends, I mean, because you recognize that iMessage is now over the internet too, so you don't even need a tech like yeah. A part texting. of me was kind of like that doesn't seem like a very personal way. No. To communicate, it sounds like you're posting DMs. stuff. No, you talk, she's talking probably about DMs. I would assume. Yeah, but that, but you can you can use WhatsApp. I mean, there's a million texting. Yeah, I would group think chat, so as well. Like group me, whatever. Yeah, but I wonder. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if so. Okay, so I use Facebook a lot of times to find. So I have people's I names know, yeah. come across, and I don't know who they are. Oh, and if I, I go you were on, say to sell like your fishing stuff, no. Doing so that. like I go on Facebook, so I'll like, it's like, I'll get a pastoral thing of like yeah. something's happening with somebody and the church is big enough. I literally don't know who they are. Yeah. However, the friends of 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 the friends that I'm connected yeah. to on Facebook, if I go into Facebook and I put in their name, yeah. they'll almost always come up and I'll be right. like, oh, that, and I usually will recognize their face. And sometimes sure. I've had multiple conversations with them. And as soon as I see the face, I go, oh, that's who they are. These are the conversations. And now right. I know the background. And so using it as this like pull up face directory, yeah. Facebook is actually really good for that. Now in my feed, I have deleted everyone. Hmm. So I, I, so like everybody who's, I mean, this may be the first time I've said this publicly yeah. to people who've listened. If you're a Facebook friend of mine, I do not see anything you post. So you don't see every I Sunday. I see nothing. I do like a breakdown of the high point serving on Facebook. Yeah, I don't <laughs> see that. So like I see my brother's family. Yeah. I see my mom. And I have Minohar in there. <laughs> Minohar got mm-hmm. it. Nice. I think I have Optive and High Point. Yes. Is in there. Um, and then there is a Great Lakes fishing thing. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I, so therefore I don't have to go in there. I can go in there one time a week mm-hmm. and I can, I can scroll through everything. But I want to say this again for everybody listening. Everything else. Who's trying to make all these justifications mm-hmm. and excuses in your head right now. is that Nick does it so I can do it. Okay. Yeah. The, first off, what Nick just said I'm is. I'm just using it for work. Basically. He literally doesn't use it. One, you use it once a week. Two, you have four people on there and like your mom's one of them. Right. And then three. I'm not, I'm not using it for social media. Is you're what not using it for social I'm, media. What I'm using right. it is for a face directory right. Right. because it's, it is the face book. You're also. Right. Yeah, I'm literally using it to right. see people's faces, faces and be right. like, oh, that's who that that's is. That's who that is. Yeah. Okay. You're also not. But there are a, a lot normal... of liabilities to it. Facebook has taken more from me than I've gotten from. It. Okay. Okay. Thank for you. For sure. So why can't somebody just say. Get off social media. Like if you can tell me if, if somebody can, for me, it's like basic is this how logic. we're talking about Preston Sprinkle? Yeah. I was going to lead into okay. Preston because Mr. Sprinkles, I, I call him Preston Sprinkles. Mm-hmm. 
And Andrea, that drives her crazy. Intentionally Mr. to Mr. Things. Sprinkles. Well, yeah, I mean, he's so he's such an advocate for for some of that fruity stuff. He's Anyways, sprinkling. Oh, um, so sprinkles like fruit. Like sprinkles. sprinkles no, sprinkles sounds like uh, it sounds fruity. Sounds like I'm, I'm pressing sprinkles. Anyways, I don't know how bad that is to put on the podcast, but the I don't think pressing sprinkles is gay. Okay, and I would love to have him on the podcast if I could get a hold of him, but his his email doesn't work. And so, yeah, I, he, I he's pretty inaccessible and, and very I want expensive. Him, I want him to debate Rosaria. That's what I want. Like I said, get your $15,000 ready. I know. And maybe he'll do it. Like <sighs> Preston is very expensive. I would feel like I could give that money to, you know, a yeah. it, dead but, I mean, dog like, on the side of the road and it would do better. Yeah, it does. I mean, if I, I, I don't, I, I have feelings about that. I'm not sure if they're rooted in envy or righteousness. So <laughs> I just have to leave that. Cause I would love to make $10,000 a day you yeah. know, or more for now. speaking yeah. engagements and for stuff. speaking on the same thing over, over and, and over, over again and, over and again. not saying much. Right. You, don't, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, he says a lot of words, right. But, but yeah, he, some he, he's, he is a very equivocating speaker in my So opinion. I'm, people probably think that I'm being antagonistic towards him. Yes. You, well, you are being, yeah. aren't, yeah. You are being a tech, Yeah, tech. yeah. Maybe I should calm down, but just so people listening hear me recognize in real time that I'm probably going too hard on him. I, I just am so Well, you're upset because you think annoyed. he's hurting people. I'm so annoyed. Yeah. And so this is the next topic because yeah, yeah. We, I really think he's trying to help people. As I, I really believe that about him. Right, I think, but I the think road he has to hell is paid with good intentions. I don't I'm so sick of of measuring intentions. No, no, uh, I'm I, saying this up front because I want to give I don't think he's the devil, but I want to no, give I somebody who so I either. feel like I need to critique his right. due. Cause I like, there's a lot of things I like about him Yeah, and some of the stuff he says in embodied, I think is helpful. Yeah. Um, I know that like, like my wife is in a social work program. I yeah. know that when she read his book, yeah. she had ammunition to defend the gospel and the biblical position on sexuality in her classes and on her campus. And it was very helpful to her from, from embodied dude. I, I, yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's start from the beginning. Here's where we're going to start. I only have like two or three real critiques with Preston. I, I really like a lot of what he does. Right. And one of them is that Preston Sprinkles used freaking King David being and Jonathan being gay together as an example okay. in his okay. stupid so book. Okay. But let, get to put that let, in context. let's put it into context in a second, but let me just give people where I'm starting. And so then do you then, want me to read it? So yeah, you can read it. But, but here's where I'm starting with right now. Here's where I'm at with Mr. Sprinkles. It's, I think I, he's certainly a false teacher. He says things that are blatantly wrong. I think he's emotionally and spiritually manipulative and abusive. And he I'm, says some things that are that I think are false. That are that are biblically, objectively, empirically wrong. They're not even questionable. It's like Do you know what what they are. Like if what you're about to read is one of them. Okay. See, I think this is David over, was think, not gay. I think this one is overblown. Yeah, I know, but he's using it as an example. Okay, I have no, no, no sympathy. No, no, let me let me read it. Okay, so, read this. Okay. Yeah, this is right. his book. So, uh, so okay, so this is chapter five: gender stereotypes in embodied. Okay, mm. starting on page seventy-nine. KD grew up as the youngest of several brothers in a context where men were expected to be masculine and women feminine. Real men served in the military, and tip, women typically stayed home and made babies. KD's brothers naturally joined the military and went off to war. They were the epitome of masculinity. KD, on the other hand, had another sort of gift. He loved to write poetry. Katie struggled with many emotions throughout his life, doubt, depression, anxiety. He also had times when he was so filled with joy that he could hardly contain himself. Often, he would grab a pen and bleed his emotions onto paper. Like most poets, Katie had a talent for writing and playing music. While his brothers were off at work, Katie stayed home and wrote poetry and music, singing songs about nature, beauty, depression, God, and his best friend, John. 
John and Katie were inseparable. Sorry. (laughs) They spent lots of time together and desperately missed each other when they were apart. Katie vowed that he would spend the rest of his life with John and John felt the same. They weren't sexual with each other, but they were more than your typical American male friends. And when they were together, they would laugh, they would cry, they would talk and they would hug. Sometimes they would even kiss in a friendship sort of way. (laughs) A few years later, John enlisted in the military and went off to war. He rose through the ranks and was a skilled fighter. But one day John was killed in battle. When the news reached Katie's ears, he was devastated. He fell into a depression. He refused to eat. He wept profusely. Once the deer dried up enough for him to see, Katie did the only thing that could soothe his pain. He took his pen out and poured out his heart in a poem, describing John's love as better than that love he felt towards women. After Katie's own death, the poem would be published and read by millions. So moving, so intimate, so loving were the words of the poem that some of the people to this day believe that Katie and John were gay. If you haven't caught on by now, KD stands for King David. Hold on. No, it stands for Kevin Durant. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. first. Okay. Now, I want you to listen to the, to the yeah. rest of the paragraph. Right. I so know. The Bi- now, listen to this. this, this these uh. are the words that Preston Sprinkle writes right after that. Though the Bible gives no evidence that Jonathan and David were in a sexual relationship, it's true that David's intimate words towards Jonathan have led some readers to say that they were. Now, listen to this. And, of course... David manifested many masculine traits like chopping off a giant's head and killing a lion with his bare hands. But David also sat on a hilltop, wrote poetry, played the harp, and hugged and kissed his best friend and said, your love for me is more wonderful than the love of women. Second Samuel 1.16. Now listen to this sentence. This, yep. this is the important sentence. You're proving my point. I love this. No, but listen to this sentence. By most American standards, David did some feminine things as well as a bunch of masculine ones. But what is quote, biblical masculinity and femininity. Was Mm -hmm. David in sin when he was crying or playing his harp? Unfortunately, many of our beliefs about masculinity and femininity come from our culture rather than the Bible, even though we sometimes rubber stamp these cultural norms and and label them biblical, Mm -hmm. right? So can I just make my, because I want to say that you're the, his, what he said after that, it says exactly what I'm saying about him. He's emotionally manipulative and I don't use like that psychological abusive, but this is emotional abuse and emotional manipulation because you can say, Hey, here's a stupid poem about Jesus being a woman and put it in there as some sort of like evidence for, okay. So, so he puts this stupid, Jesus could have married numerous women and, and didn't marry one. Right. So maybe Jesus was gay. Right. And you're like, yeah. Uh, why would you put that in there? My yeah. answer to him is what the F? Why would you put that in there? What, yeah. The only reason you're going to put that in there is to, to sprout some doubt in people's heads because, okay, here's the other guy who used that sort of method and it was in the Garden of Eden and his name was <laughs> Satan. Okay. He was like sprinkled a little bit of this in with that. And yeah. it's like, come on. Like, I, I just have absolutely no talk. I don't care what he says. Yeah. He says, oh, this is the American view. This is, why would you put it in there? David killed a flipping lion and a bear and 10. Tens of thousands of right. people in war. Okay. He's the greatest literally, warrior of all time. The song sung about David. Yeah, was, right. <laughs> Saul has killed his thousands and David David's tens, tens of thousands. thousands. Right. right. David's more to of a man. To marry his first wife, he literally yeah. by himself killed a hundred Philistines and cut off parts of their penis oh, man. to give to Saul as a trophy so that he could have his first wife. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that was not, can you imagine some, if, can it you wasn't imagine, gay. He didn't right, like cutting off their penises. Like, do you realize that David touched over a hundred penises? <laughs> like, think about that. Think about that. <laughs> yeah. just, just put it in your head. It's right. in the Bible. Just meditate on it, that. Right. It, that's my point yeah. though. I'm not, I'm not saying that Preston didn't say all that crap afterwards to try to make up for, for planting a bunch of false 
crazy heresy in people's brains. I'm saying that is called emotional manipulation. And his entire book embodied is all emotional manipulation. It's I was with this trans person and this gay person. And here's what they said to me. And this made me question everything. Okay. And then, all right. So to be fair, how many pages of the book embodied did you read? With your, with your eyes? I got through like two chapters. I literally wanted to like, it, I wanted to like cut my ears off. I could not. Okay. Do it. So, all right. So I think, all right, so one, I partially agree with what you said. Yeah. I think that the way he depicts David here is very one-sided. I think he does it as a literary device to make to introduce yeah. his chapter. I, I think that the chapter is is theo, is theologically more problematic than that. Now, okay, but keep in mind that David also is the precursor to Jesus Christ. And okay. so I'm all I'm saying is this is the beginning of the end for these progressive Christians because this is all going to move towards Jesus. G- I mean it already has started in, in academia that Jesus is, was it might have been gay or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was like an asexual something because he didn't do whatever. And so this is already moving in that direction, but it's precursors like this which was written in like what 2000 3 or something. No, maybe it was no, written way more recently. That, yeah. Okay. He wrote I would say 20 21 maybe oh really okay so anyways this stuff is like the the precursor for the mainstream evangelical church 21 Mm -hmm. okay so you're not hearing the crazy stuff about jesus being gay yet but in about 10 years because of this type of crap you're gonna start hearing that. okay so preston sprinkles in his 40s like me okay i don't know if you know this rosario would know this so when i was in college in like let's say 1996 there was a like a pro-gay presbyterian minister gay fellow who came to my college and gave a talk on the Bible and homosexuality, right? In which he argued that in lots of ways, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality and actually affirms same-sex loving monogamous gay relationships. Which is great. One of the things yeah. in that talk in the 90s, because that was already in this early gay literature, was yeah. David and Jonathan yeah. having a relationship right. that right. seemed like it was gay to them. Right. But right? that was fringe theology, right? That was... I mean, that, not I mean, at Yale, but, but, yeah, but it in was the mainstream Christianity, that was French, French theology. Whereas now that's not French theology. If we walk right. into a big, huge evangelical church today and we just tell people that, that read that poem to them, we say, what do you think? And they'd be like, well, yeah, I could see David being gay. And they would have no problem with that. Gen Zers and millennials, they'd be like, or yeah, bi- that, he'd be bisexual, right? Yeah, maybe he had all those bi. wives and right. had all those. Yeah, maybe he's confused. He was yeah. but, so, Okay, so, but I, so I think. So I think this is a broader thing that we need to make some sense of because what Preston Sprinkle is doing is not, I don't think he's trying to be like, be manipulative. I think what he's trying to, that he's certainly not doing that on purpose. I think, I think what he's trying to do is to say this Mm. within gay culture for a long time, there has been this talk that like David and Jonathan were gay. Right. And David did do some things that within a certain kind of masculinized American stereotype of what a man is, would be more feminine. But David is like the most masculine man yeah. in the Old Testament. Right. Maybe right? because those things, which I get was his point, the things that he was doing that seem to be feminine to us Americans aren't actually biblically right. feminine. Right. As, right. So as you work into his chapter on yeah. gender roles, right. basically that's what he's saying. Yeah. What he's saying is, he's saying, no, David and Jonathan were perfectly masculine men because the range of masculine action is super wide. Hmm. And so he's saying, right. so, so he, okay. So, I agree with all so, that. So, but. so to reverse engineer it, what Preston Sprinkle's big concern is about gender, mm-hmm. st- about gender is that gender stereotypes push masculine women and feminine men, so to speak towards a trans identification yeah. because of the over stereotyping of gender. Uh, he, 
That's what he's. Are you saying that's what his argument that's is? That's what he's afraid of. And he and he does he talk, say that explicitly? Absolutely. In he, that book, that yes. he's afraid of them moving towards transgenderism because of the because of the rigidness because in it's our too, right. That's a that is the most insane argument because I, I don't would, think I, so. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then. Okay. If, if the there range are of masculinity. Of, there are lots and of people. Have you? Didn't you talked to like a trans woman before? Like a man who says that they're a woman, and you're like, okay help me understand this and they say well i've always liked this 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 this, no, this. and here's like, who i've talked to here i've okay so remember the bud, bud light guy who like <laughs> uh dylan mulvaney yeah dylan yeah. mulvaney right yeah. like you t- talk to women have you ever talked to like non like like heterosexual women about dylan mulvaney and how much they hate him other than my wife yeah i mean, I mean yeah they don't I mean, like, like him yeah. a lot of i mean they don't hate him but a lot of women are like that is the biggest caricature of a woman i've ever seen yeah. Like he's hysterical. Yeah. He's like overly feminized and vacuous. It's You're not saying the like, majority of women think this, but the there's majority. A, I, mean, I mean, there's like, a lot know, of like, I mean, I know a lot of women who would say, women this, say that. this is not what a woman is, what sure, this person sure, is doing. Sure. Because in that, in this person's mind, there's like a stereotypical feminized caricature of what a woman yeah. is, which isn't what a woman really is. Mm-hmm. And that this person, that's what this person wanted to be. Yeah. Well, if you go, that's not what a woman is, but I'm going to make a historical argument. You've got like Preston. some weird stereotypes in your head about what a woman yeah. is. And so now you feel like you have to be a woman. I agree with when that. You're probably a, fe- a kind of a feminine man and you needed to f- be a man within that range. I don't think that takes into consider. I, I make, I hear I'm going to make several arguments. One of them is historical argument. The, the range of masculinity and femininity in America has been the same for like 50 years, maybe even longer, maybe even a hundred, but let's just say 50 years. We go back 50 years and we look at what, what was stereotypically masculine and stereotypically feminine. Actually like the, the, the ranges of, of masculine, uh, of, because of the rise in homosexuality in the in the popularization of homosexuality and feminine and feminism, the ranges of of masculinity have actually widened, not in the right directions, I don't think, but they've widened in that because we yes, the, what you're saying is the yeah. stereotypes have never been easier than right now. Right. Well, the stereotypes have never been like, easier right now, broad. but they've also been the state. They, they, they were just, I mean, if, if the, if these progressives like him want to make the argument that they're so rigid in America right now, you mm-hmm. could make the argument that they were also incredibly rigid in America 50 years ago. And there wasn't a bunch of trans people. Nobody in the fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties were like, Oh my gosh, we need to widen out and tell people that it's okay to write poetry. So they don't cut their penis off. Like nobody said that that's right. a terrible argument. Maybe you stop feminizing children at a young age and sending them into public schools where they're being feminized and taught in ways that women are being that women psychologically respond to better than men and maybe you stop like if you're if your son at like at like six months you know like gravitates towards pink things don't say oh my gosh this is a a she her like like maybe stop like shoving ideology down people's throats that are that is totally jacked up and backwards and that is completely that is this gender expressive individual is crap like 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 that that uh, that just doesn't compute with me that that the argument that like we're so rigid today it's like we've been rigid historically and it's not the same fear let me say two things about that one is generally speaking i agree with you i think the phenomenon you're talking about is a broader bigger phenomenon than the one he's talking about however as a pastor i have talked to people who express the phenomenon he's talking about it it happens as significant right so like so there's one guy that I've met with a few times who doesn't identify as a woman, but has pretty strong gender dysphoria. Yeah. It gets more intense and less intense mm-hmm. based on the stress in his life. Sure. But he definitely would say coming from a very fundamentalist Baptist background where his dad was like ultra masculine, 
where he felt really ridiculed by younger men. He wasn't as attractive as he wanted to be and was fairly awkward. And so he wasn't embraced by women as a masculine figure, but in like, he felt like really, really personally hurt and so on. So for that person, that, um, hyper masculinism Mm -hmm. triggers him really powerfully and, and he struggles a lot with it. Now he's trying to grapple with it, right? but I, but like that drives it from, there's another woman right. that I know pretty well in the church. And when she was in about, about fourth grade, third or fourth grade, she was doing a lot of stuff with the boys, very much tomboy, like very, like to play sports, wanted to yeah, play football. Right. right. And, um, her teacher called her mom in for a parent conference and said in front of her, you know, this person plays all the boys sports. She does all these things. Um, I think you need to prepare yourself for the high probability that your daughter is going to, is a lesbian. Yeah. And the mom said in the parent teacher conference, she said, you need to shut your mouth. My daughter likes boy things. And he, she, he turned to her, she turned her daughter. She said, listen, darling, you're a girl who likes boy things. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with a girl liking some of those things that normally are boy things. You're perfect and totally fine. Just the way you are. Right Right. now she married a more sensitive man who is pretty masculine. She is a woman who is feminine and in some ways pretty masculine. She's like a masculine feminine woman. Mm -hmm. It works perfectly fine. She's got two kids, blah, blah, blah. But like, she's like, listen, that could have easily been a turning point for me. Yeah. Easily been a major turning point for me. The child's mind is malleable. I mean, they can change. And so the idea that, that Preston Sprinkle's getting at that latent or aggressive gender stereotypes that narrow what a man and a woman is. When these, when quote, non stereotype conforming kids hit those, it can leave really confusing impressions on them that can cause them to be more interested. Because like when you, when you go to school and you say, when you say you're trans, what do you mean? Right. It, they don't mean gender dysphoria. What they mean is the stereotype they have in their head of what a woman is. They don't conform to. Okay. That's what they mean. But, now, but, and that's what the DSM says. No, I get that. Like, but, like this like, psychological thing that right. defines what it, what trans is now. Mm-hmm. It says non-gender conforming. What yeah. does that mean? Non-gender right. conforming. I don't but know. what it means is whatever you have in your head yes, is, is this sort of is stereotype. Yeah. And if you don't conform to that, you're non-gender conforming. Therefore you're trans. Yeah. And, and I think Sprinkle is right to say that is, he's, he's not explicitly saying it. He's implicitly saying right. it. that is a insane definition. No, but right. But my I argument think he's is right about that. And framing yeah, it that way, if, I think is helpful. I think there are some major liabilities to it. If that is what he's saying, fine. But what yeah, I, it is what he's when you read the chapter, it is what he's I'll saying. I'll try to read it. But the, the thing that I'm trying to say is that he, the, that the issue that I'm having here is that these kids would have absolutely no vocabulary or understanding yes. of what this stuff is. Had that teacher not said, Hey, your daughter's going to be a lesbian or had these teachers not preyed on little children oh, right. and told them, and 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 gave them opened up their world to all these brand new uh, crazy sexual ideologies that they can now identify as because they're confused little children. And so take away all of that, what, what this ultimately does in giving right. any sort of credibility to any of that in the way that I think Preston is doing in some capacity, mm-hmm. what this ultimately does is it actually takes away the credibility from the people who actually have gender dysphoria and it lumps them in with the crowd of everybody who doesn't have gender dysphoria and they don't get the care that they deserve and everybody else gets the care that they don't deserve because they're not actually gender gender dysphoric they just are confused because everybody in their entire life lied to them for like 18 years and then they a lot of these people just kill themselves or they go off the deep end and they go do something nuts and for and for Preston to try to like 
like, like integrate this type of like, oh, we need to be compassionate and empathetic and blah, 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 blah into the church. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to tell these kids what's actually true about them, what the Bible says about them explicitly and stop giving credibility or credence to anything that the sexual ideology and the expressive individualist LGBTQ plus yeah. tyrants are saying. Okay. So attack them. So he not does physically, but intellectually he does half of that. What he doesn't, okay, so what he does do is he says. Right, but half it's none of it for me, you know. Well, no, 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 I actually think it is helpful because there's two things that have to be done there according to what you're saying. The first thing is, is that something positive and clear has to be said to them. To that break is, through. You're a man and not a woman. Yeah. And you right. need to grapple with that. Right. The second thing is, is that you have to lay the blame for treachery at the feet of the people who actually deserve it. What's being, yeah. what's being done in our culture is... Virtually all of the blame for treachery is being laid at the feet of the church and almost none at the LGBTQ advocacy totally, movement. Totally, yeah. When I think it's probably 80, 20 the other way. <sighs> yeah, not maybe not, maybe 95, 5. I mean, yeah. Good. Well, and well, I mean, we, we forget how bad some of the fundamentalist churches are. Yeah. Well, and we also forget that a lot of the LGBTQ advocacy is coming from the progressive church. And we also, also, also forget, this is against kind of what you're just saying. And that, a lot of evangelical churches won't say anything. Well, we also forget though, that a lot of young people grew up in the, in, in this social fabric and, and idea, this expressive individual social fabric. Mm -hmm. And so when they go into a regular evangelical church that says normal, regular things about the Bible that are true, they start to think that that stuff is fundamentalism. And so now the term fundamentalism has been totally mm. blown out of proportion because yeah. any church that says you can have sex with your boyfriend is now a purity culture piece of crap cesspool right. full of men who want to rape everybody. I mean, that's there really that. what they say, which some well, of those types of churches exist. Right. That is not the majority of evangelical churches. Right. You, They're not all fundamentalists. I know that Preston Sprinkle spoke somewhere in the Madison area yeah, not some, too long ago. Right. And some of the people at the church he was at thought he was a sexist. <laughs> I know. Right. And so it's kind yeah. of like, well, um, he's as, look, he he's as far to be a sexist. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I do like about Sprinkle is if you still hate him, there's no version of Christianity that you, you're going to be okay. I mean, like, there's just, nothing. what do you mean? If you, Oh, as a progressive, if you still think he's a sexist, yeah, like if you think totally. he's way out there, I'm like, I don't even know where you're at theologically. Yeah. I don't even know what okay. you're saying. So the, the thing Sprinkle does say, right. If you read his chapter, he is an incredible minimalist, and I think irresponsibly so, in what makes up masculinity and femininity. Mm -hmm. But what he does say is like is four things. He says, he says, if you read the Bible, because remember, his book is always what the Bible says about blank. I know he okay? says that. It's that's that the, the it's on the cover. Right. Yeah, and I don't know where identities, the church, and what the Bible and then has to say. He gives us say. a damned poem about gay David. Okay, but what he says in Genius. the chapter. So that's an introduction. <laughs> right introductions are usually not what you're expositing <laughs> yeah they're, they're how well, so i'm thinking about this what's the point of introduction to get people interested did it get yeah. you interested it no very got much me did. pissed i stopped yeah. reading I, I i get it i get it he's trying to get you interested but giving any sort of credit see there's a certain sacredness and holiness to the text and to the right. word of god that you don't f around with i say this president stop effing with the the sacred holiness of the bible you can make that point with yeah. like johnny and and richard some weird guys that you well, he could up. have said, he could have said, but the point he was trying to make one of was God's most masculine men. Here are the, here are the things that yeah, he, he just done lists right? and stuff like that. He, you yeah. know, and well, let me, let me give you a list of a bunch of things yeah, that were right, true about him. Right, right. He wrote poetry. Yeah. He seemed to have cried a good right. bit. He, right. And you could have gone through those things right. with King David, but he, and, gives, and you would have been like, yeah. And, and he hugged and kissed his male friend right. and he, right. And you could have been like, right. okay, like, that sounds Nick a little and I gay. Do that before. When he framed it that way, it sounds yeah, a little right, gay. So right, now, right. he lived in a culture where men hugged and kissed regularly. Yeah, right? Paul says, uh, 
I guess this is later on, but he says, you know, with the well, all over the New Testament says, greet each other with a holy greet kiss. Greet each other with a holy kiss. You're expected yeah. to kiss other people right. when you came to church. Right. That's what the Bible literally says. That's why right? our greeters at High Point give you kisses. Give you kisses when you come in. Yeah. Come in. Yeah. yeah. So like, okay. So Spring, what Sprinkle does say is he says, there's, if you if you look at the Bible and you get really ruthless about what does it literally say is masculine and what does it literally say is feminine? Yeah. Directly, he says, "I he, wasn't there. I can't tell you." He he says basically four things. Okay. <laughs> He says, one, it says that men are men and women are women. So there is an, an ontology to your masculinity and femininity that you have to accept to be a man. What did to Rosaria, be a man, you have to accept that you're a man. What was the point that Rosaria made? That he said that he wasn't in the garden, therefore he can't make any sort of judgment. I think it's the effect of the fall. How much is, if you, have a, if you have a gay orientation, is that an effect of the fall? Now, see, Rosario takes Rosario takes a historic Christian view, which everything everything bad is everything that is a dep- depravity of nature. What could possibly is be another argument? What could what what could you possibly argument argue that homosexuality isn't an effect of the because How within Calvinism within Calvinism that which is a result of the fall is an effect of original sin and bears that which is offensive to God as part of it. Now, the question, now, see, I think the problem is there's an equivocation there. What do we mean by offensive to God? Mm-hmm. Because, for example, in the Old Testament, somebody who was physically disabled couldn't enter the holy place. Right. Because they were physically disabled. Yeah. It's because they bore in their body a brokenness of nature. Right, now, does right. that mean that God hated that person? And the answer is, well, no. A woman could enter the holy place right. just because she was a woman. Yeah. Right. Or a woman was unclean because she was having her period. There's also the truth that Satan was in the garden, which is another interesting factor that you have to, right. I mean, he is sin. He is the, well, he did sin and now he's kind of the embodiment. He's the father of sin. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so the the idea here is, is like, okay, because, because Preston Sprinkle in the book in a couple places argues that there are some Christians who have very strong same sex attractions. Mm -hmm. They refer to themselves identity, small I as gay. This, yeah. Right. Yeah. But if, if he says, okay, how do you think about your your quote gayness that is the predominance of same sex attraction okay, explain to identity small i don't think people are going to understand what you mean right. by identity small so when, I, when when if i say is be gay your identity right mm-hmm. what do i mean by identity right. right identity could be a reference to our ontology or our metaphysics what am i in my very being yeah right that defines what i am and if it wasn't true about me i wouldn't be me yeah right that's my ontology yeah right my phenomenology is this is what we experience mm-hmm. right so for example, and so some of the stuff is real obvious. Like if I, if I'm talking right now, you're experiencing me talking, it's a phenomenon, right? Yeah. But I could be me and not talk. Right. Right. So that's phenomenology, right? Yeah. If I say I'm a human being. Depending on what you think your ontolo- right. ont- ontology right. That's ontology. Is. I am. Well, if you took away my human beingness, I wouldn't be me. Right. But, but what you say and what, and what you believe, well, your ontology and phenomenology kind of interact and in right. speaking. So that might have not right. been so the now, case. If I say, okay, when, sometimes when I see an attractive woman, I'm yeah. sexually attracted to her, even yeah. though I'm married to a woman who is my wife, mm-hmm. right? So is that, what is that, right? That's So Rosario would say, that's indwelling sin. Ontology. Yes. Well, presently. So I emailed her. I, I emailed her about my whole question about what does it mean to be a human being? Because if you're completely sinful, then what goes like what what leaves when you go to heaven and what stays if it's all of me? Right. Is how, bad? Do you, how do you in, yeah. in Rosario's language hate your sin without hating yourself? Yeah, I asked her specifically about mm-hmm. that because because Job was like. I hate myself. Now she directed me towards uh, John Owens on indwelling sin, which I haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. And then, and then like Romans something and it was like, start there, but like Romans something, one of the things, probably the seven, probably chapter seven, uh, seven or eight. It was, yeah. it was, it was seven into eight. It's a, it's one argument. Yeah. Let's see. 
it, it's the like why do I do why do I do what I hate and like oh. it's, just, it's just sin living in me and then you that whole I'm section is probably it. It. anyway it. the point is is that what I'm saying is is that if I, so let's say I had very predominant Romans same sex, 721 yeah. yeah let's say I had very predominant same sex attraction how do I quote label that as a subset of who I am yeah. right so I could so in historic Christian doctrine there is my nature yeah. that which is my ontology without which I would not be me yeah. There is my condition, yeah. which is the condition my nature is in right now. This is a serious question. People need right, to right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And then there is my action, yeah. what I do, right? And so if I found myself very strongly same-sex attracted, so so for example, I am attracted to sexually attractive women, yeah. and my, my body or my psychology does not differentiate among post-pubescent women. So I can be attracted to any woman who's fertile. Okay. Which is scary. Right. Cause that can get down to like 13. Right? Right, right. But like my, my body's not gonna be like, Oh, she's 22. She's disgustingly young. Mm. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Like You're when saying, you start being attracted yeah. to girls, right. whatever age that is, you right. just start adding ages. You don't really subtract them. Yeah. Now I'm not generally relationally attracted to 20 year old girls because they seem the, like twits. Yeah, right. Right. But sexually they're attractive. Right. Yeah. So like, no, I was gonna drive some people what do crazy. I do with that? Yeah. Like, and so what the way I understand it theologically is my sex nature, my maleness that is drawn towards femaleness in order to procreate and to create oneness and union is part of my nature. My, it's a gift of God mm-hmm. right now in the fall, it's yeah. been broken You're right? so that I, it's now in the condition of being inflamed. So now it like it's it strikes out towards other people. It draws right. me sexually towards people I shouldn't be bonding Your with. Your desires are now are now right. out of order and right. all jacked and up. And so in yeah. and, and Rosari would say that it isn't indifferent. That is something God hates. That yes. doesn't mean He hates you. Right. Okay. It, he hates that condition so, in you. So why is this important? People say why, why is this important? Right. Well, here's why this is important. What does Jesus mean to be born again? And what does it mean to be saved and resurrected right. in Christ? And what does it and, mean to kill the flesh? And what does it mean to kill the flesh? Right. right. And, so, and what are you being born about? Because the flesh yeah. is an internal condition. It's not just sins. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So if I'm strongly, if I'm strongly lecherously attractive, if I'm, if I'm, yeah. if my sexual orientation is to be a lecturer, mm-hmm. to be drawn sexually to women way too young for what I should be interested in, yeah. allowing them to be loved by other men their age and to be, and to be treated in With fertility and love the way relation. they should be. Okay, right. Yeah. So I'm trying to steal those. A lecher steals both sexuality and youth. Okay. Right. That is not ordinary to him. So, so that's how I, I am oriented to be a lecturer, like most men, right yeah. under the fall. Right. What do I think of that now? Now, one way to think of it is that it is indwelling sin. Yeah. And I should directly hate it. But I should hate it without without thinking it is myself, and so I should hate it without hating myself. That can be really hard to do. It's impossible. I mean, this is my, because for people, now, so here's now, the, now, let me give you the yeah, other option right. and then you could critique it. The other thing, another way I could look at it is that it's in an, it's an, it's an impairment that is indifferent in the sense that I'm not at fault for it existing. Impair. Oh. Hmm. Right. Like it's like a disability. Right. Right. And so sprinkle has relationship with some quote gay men. That is men who are phenomenologically same sex attracted yeah. and therefore in that sense, gay right. who think of it like that. Right. They think of their same sex attraction. They can't, they can't seem to change it. it. It was there before they knew anything. They are not living in accordance with it. 
Right. But they don't hate themselves for being it. Yeah. So how do you think about that? So, and some of them, what they do is they say, I think of it like a disability. Right. But, but and Rosario says that you're not going far enough. You're not going far enough because Christ, what it desires is something God hates. Yeah. And therefore it is partially indwelling sin. And part of what Christ fulfilled. God doesn't hate you for it. He doesn't hate you because you have that impairment, but he does hate what the impairment desires. And so the desire of the impairment is hateful to God. Yeah. And you have to think of it that way. Otherwise you will in some way make excuses for it. You'll let it right. live in you. And, and you so, have to kill right. It. And so your desires are at the, at the core of this question is what you desire and what you don't desire. And as a Christian, at least my, my, this is why Rosaria and, and I, me, I, I'm like, I don't know. And it's a legitimate I'm not trying to be antagonistic, but I don't know if people are Christians who think that they can't repent from homosexual, their homosexual quote unquote orientation, because that upends the entirety of the gospel. As far as I can tell one, I know you have to have a Calvinistic perspective real quick. The the T total depravity. You have to assume that to recognize everything else that Rosaria says and that I'm about to say. Sin has affected something in all of your faculties. Exactly. So you're totally depraved and you deserve to burn in hell for eternity. God hates what you are and he is justified in throwing it into eternal conscious torment. Great. Okay. I agree with that. Everybody agrees with that. uh, Who kind of takes this viewpoint and that because of that, when you are affected by the gospel, the idea of being reborn or born, born again that's not like a like a saying. It's not like a little saying. It's like an actually like a true, real, transcendent, biblical. That is the gospel. It's being reborn into a new creation, and and it's all over the New Testament. Talk of being reborn into a new creation, and born into the new self, being brought up into new yeah. life. Ever, it's all over the place. And that the old passes away. You put to death what is earthly in you. Like that stuff dies, which I would assume means just ceases to exist. It stops being there. And there's a new version of you that exists. Now, the question that... So but aren't there, aren't there things that you would consider part of your condition that you believe is part of what Paul would put under the flesh? That is, things that are not well rightly ordered according yeah, to your ma- nature. The, the the that you've flesh. been trying to kill as a Christian and that just seem to not die. Yeah, and, and you uh, you understand. Well, yeah. it's my it's my job to keep killing them. Yeah, right. But they may. I don't know when they're going to die. Yeah, and that's a difficult thing. Like I don't. I'm and not if, saying if a that, quote gay Christian or a same sex predominantly same sex Christian said that's how I experience it for me is that I I keep con- kill, continually killing the temptation. Yeah. Um. But I. I haven't been able to kill the impairment. Functionally, I don't have a problem with that person, but also I, I, I actually. The problem though then is, is like, then what do you do? The longing? Do you hate the longing? Are you supposed to hate the longing? Well, here's my issue is one, I actually don't think, and this is, this, I don't know what people think about this. I don't think you've actually repented of it. If you're longing for it. I don't think you've actually repented of it if you can't get over it. Yeah, I think you've repented of the like one singular sin. So let's just say like let's sexual sin is like a big one. Like I, you watch porn every night. okay? Mm -hmm. and then you pray. I mean, I used to do this in high school every Mm -hmm. night. I watch porn. Then I pray, God, forgive me. that. I was like, good. Check that off. God's Mm -hmm. forgive me. It's like, no, he didn't forgive me because I didn't repent of it. I mean, he didn't see you have to repent. Like, so I was going to do it the next day. My, my desires, my, 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 my loves, my, my priorities, they were all still jacked up. I wasn't repenting of anything and walking and turning away from anything. I was, I was using 
grace and forgiveness as a cop out to continue mm-hmm. to do the thing that I wanted to do because I wanted to sin and I just wanted to feel good about it afterwards. I and think that's the right attitude towards indulgence or okay, sin or sins of presumption. So I yeah. think that I do think that there should be space. I do think that there is a Christian doctrine of infirmity that like people don't overcome some sins immediately. I agree with that. I agree with that. But you have to, again, the question is not and that they might not be able to control their, like right. completely control the changes of their inner psychology. Right, but the question that the 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 thing that Rosaria is trying to discuss is not whether or not you you're going to str- struggle and fight through sin. It's whether or not you think that that thing is is by or is is um what would you like ontological yeah an ontological fact of your actual being that mm-hmm. homosexuality is a part of who I am. Therefore, it cannot be repented of because how could you repent of you which right. in my opinion that's what the gospel is you you repent of you like you're the problem you're the one who got in the way of christ yeah. and you killed him and you murdered god <sighs> okay so yes yeah so i think see because i i really think that the problem here is i think the problem here is is frankly linguistic sloppiness like I from think, from who i think if I was a parent and I was sorting out the kids, yeah, I would say to Rosario, I feel like you're being too narrow in your interpretation of how, the, how these words are being used and you're not, you should explain more. I think you're right, but I think you need to explain more. You think she's being too and narrow? And I think I do. And I think, I think sprinkling is being, being too, too evasive. Broad. Okay. I, I, he's just being too evasive. Cause, cause when he was, when I, when I saw him right. speak, so, so I've, I've read the book, but I've also seen Preston speak in person for probably 13 hours. Sounds right. Awesome. It, it, it was tough actually. Yeah. It's like, cause some of the stuff is great. Yeah. And some of the stuff it's like, would you just straightforwardly say something? Yeah. Cause he's just, he is such an equivocating speaker cause he doesn't want to hurt anybody. And for him, these issues are super nuanced. Like he is, he is trying to thread this needle between the gay community and the church, right. which I'm really grateful for. I'm not sometimes there's I'm like, a certain level of nuance that isn't anything. And you can't sit here and like, and, I'm but that's so, why I think Rosario is so frustrated with him. Yeah. Cause she was the, the like gay study, lesbian right. studies person. She's like, look, it's not this nuance. It's not it's nuance. very straightforward. Right. And, yeah. and, and you can't like, like the, you but can't you see, sit here and call yourself a theologian and then tell me, that everything is too nuanced for us to possibly understand and we can't give an objective answer on it. Theology isn't the study of how to make things not recognizable in scripture. It's the study of scripture and how to make things recognizable and understandable. That's what the study of God. Okay. The study yeah. of God, which is in okay, scripture. But I, like when I deal with people who are gender dysphoric in my ministry, I feel like I look a little bit more like Preston than like Rosario. And I even would, though it's Rosaria, Rosaria, uh, even though I, but you, you do Rosario and I do sprinkles, you know. That's yeah. Well, even though like I agree with Ro- Rosaria's view, essentially. Right. Like like when, whenever somebody says I'm trans and I think they mean identity, big eye, they're ontologizing yeah, right, it. Right, 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 I say you are not a woman. Like you're like, very clear. Rosaria clear. Yeah. I'm like, look, yeah. you like if what we're talking about is your metaphysical identity mm. as a being. 
You are not a woman. And I think that your approach, I think that your approach is, it, 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 that approach is fine. But I think that if you're going to say, if your approach for the big eye and the small eye are going to be different, I think that's the reason why we're losing the war in the church. It needs to be the same approach because I don't think that most people have the capacity to create differentiations between big eye and little eye de- identity. And I think what, that yeah, you have to so, tell okay, them. So he, this is where, and so this actually got brought up. I was listening to Preston speak in person Yeah. because what I, what I wanted to say was, Preston, here's your problem. Okay. Here's what I think Preston's problem is straight down the line. Okay. I don't think it's that he's a heretic. I think his problem is he wants to be pastoral for a public audience. And I don't think you can do that. No. What he wants to do is sit down with an individual person, like a counselor Mm -hmm. and walk through these idiosyncratic dynamics of like identity, big eye. What is your ontology? Who are you before God? Okay. Identity, small eye. Who do you feel like you are? And who have you felt like you are all the years growing up? Yeah. Now, how do, how are these going to interact? If you're going to trust God, how do you take this, mm. this phenomenological identity, small eye that you've been experiencing all these years and what God has spoken and showed about himself an identity, big eye, that you're an image bearer in the Holy God, mm-hmm. that you are your gender, that you're actually supposed to express your gender. So other people know what your gender is and a couple other things about gender. How do you embrace those with all the wideness God gives for the other expressions of your gender? Right. And that's a stupid ass question. I say, you no, don't, I don't, you don't, so. that's not that's a how exactly question. That's exactly what I do with people. But that's not a how question. You say, here's what you do, bud. You, you don't say like condescending me like, like, but you say, here's what you do, man. You get rid of the thing that you think is true and you accept in obedience and faith the thing that God says is true. You do not, it's not a how to integrate the thing. It's a, which one do I get rid of and you have to get rid of one because you can't serve two masters you either believe in what god says or you either believe in what you think that you are Mm -hmm. inside of you based off of whatever you feel today and like we could make all the historical theological scientific Mm -hmm. reasoning for why you should believe in what god says but at the end of the day you have to pick what serve what master you want to serve because those two things aren't compatible with each other i agree but one of the things sprinkle is trying to do is to decouple what doesn't belong there so like if I say if I say to a woman and she's like, well, I don't know if I want to get married because like women who get married, they like have children. Yeah. They have to love their husbands. <laughs> they get abused. They their work is stolen from them. Like yeah. all these things. Right. And yeah. I go, oh, 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 oh. Right. OK, yes. Children who get married, love their women who get married, love their husbands. Yeah. Women who get married should intend to have children. Yeah. They don't all get abused. Right. Like not abuse. Big A. Like, I mean, we all hurt each other because we're yeah. sinners, but. But no, we're not the everybody's context, getting beat. But by not them. every yeah, I'm getting abused or right, and, and they're not getting their work stolen. The yeah, man, the right. man is getting exploited. That is used up for the good of someone else. Yeah, just as much as the woman is. Right. She's usually doing it in her body with fertility, yeah. and he's doing it by working longer yeah. hours and trying to move up and make more money. Yeah. But both of them are pouring their lives out for this family yeah, that they're making right. together. Yeah. So it's not those five things. It is the first two things you said, and it's not the last two things you said it. Right. So what I want to do with that woman is like decouple things that don't go together. What Sprinkle is trying to do is to say, okay, if you think being a man is accepting that you're male being distinguishable from a woman and wearing suits at church and liking to get in fist fights, those don't all go together in God's word. Here's what being the man is. Being a man is at least is these four things, right? And being a woman is these four things. Mm -hmm. And then there's most of what God tells us to be is to be holy. And those are gender indistinguishable. Love, joy, peace, patience, patience, good, faithless. That's for everybody, right? Right. So that stuff is basically distinguishable, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, so so don't get bogged down in that you have to wear suits or you can't wear pink or whatever. Mm -hmm. That stuff is like all stereotypical crap. That's not in the Bible. But, But the Bible does say if you're a man, you're a man. The okay. Bible does say that you should be able to be distinguished from a woman. Yeah. 
by people's sight culturally and socially because you you should be able to embrace that you are a man. So you should wear male clothes. He actually quotes Deuteronomy and First Corinthians eleven and says that there seems to be this this idea in the scriptures women that you wearing should be, head coverings. You should be. Is that what that one is? In, yeah, and what he argues is is that you should be distinguishable as your gender. Sure. Right. Which I mean, for him, that's a big statement. No, it to is a big people. statement. But I'm also like, why the frick are we having that conversation? I mean, it's right. not that that's well, because his fault he's, that he's we're trying having to have a conversation with, with people trans who are people. having that conversation. People, right. Yeah. Who are identifying. I, that I'm way. not mad at him for that. I just think it's right. insane. Yeah. yeah. And he's trying to tell parents, what do you do if your kid comes home and says they're flipping trans and they won't even talk to you? Yeah. Like, how do you even approach them? And, and if they well, the Bible doesn't say this. He's, and so right. he's trying to put together a chapter to say, OK. Like a lot of the stuff that they say, the Bible doesn't say about gender. Yeah. You should agree with them. But you, you do, should say, you're right. The Bible doesn't say you have to be like that. But what the Bible does say is these three things. Yeah. And you have to embrace these three things to embrace your nature and to embrace God. But you do you recognize can. what this stuff is doing because Sprinkles not being as clear as he possibly can be on, on how people should interact. Because, because he's like a, Let's just say he's like a forefront leader in this topic, specific topic right. in the evangelical church. There you go. Got There's guys a like, lot of people listening to him. You see this Andy Stanley crap. He did this whole conference and, and Gavin Ortland did a YouTube video on it. Gavin, mm -hmm. right? The younger mm -hmm. one, I think. Yeah. And with Sean, whole, with Sean McDowell, right? Uh, he didn't do it with McDowell. He just did a, a video about Andy Stanley and this conference that they did oh. on homosexuality and oh, transgenderism. Was it that Beckett guy who did, did it with McDowell? Uh, yeah, maybe. But Stanley basically was saying... You know, we draw circles, not lines. And, and Orlin was like, yeah, well, you just drew a line and saying that you draw circles, not lines. So mm -hmm. you can't say that. Like he kind of like kind of mm -hmm. tore the whole thing apart. But essentially, like it's all trickled down of this nonsense because Stanley's churches. I mean, you read the literature in it. it they're totally compromised on it. They, like you can be you can be you, you know, if your kid comes home and says that they're gay, just accept them for their homosexuality. But like, you know, don't act out on it. Or like not even don't act out on it anymore. I think it's just accept them for what it is. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh, this was such a helpful conference. It's like, yeah, it was helpful because you're a coward and you don't actually want to say things that are true. And now you're this mm -hmm. The pastor of the biggest church in the freaking country just told you, just gave you the green card to f lie to your kids, yeah. lie to your coworkers, yeah. lie to your family, not lie to your friends. Yeah. It's like, come on. You just compromised more than people think Joel Olstein compromised. Uh, yeah, I like, like Joel Olstein compared to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'll go to Joel Olstein's yeah. church now. Yeah. yeah. Like, but come, I'm like, yeah. come okay, on. So, how, where, so Sean this Mc, is trickle so down. Josh McDowell's son, Sean McDowell, who's a professor of theology at Talbot Seminary now. Yeah. And Talbot Seminary is not a woke, super woke place. It's right. it's pretty not woke, generally speaking. Um, so Sean McDowell critic openly criticized. He went to the Andy Stanley conference. He had to, he was like, I need to see this for myself. Mm -hmm. He went there and he's like, this was off the rails. He endorsed Sprinkle's book. What the hell? I don't understand what is missing in these people's brains. No, no, I so so I I read Sprinkle's book and there's part of me that goes, I wonder where Preston's gonna be in 10 years. When he's Andy Stanley's age. Is he going to be Andy Stanley? Yes. And see, see, I am concerned about that. He is going to be Andy Stanley. Cause because is, it seems like he's going egalitarian. He, to, he, he's not making, he's, he's, it's not egalitarian. It's not all that. That's all byproduct of it. He's becoming a postmodernist, which is where you go. Like he can't make objective statements. It is, it is like pulling teeth for him see, to I say something objectively is true and objectively false. He can't do it. And when you can't do it, or when you start to make arguments, they're like, oh, I wasn't in the garden. It's like, what you okay. also weren't there when I, Paul wrote what he wrote about homosexuality and Romans, think, buddy. Okay. So why I, do you have so, an opinion on that? Andy, I just, I, yeah, I, so that's, <laughs> I, yeah. I, okay. I won't defend that statement. What I will defend is 
like and I so this this kind of brings it full circle to Ben Shapiro. Yeah. People who speak publicly that ben much Shapiro's a heretic. about issues that are new kind of nuanced or that are very yeah, difficult to speak about. Or whatever. At some point they're gonna lose their discipline and they're gonna say something they that is a cop out. Do you think this is a nuanced issue though? That's the question yeah. I would say to Preston. I'd say, is transgenderism and homosexuality, and I'm not talking about as it relates to. I do, I do to, think it's the actually. Yes, I am talking about how it relates to the ontological nature of man. Is it a nuanced question? And my answer is, it. My answer would be like, read the Bible, and it's so clear that you, it's not nuanced. I'm not even sure what you mean by nuance in this. So, because like the transgender question, so to speak to me is an amalgamation of a hundred questions. I'm, I'm saying, and yeah, some of yeah. them I think are not very nuanced and some of them I'm like, uh, that feels new, really nuanced. Uh, I'm saying it is it, transgenderism and homosexuality. All that is encompassed within the LGBTQ plus, uh, ideology that all of that stuff. Is it, is it nuanced? Is the question around whether or not th- that umbrella is part of a human being's big eye identity and ontological purpose and teleology for life. Like, is that what a human being is, is what's encapsulated in the LGBTQ plus ideology? Like, is that a nuanced question biblically? Like, can we look at the Bible and be like, Oh yeah, this is really tough. Like, Oh, like does Paul, like, what does Paul say about homosexuality? And what does he say about, it's like, no, Mm -hmm. Like it, there's way more on sexual ethics and gender. You know, you talk about this. There's so much in the New Testament on sexual ethics. It's like more than anything else. It's like mm-hmm. actually like this is like the one topic that we really have a lot of stuff to pull from. And so when somebody's trying to tell me that this is all nuanced and like the transgender thing is nuanced and whether or not it's like it's part of your sin nature or whether you can repent from it, it's like, no, this isn't. You wouldn't say the same thing about greed. You wouldn't say the same thing about murder. You wouldn't say the same thing about stealing. You wouldn't say the same thing about lying i don't care how many differentiations and variations no, no, there are i would sins. i would say i would say the same thing as i would say about that i would be consistent on this relative to the internal structures of the temptations around those things but i that was so if, if, I you, said, if you say no, are you prone to hate other people i'd be like yeah sometimes and they'd be like okay what do you do with that is that part of your identity or whatever i'd be like no i cannot count that as part of my identity as I would hating count other as people part, right i would say well, I would say I'm not holding on, holding on to it as part of my identity because you're it's a Christian. It's not, yeah, right. It's something that has to die, yeah. right? Yeah. But my my capacity to hate right. what's wrong is from God, I think. And yeah. my capacity to love what yeah. is good is so from you God. Have to have, you so have in to my have... identity is the capacity to love and hate. Okay. My capacity it's... for disgust is good. So now, there's there's different how ones it's like ordered anger and is hate. broken. Yeah. That disordering is part of the expression of sin in my life. Right. The so there's different ones like anger right. and hate that are more nuanced, but, but see, things I like think, lying, I think you wouldn't say that about lying and stealing that God, that, that, that there's variations of, of lying and stealing that you can participate in because God is okay with it. You wouldn't say that about those things. And I'm saying it's as clear as that, like homosexuality and transgenderism is as clear as don't lie and don't steal. Now there's other sins that we can have nuanced conversations about, like, anger and hate. And I mentioned that in the email that I sent to yeah. you and Jill. I don't. Well, okay. But I think, I think even that like transgender, is it black and white? So I think the question, if you have a human male and that human male says, I am a woman. Yeah. Is this a human male or is this a human woman? I think the question, I think the answer, this is a human male is black and white. I think it's yeah. binary. I think the answer yeah. is clear. And straightforward yeah, both yeah, biblically yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, I, I also think talking, biologically. It's, right? it's, is it aunt? Is it? But the question: yeah, what's How true does identity? this person then, who feels that they're quote feels that they're yeah, a woman right. and is a man, mm-hmm. how do they navigate that as a person? Right. 
with the difficulties and distresses that it creates. But that's not an ontological question. I think Rosario thinks that's more black. <laughs> Rosario, sorry. <laughs> thinks that's more black and white. That's not an ontological question, right? though. You're trying to say that that's not, that's not an ontological question. That's a, that is a question on how somebody proceeds out of what they believe is ontologically true. So, but like, what I would say is an ontological question is, to anybody, I would say, what does God think is true about this thing, about your big I identity? Okay, so that's the ontological objectivism that is ultimately true no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what you think about this thing ontologically, you're, you're, you're wrong if you don't agree with God. Now, how you proceed is all based off of what you think ontologically. So how somebody... That's correct. I acts that. within their transgenderism or homosexuality, like, like, yeah, that might be a conversation, but that's not an ontological conversation. That's like a conversation on on function and practicality and methodology, rather than mm-hmm. rather than on who, who I am, big I identity, right? So that's mm-hmm. not an ontological question. I don't think it very at the very least. It, I mean, it might be an important question, but it's not what yeah. I'm trying to say at the core. So when, when I have when I have tried to read some of these side A and side B quote Christian gay men and women, yeah. Um, Side A being people who like think the Bible affirms it and side B being like, you can call yourself gay, but the Bible says homosexual sex is wrong and you can't do it. Right. But it's okay to say I'm gay because you're just really speaking English. You're not saying something (laughs) false, Um, which I disagree. I don't think that's probably wise. Uh, But anyway, the point, my point here is to say what they are interested in is not the question of, am I a woman or am I like, is being gay fine? Mm -hmm. Right. Most of those people would say, no, the Bible is clear. Homosexual sex is a sin. Okay. Mm-hmm. What they're mainly interested in and is lust is a what sin. do I do now? Like, right. how do I live my life? How do I look at myself? Right. How do I judge my internal happenings? Yeah. How, like, how, like if I, if I'm walking through my life and I find myself just sexually attracted to men and not women and I'm a man. Yeah. Right. Like, how do I think and feel about that? How yeah. do I hate my sin and not hate myself? Yeah. Right? So I think it's, just, it's, that's the age old Christian and so, question. And so for some people Preston has been working with, Preston's right. been working with, they've said, I think of it first like an impairment or a disability. See, it's oh, something, okay, it's something okay, about okay, me that is it. not in accordance with nature. So you and I it's don't. It's not in accordance right. with nature. It's, it's ante fus, right? It's, yeah. it's, and it's also um, something I can't act out on, right. but it's also something I I don't know if I can physically change about me. It may be a function of me that I can't just psychologically undo. Okay. So that's that. So that's where we're, I think that's where you and I are getting off because. Right. And so my question for Rosario is if, if a predominantly same sex attracted man says, I think of it like an impairment or Mm -hmm. a disability rather than like the object of my internal hatred, though, when it produces a temptation, I look at that with objective hatred because now it is pushing a desire of something God hates. Right. Right. But you're so, already new. I think I, I'm not going to speak for Rosario, but I'll speak for me. What you're already doing in the explicitly doing in that is that you're already uh, complex, complexifying and nuancing something that doesn't need to be nuanced. This is what my, so when I sent that email right, to so you, the, you think you're saying the condition and the impulse should both be considered under the flesh. And what we're doing with the flesh is we're killing it. We're killing it. And we're, well, but my answer would be you repent. You don't sit here and psychoanalyze your situation because you can't. Because you're, I said this in my email to you and Jill. You, nobody has the capacity to be able to psychoanalyze their sin without bias. You can't do it properly because you're freaking sinful. So you're gonna just continue to manifest sin all over the place when you try to when you try to psychoanalyze what people have done to you and what you've done to other people. You're just going to 
totally complexify it and make it so, so so confusing and so jacked up that you can't possibly have any understanding of it. And that's what these guys have done. It's like, this is so confusing and so jacked up. No, like, but Jesus's answer to all these things were very simple. Repent. That was his answer. Repent and sin no more. Or if somebody sins against you, forgive them and forgive them over and over and over. If somebody sins against you seven times in one day in the same sin, you continue to forgive every single time. That's what Jesus said. Like it's the, this is why I'm like, that's what my frustration is with like Oaks and stuff that we're going to do podcast on because the, 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 the high point people want to make things so complex so that we all feel really smart. We all feel like we're Nick and we're not like Jesus. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking through stuff on a deeper level, but Jesus's answers to these things were very clear because he knew that when people start to psychoanalyze crap, they go crazy. And so he's just like, look, Repent and forgive people. And that's what these, the answer should be. He doesn't need to write a book. He just needs to say, repent, stop doing this. I don't know. I don't know why you're going too deep. I think people are going way too deep. They're nuancing it so that they don't have to deal with the command to repent. I think that, I think one of the things, okay, so there's two issues. Let me, let me clarify the point I was making before and then try to wrap up with this one. One of the things that makes me feel like Preston Sprinkles project is doomed is because I don't think you can take a pastoral approach publicly without taking responsibility to be a public spokesman. Yeah. What does he say he is? He, so what, so when he was asked about this and the last thing I was at, cause I was going to ask him this exact question. He basically said, I, my, my ministry is about helping people individually talk with individual trans or LGBT identifying people and to help guide them back to obedience to Jesus. And I do this by speaking in front of crowds. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's just crazy. Now, now in his defense, usually he's speaking to church groups that are, are closed groups yeah. who of people, oh, just people who are interested in this. Well, his talks are really private. They're often not recorded and not distributed. But he does have a podcast. He does. And he, does. he writes books. Correct. That goes out to millions of people. Right. So, Right. And so my, so my critique of him in that line, besides just some equivocating, I think in his speech yeah, is, and sometimes lack a lack of discipline mm-hmm. where he'll say something like I wasn't in the garden. How can I know? And just mm-hmm. not pay attention to 2000 years of theology on like sin in the garden. Yeah. Right. Um, is um, not taking public responsibility for what, how your views are going out and affecting people. Yeah. Because you, you really have a pastoral intention. Yeah. You can have a pastoral intention, but it's kind of like when I get pissed at people at the university because they come up with like, like critical theories, like there are certain critical theories when they stay at the university, when people are like in a very nuanced way, trying to work through issues of oppression and questions. And is there a systematic injustice in this thing or not? When that metastasizes and goes outside of the university, yes, right. it loses all of its positive nuance, yep. retains mostly its negative nuance. It gets marshaled in people's vanity and this pride is exactly, and self justification. That's, that's, you're saying exactly be, what I think. And it becomes yeah. this horrible, yeah, public popular ideology. Yeah. Like I've sat down with a with a Christian, and not even a popular ideology, a, a popular methodology. Because yes. what people start to do then with the ideology right. is thinking that they themselves, with their like 100 or 110 IQ, can actually engage in that sort of thought process and that no somebody with the 140 and they don't IQ even can know actually. The definition, yeah. They have no so, idea. What so it there's means, an yeah. African American woman who's a scholar in yeah. Madison who is one of the original critical scholars. Oh geez. And um, she, and we had a really nice Christian conversation about it, and she was like, she, she was Christian? like, this is a method, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think a, like a pretty biblical one. Oh. She's like, this is a methodology by which we try to unmask when people speak like they're speaking objectively, but they really are trying to maintain their power. And that does happen. People yeah. do sin like that. And so what we're trying to do is try to say, okay, this is a method by which we would unmask that where it is. Now, does it have false positives? Does it unmask things that aren't even there? So, yeah, I mean, it does have that potential. And we yeah. got to be careful with this. A use, but critical theory is supposed to be a tool. It's not supposed to be a conclusion. Right, right. And so I had this really nice conversation with her, which I thought was pretty nuanced. I was mm-hmm. pretty happy with it. I was like, look, if you're doing the critical scholarship, you're doing it in the university. And then you tell us some conclusions that you come to. I think I might be able to live with that. But when that theory metastasizes into the public, yep, yeah. it, it becomes a monster. That's, and yeah. So but now. Why is that? Because people, because people don't like to recognize the fact that they're not as smart as the people who are coming yeah. up with these well, conclusions. Yeah, and it's a philosophy that doesn't popularize well. Yeah. Like, and that's one of the problems. And this is a problem with, but this is a perpetual problem with human beings. Like think yeah. about politics. Like yeah. why can't oh, politicians yeah. actually talk about things as they really are? Well, it's because it's too complicated. You have to simplify it for the news yeah. cycle and the news bites. And so, and so we hate when they popularize that because we're mm-hmm. like, why do you have to turn it into this binary stupid thing when it's way right. more complicated than that? It's because, well, because people can't take nuance. That's why. Okay. okay so let me say this. So, and that's why the Lord gives commands. He's like, do this. Right. And that's why the Bible says that, that if that the, the, that the statutes of the Lord make the simple, that is the not so smart wise, yeah. or not that educated wise, yeah. right? because he, God gives you a number of conclusions. Yeah. Okay. If you learn these 40 conclusions, yeah. you're going to be, and you live according to them, right. you'll be fine. So how much arrogance does it take to try to create, to try to find the nuance that God doesn't give you because he knows you can't handle it? That's my, that's really the question here because, and I'm not like, okay, I think God gives certain small subsets of people the capacity to understand certain small subsets, subsets of the nuances that he's, that have, that are like one level deeper than the, the than the, uh, the conclusion. But, but my, my serious question is, is like, and this is going to sound like kind of Marxist, I guess, like, like, to be honest with you, I don't really want anybody, like I want pastors to say, here's what you do and here's what you don't do and not which you're like, you do this all the time. So, I mean, uh, but you like, you break things down psychologically, philosophically, and theologically. And because you can understand it, because you're in the top, let's just say you're top 1.1% of smart people. Let's say 0.5. I don't know. It's not, I'm, I'm like top 7%. It's not, I'm oh, not really? nearly that elite in my intelligence. Okay. So you're top 7%. Now people in your church are maybe top, like, I don't know, 40% or something, but not that the, the differentiation between seven and 40 or whatever. The is, main difference is that I'm way, way, way more educated than most people in the congregation in these areas. Right. And, but you do have a higher IQ and you're smarter. Than, I mean, you have more information intake and you can process it quickly. And so, right. and you can connect the main all the dots. Though, other and people you, are in is they do not have my, they don't have not just as much education, but the particular education. Yeah, sure. That, because I pursued this education to do this. Right. Right. And you're somewhat of they a general education to do other things. Yeah. Right? And so my issue is when you preach something from the pulpit or when Preston Sprinkles puts something out, if whatever mm-hmm. to a multitude of people, it's like in, Unless you are in a situation like we're in right now, which is why I like podcasting, where you like are it's structured and you're kind of forced to explain all of the intricacies in their in their excruciating detail. And, you know, we don't even have enough time to go into all the detail of everything. Mm-hmm. Like you, I, my opinion is like just shut up because it's not yeah. helping people. I, so so this gets at something that I think is the opposite of what you're saying. So 
I think what you're saying is given the situation we're in right now, it would be better to say, do this, don't do that. Yes. People need the structure, right, okay. but they can't and understand I, I, why. I do think that some of that is necessary. Like, and I, and there are some subjects where I, I do this. Like I, I just say abortion is almost always wrong. Yeah. The, the number of, of situations where it is morally permissible are extremely yeah. small. Let me specify them. Ectopic pregnancy, the mother's imminent physical death. You think that? We could talk about that. Some, I, yeah. I don't know where I stand if if the mother's almost going to die. I think it's the the selfless thing is to the selfless thing is to let the baby be born and to die because you know where you're going. You're going to heaven. Or, or okay, yeah, we could discuss that another time. Yeah. But like, but I feel like I can say this is this, that is that, right? Yeah. I think one of the issues with the the New Testament is is that um, we're not supposed to live under a new law. Yeah. The point is we are supposed to grow up in maturity into freedom so that we can adjudicate these things as we move along. The problem is is that if we don't understand the truth of God that is in his laws, and then we don't really understand the dynamic of the gospel, um, we will not be mature and we will think we are. Yeah, but we'll actually the, be antinomians. But where is the starting point? Because the starting point, as far as I can tell biblically, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. That that the fear of the Lord, I think, produces obedience, yes. which then produces understanding. It doesn't, I, it's not yeah. understanding produces obedience, produces the fear of the Lord. It's actually the other way around. I think a lot of people want to try to understand things without being obedient to the, to the commands. So they don't have the character and virtue to actually be able to intake all this stuff. And then they think that that would produce a fear of the Lord, although they've already jacked that, what the fear of the Lord is at that point, because they've redefined all of the words because of what their understanding isn't Christian. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think this is one of the reasons why in Rosaria's book, mm -hmm. she spends so much time focusing on the nature of the Bible. Yeah. That the yeah, Bible I is just, was... it is right. Yeah. And that is the starting point. This is the assumption. It is the infallible yeah, word right. of God. That's it. And because I think she feels like that has been implicitly eroded that people yeah. who believe, yeah. they say they believe in the authority of scripture, it's implicitly eroded. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that is... Gregory Kokel and I talked a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, but I think the reason for that is people really are intellectually struggling with the implications of what they believe are valid scientific beliefs. Like that some there are things about the nature of how we experience our bodies, including our sexualities, yeah. that do not just seem like sin. They seem like, unless sin is a broader thing than that, like that there are that there is sin, hmm. that there is impairment, like just things about us that we seem to be born Weird, with, yeah. right? And because like even um, like in the book, The End of Gender by Deborah So, one of the things that she argues in that book is she's like, it's not just being gay that you're born with mm -hmm. that's essentially genetic or, or she uses hormone theory, which mm -hmm. I think has been, I mean, my experience, my we gotta release that, it's but been you gotta, debunked, yeah. but uh, she seems to think it's correct. So maybe she knows something I don't. <laughs> Um, but in addition, she, she actually argues because she's a, she's a sex theorist yeah. and she's like, she works for Playboy. Right. And oh, so really, really? Yes. And so her argument is that wow. even, even people's interest in different sexual kinkinesses yeah, is all yeah. inborn. Yeah. She's like, that's all just inborn. Like, you, like you're like, you're born with those kinds of interests and curiosities and so on. And they're different for people and it's, you're just born that way. And I'm, I'm like, well, okay, well, fine. But like, you still have to figure out what you're going to do with these sorts of things. Right? right. But I think what people are struggling with is if you have somebody who has no idea how they became gender dysphoric, but they definitely are gender dysphoric. Yeah. Right. And we, and it seems to be very durable. So you look across yeah. different churches, different spiritual expressions, different spiritual disciplines, different churches, spiritual theologies and spiritualities. What you see is mm -hmm. lots of people doing all kinds of different methodologies mm -hmm. and formations apparently fairly faithful in their Christian spirituality, experiencing highly durable mm -hmm. indwelling sin experiences 
if that's what we want to call these sort of these orientations. Right. Sure. And so like, for example, Exodus International just fell apart. Like, like for, so Exodus International was the, the premier ex gay ministry in America for 15 years. It was in California and it was basically this, it was like if it, and it said for years that if you were highly religiously motivated and went through the discipleship program that they did, that 80% of people who were gay can be not gay. Wow. Right. Wow. And it just fell apart. Like people, like uh, people were going back. They weren't changed. Like, and the research that um, I think it was Stanton Jones was part of not too long ago. I can't, I, mean, I can't remember the name, but there was, there was like a, a study of a hundred people who went through like gay change therapies. Right. Yeah. And the interest of that study was focused on, did it harm people? Because the argument in the gay community yeah, is always like this, the people will kill are, themselves if they try to be not gay. They're just they're going to kill yeah, themselves, right. right? It's always like like it's it's it, I think that's emotional manipulation. It's the holding suicide. The fact is is that people who have LGBTQ orientations almost always have comorbidities of other mental problems. Yeah, we, have, we do not have conclusive evidence that it's because of the LGBT orientation, which has been the assumption for years. That doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah. And because of those other mental issues that this cohort of people has, they tend to have higher suicide rates. Right. So if you compare an LGBT mm. per Q person, they're much more likely to have depression. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah, compare yeah, yeah. their suicide yeah. rates with somebody who just has depression. Right. They're somewhat similar. Similar because right? that's just what happens. So happens with people yeah. who are depressed. Right? right. And so if the LGBTQ person is depressed because they're gay, right. in theory, if you made them happy about being gay, maybe they wouldn't be depressed and maybe they wouldn't kill themselves. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. But the, but the issue still remains, right? Like if, if this, okay. So this, in that study, right. What they found was, is that it was about a third, a third, a third, about a third of people felt like they were, they operated, they could operate as gay. Yeah. And by the end of the study, they felt like they could operate as heterosexual. That didn't mean that they had changed entirely. Mm. Okay. It just meant they, they, they had a hard harder time operating as homosexual, heterosexual. And by the end of the, the stuff, they felt like they could operate yeah. heterosexually. Right? I feel like I know why that, that it changed yeah. later on. I mean, pe people okay, are then, products the, of their communities. Okay. And then there was a third of people who didn't, who felt like there was a little change, but really not Nothing. enough to matter. Yeah. Okay. And then there were a group that were like, yeah, we did not experience it. So the 80% thing was not true. Not for this group. Right. Okay. And then, but, but in the research where they said, okay, did, did you feel like this harmed you? Did you feel more depressed? Did you feel more angry? Did you feel more excluded? Did you like, was there any kind of harm? It was a hundred to zero that there was no harm. Yeah. Okay. So what, what they, what they showed was there are ways to do, change therapy with gays that will do harm to them. If you do electric shock therapy, if you like, if you berate them, yeah. if you send them to camps where they are taught to hate themselves for God's sake or whatever, that will hurt them. And some of them will commit suicide. Like there are ways to do it. that are definitely not good. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't mean that every way to do it is not good. Right. And that every way to do it hurts people. Right. You could just get better at it rather than just say, we can't ever do yeah. this. Right. Now, part of the issue is though, even within that research, that same sex attraction seems pretty stable for a lot of people, especially among men. And so the, the, what Christians are grappling with is, what do we do with this? Do we just say, well, it's just sin, just repent of it. As opposed to like saying, okay, we believe that same sex, same sex sex, as well as everything else Jesus calls sexual immorality, is sexual immorality. And we have to repent and not do it. Right. And even if I have certain desires, I can have a repentant attitude towards them. But what do I do with a persistent, what we call an orientation, like a persistence of reliable something that I don't seem to be able to change that is present with me consistently. How do I think about that? What Sprinkle is saying is there are some people who have said the way I hate my sin, but not hate myself 
given that this like exists in this space between phenomenology and ontology, as I mm. say, it's like an impairment. It's like a, it's like a disability. It's yeah. like, I, I can't totally control it, but I also don't say this is the way I should be. Sure. It's a disability in that, like, like my son, Jude, like he's physically disabled, right? Right. If, if I said, Jude, if, if God took away all these disabilities in heaven, would you feel like you were no longer you? And he'd, and he'd probably say something like, well, it would feel real different. Yeah. And it wouldn't feel like the way I've experienced me, but I, I wouldn't be like, oh, give me my disabilities back. Hmm. I'd be like, thank you. Right. So, okay. But the, I think the difference between the disabilities, are, uh, one of the things that I would say. One of the things I think you can ask somebody the- is if when you got to heaven, you weren't same sex attracted anymore, would you feel mad at God hmm. or would you feel grateful to God? Well, here's my, here's what I was going to say. You know, one of the arguments that I could make to the, the, the study that was being done and the, the question that proceeds from that study is, okay, well then what do we do with all these men who are still gay? Right. Still feel gay. I'd be like, well, maybe we should have a, <laughs> maybe we should think about and just do a thought experiment on whether or not any of these people are actually Christians. Cause there's a chance like, 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 I can't look at somebody like Rosaria, who's a lesbian activist, who's literally doing all the bad stuff and mm-hmm. like, and then repents, knows the gospel, repents and follows Christ and then totally changes. Mm-hmm. Like now is married to a man and has kids, mm-hmm. like totally flips. I look at that and I'm like, okay, that's a miracle act of God. And then I look at the like Joe Schmo, who's like, I can't stop being gay. I can't stop being gay. I'm like, you're not a Christian. Okay, I didn't say that to them, but I, I'd say, I'm thinking in my head, I mean, you're probably you not you, a Christian. Would, would you say that to like, I mean, is that what you said to people in like Forgiven and Free who are trying to overcome sexual addiction? Pisses me off. Yeah, I'm like, pro- a lot of you guys, I mean, I haven't said this to them because I haven't been there in a while, but I, I, if I had to go to give a talk, mm-hmm. I would be like, a lot of you need to like, you need to like re, uh, revisit the gospel and really Mm -hmm. figure out if that's what you believe or if it's a different variation of that. Because Mm -hmm. what I usually find with people who have a really hard time of repenting and even in myself, and when I'm having a hard time repenting of a sin, it's usually that I have a misunderstanding or a a different type of gospel in my head than what is the true gospel of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I've, 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 I've distorted it in some capacity and I need to come back to the truth. I'm not making an Armenian Mm -hmm. argument I'm trying. I'm trying to talk about how things are working out practically and theologically, which is like yeah. okay, really so difficult. I think, I think that there is. I think that there's truth to that, and def- I mean, like, definitely in the Protestant tradition, there's a lot of emphasis on that. That, like, if you indulge yourself in feeling sorry for yourself about indwelling right. sin, um, then you will increase. It will inflame it, and yeah. it will take away all of the power of gratitude and yeah. joy. And also your disgust over the thing itself. So like if I, so let me give you like just an example that's just out of the pocket of this thing. So like, let's say I'm depressed in my job. Right. And I wish I could go fishing more instead of like serving all these people constantly. Which is this true? Well, I mean, I, I'm up and down. I mean, like I'm not always as right. Right. So let's say, let's let's say, let's say I'm in one of those seasons. Right. Yeah. And so then what I do is I can't go fishing though, because I'm working. So I shop for fishing stuff online and I spend money that I have, but I maybe don't need to spend on this because like after a while, at some point you gotta be like, okay, I understand you're depressed. Yeah. I understand right now you're not connecting with your work. I understand that you wish you were doing something else. I understand that you feel like you're working all the time and not living for like yourself at all. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. You're not fishing. Right. 
That's not what you're called to do right now. Right. God has so graciously called you mm-hmm. to the ministry of the gospel to stand in yeah. the stead of Jesus. Right. Like, and it's not ontologically true that you're a fisherman. Right. It, well, you engage in fishing as right. a fisherman, but you don't vocation. It's not who you are as your identity. You're not a fisherman. Right. You're, you're a pastor. You're, you're, I mean, I don't know if that's ontological either. Yeah. But to whatever. say that's ontological makes you immediately a Catholic. So be careful. It makes me a Calvinist too. No, no, it makes you Catholic. How does it make me a Calvin or a Catholic, well, not a Calvinist? We should do that when we talk about Catholicism another time, but I'm, I'm, I'm just messing with you right now. That is the case. What is I'm just it? Okay, all right. Because Catholics, Catholic. Catholics believe when ordination happens, there is an ontological yeah, yeah, yeah. change okay. in the person, yeah, which makes them become, able to the, then They are the continuation the of the incarnation of Christ. They believe in the they apostolic can, yeah, succession. Right. The okay. grace, inter-grace I'm sure if we continuum. had a Catholic here, he would nuance that, but yeah. that's the the death. You nuance it into whatever. The point is, the point is like... So what I have to do there is I have to like, that's a funk basically. Mm. It's like, it's a, that is a sinful way of thinking. And I think we're prone to that in our sexuality Yeah, because our, our, all of our sensual desires want what they want. Yeah. And those sensual desires are inflamed mm-hmm. and sometimes they're inflamed and unnatural. Yeah. Right. In the case of say, um, homosexuality, um, and I think trans desires, I think there are other ones like, um, like I would think, our, I would say the quote heterosexual desire for anal sex. Like mm-hmm. you see that in heterosexual couples. I think that's a, like Afus, it's it's against nature. Yeah. I, I think like, I think right. that our desire for pornography to like, or or to voyeurism, to watch yeah. other people have sex yeah. is um, in some sense sinfully unnatural. And I, I don't want to say it's like, it, I, anyway, I'm not going to know. I'll put the more. E on this. It'll be explicit. Yeah. But, the, but okay. So Andrew and I, we knew. I think uh, there are a number of things that Deborah so would put under like sex positive kink that right. I think biblically speaking, we would have to say is right. And un, like on, un, un, even though it's quote heterosexual in nature, yeah. it's on, it's still against nature. It's yeah. not what sexuality is for. Yeah. Which is anal, which is anal sex. I that mean, would fall under, but I think it would be more than there, that. There's too, a yeah. lot of them. Yeah. There's, so, there's sometimes like dressing up as other people, yeah. like doing all that weird stuff. But I, it, sometimes I wonder if oral sex would actually fall under that too. Oh, really? Yeah. Because because the dynamics of mutuality are lost. Yeah, that's true. And so I'm not saying that I know it's wrong. It, it does. But I, but, it does seem. But somewhat I've never degrading. felt totally right about it. Yeah, it seems a little bit degrading. I I think that way, especially for women. It, it, the women. The because, woman is degraded. Right. Because yes. what? Like n- nothing is really being accomplished there. Right. Like men have men can have all of the same pleasure. It's, except it can be much more personalized through the act of intercourse. Better. The reason why. The reason why I was told in high school that oral sex was better by my guy friends was because they didn't want to have to see the face of the person that they were hooking up with. <laughs> no, I think it was because when they had sex, they had to wear a condom. And when they were seeing oral sex, they didn't. That's true. And so it felt better Yeah, because you can't feel right. anything with a condom basically. Right. Right. And so no, I, th- I, yeah. I think that that's why they thought that. But like if you marry somebody and you can have intercourse with them and you're actually not being intentionally infertile, but you're having sex that can be fertile. So you're not wearing those kinds of protective devices. Yeah. It's that's the that ends up being the natural pinnacle as opposed to some of these other things, right. right? I mean, it was very straightforward in the ancient world that anal sex was used to make sex infertile, so that you could penetrate another person, a woman or a man. You could oh, you could man. have your pleasure as a man. You yeah. could have your orgasm, but that you sounds, wouldn't produce a child. I've never like that. Anal sex is the most disgusting thing ever. I like can't even. It's disgusting. It's so gross. Yeah. And there are a lot of heterosexual people who would say they're heterosexual. Who do that? That utilize it and they would say that they desire it and they find it very 
alluring and yeah. very like in like i don't right. want to say inspiring but like <laughs> like the like the quote rise they get out of it is very intense yeah. right? Right, right and i would say yeah but in an infernal way yeah it, it's actually utilizing dynamics of the flesh right in an infernal direction what yeah. the, the reason you get more out of it Right. is for reasons that actually aren't good yeah not the, in accordance with nature yeah it, it's not in accordance with nature but it's also not it's not fundamentally for the uh the sake of, it's not it's not for the desires are out of place there as well right yeah like and it, i think i think it is i think the mutuality of it is broken i yeah, know people it's not, who would it's say, not for the fundamental purpose yeah, of sex i know people who would say that even sadomasochistic sexual interactions can be mutual because both people want what's happening. That's not what I mean by mutual. No, 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 no. Mutual. And I don't think that's what the... Well, because you have to define it on the basis of what God says is... Yeah, if is, two people want sins that go along with each other... <laughs> yeah, So right. that when they mutually harm each yeah, other, they're yeah. both getting what they... They're both... What, uh, what they um, consent to. Consensual, yeah. It's then, a consensual then, sin. Then yeah. it's mutual, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. not what mutual means. Mu- no. Mutuality is focused towards godliness. Yeah. Towards nature and towards yeah. God's will, which is, and that's not what those are all are the, oriented towards. That's the thing that all these words, mutuality right. or liberty or some of the or like, consent that yeah. there are consent, but these, the, all, all in these order words for it to be godly, you have to consent. Yeah. The other person has to consent and God has to consent. And people need to think you about to, it. You have to know that God has given his implicit right. consent to the act. Right. People need to start and thinking about these words as if, as if there's two directions for each of them, like right. the direction towards godliness and the direction towards selfishness and hedonistic whatever and that and that's usually the case like with liberty how we talked about positive and negative and then with with uh right okay so yeah to bring this back like so you can you can step away from the lgbtq question by widening it out and say as a heterosexual person Mm -hmm. i have all these sort of like orientations what do i do with them yeah right and on one level like you can say i'm never making that argument i'm I'm saying that i can say i know biblically the act is sinful yeah act a is sinful i can say that i am not that act that God has given me a sexuality that was a gift. I can say that ontologically in my nature, mm-hmm. God has given me a sexual gift. That act is a perversion of that mm-hmm. gift, but the gift is good. And I, I yeah. am in my, in my nature right. good as you, a human being who's an image bearer of the Holy God, whatever I hate about my sin, I'm not supposed to hate myself. The issue that I think Rosaria and others are dealing with is there is this third category of yeah. between the nature that is good and the act we know is bad is our experience of ourselves in the condition of sin. How do we think about that? And I think that's gotten clumsy and somewhat unnuanced. And when I, when I listened to Preston Sprinkle at the last thing I was at, I felt like he was, he had the two, the two categories at the ends and he was just kind of fiddling around in the middle in a really, and when you'd push him one way, he'd take that middle category and he'd put it into the act and say, right. well, it's part of the act. And when, and when he wanted to put it into the nature, he'd put it into the nature. And there wasn't this clear third category that right. is like the flesh or the, okay. whereas when, when, you, when Rosario was talking, it seemed like there's two options and that's it. Yeah. Okay. So and that you but, should, but, you should but, hate, okay. you should hate the indwelling experience. Yeah. Like it's all yeah. sin and almost exactly like it's an act. But you and have that to, feels, uh, that feels off to me. Well, I mean, Jesus literally says, if you hate somebody in your heart, then you, you it's as if you've murdered them. And if you lust in, uh, mm-hmm. in your heart, you've committed adultery. Right. And so in that so case, you're co- cooperating with an internal deformity unto the precursor for an act. So when I... When no, but I was, he's saying you literally are doing this thing. I mean, I'm reading The Great Divorce, right? right. And like, uh, right when they get to heaven and then the spirits come walking towards them and they're all ghosts. And then the guy, the big man's like, hey... 
like, how did you get here? Like on back on earth, you murdered somebody. And he was like, I did, but you know, whatever, like I recognized that I was a bad person and we're all bad people. But he was like, I also murdered you multiple times in my heart because I could just stay up at night thinking about how much I hated you. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was as if they were the exact same thing. I'm not, C.S. Lewis isn't the Bible, but Mm -hmm. like he, he, that was uh, to me, I don't, I know what you just said. Like, I don't, I don't think I agree with what you just said about how, how that, what Jesus is actually saying there. You, you don't think that, that it's a literal, it, it, when he says that if you lust, it's actually adultery, or if you hate somebody, it's actually murder. Like it's literally murder and adultery. I mean, he doesn't say it's really? like some sort of like psychological. I think it's literally murder in that it's assigned the same moral culpability. You're guilty. You are guilty of acting against the image bearing of another person. Yeah. And that you, that's punishable. So Even though it never came that? out of your body. Yeah. It is, he counts it as an act of sin. It is a, it is a, you committed a crime. Yeah. Right. It Like it, it exists. So if somebody stabs someone and somebody hates someone and they stand in front of God, God is not going to have any part, he's not going to see any difference between the severities of those sins. No, I, do, I, I think that there is some differentiation in severity. Yes. See how, how can you, I believe that. where do you come to that conclusion? Because. Yeah, I know. Now you're going to say I'm Catholic. Um, so I think that... So is Vatican II... In, no, I'm just kidding. Right. So, yeah, so I think they're both... I think they're both sins, right? So yeah, when God yeah, says, if you baseline. lust after a woman, you've committed adultery, I think that that person is credited with adultery, mm-hmm. okay? And can be judged for doing so. However, the, the there are differences in how much injustice he's unleashed into the world. Wait, can I take it really quick? I'm going to take it one step further. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's worse to lust after somebody than it than is to, to actually ha- have an, adu- uh, an affair or uh, commit adultery. Okay. Because I, I think that the things that are spiritually true are truer than the things that are physically true. I think that when people commit adultery, they usually lust after the person also. Yeah, they, uh, they do every single time. But I so but I, it's the same thing. So when it's spiritually happening, yeah. I mean, it's Lewis a, says in the tape letters, he's like, by the time the actual act of adultery happens, all the really juicy sins are already over. Yeah, right. right. And like, I, I get where they're coming from with that. Right. But but the idea is is that one of the reasons why adultery is sin is because I'm not saying people should have adultery. Either. Is because you're actually doing an injustice. Yeah. In the world, and right. one of the reasons why adultery. You have to take anyway, that. No. Yeah. My son's calling. Part of the, okay, so part of the issue here is, I, so I, I think part of the crux of the issue, and this is one, and I'm jealous for this because I don't, I, I, dang it, I wish Preston Sprinkle and Rosaria would yeah. work together here. <laughs> and I, I really wish they would get on a stage and talk with each other kindly and like try to sort out where the differences really lie. You think that's, that's as clearly as possible. You think that should happen? Or do you just want that to happen because you live in Madison? You're kind of like, you're kind of like, uh, no, like I the, would say that, know, like an empathetic, compassionate guy. No, I don't. I, no, here's what I think, and this is gonna sound this is gonna sound judgmental, but this that's is what I think. Fine, I, I think Rosaria has the responsibility to call Preston Sprinkle and ask to do that, which she may have done. And yeah, I think Preston Sprinkle has a responsibility to, to do that yes. too. And I think that they at least should get together privately, yeah, and have a discussion. And then I think that they should tell us the result publicly. Hmm. I think that the disagree, the nature of their disagreement should be if they could come to an agreement privately, they would have to make it, they would have to explicate it publicly. You have to come out and say, say, here are, here are nine things we agree on. Rosaria and I 
agree on these nine things. What would we're be not sure we agree on these three things? Rosaria and I, I think Rosaria would say this maybe, and I would say this is who gives a damn if I think nine things similarly to him. If I think one thing that's so consequential in its severity, well, that's what that's, that's what different. they would have to determine is, um, is are the disagreements as severe as they think, or as Rosaria thinks, or as Preston, or or is it not as big a deal as maybe Preston? Thanks. Well, if Preston is muddling in that middle section into the big eye identity and ontological nature of man, then then I would say, and I think Rosario would say, yeah, the, the, it is that severe because any time you muddle those waters and you start to get that all jacked up and out of out of order in the that in that first level of ont- ontological nature, mm-hmm. anytime you start to screw with that, it becomes a serious salvific gospel centered conversation because mm-hmm. the gospels is talking about the nature of man and, and, and what yeah. needs to be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so, so, so there's some, there's sprinkles some... lack of clarity and lack of specificity and lack of just judge moral judgment and, 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 you know, and organization here at, at the, at the very least is like, you, we don't look back on people who were like accidentally heretics and be like, Oh no, like, uh, uh, who was the guy who thought that the guy, uh, that that the Trinity? He tried to argue for like the. Uh, he was like a he was like a heretic in the Second Council. Um, like Arius. Arius, yeah. We don't look back at Arius and be like, oh, he had such good intentions. Mm-hmm. No, who cares? It's he. He said something that was heretical, and the church said, "You're a heretic." You, I don't care well, what your intentions are. Well, and are. he wouldn't. Well, and he wouldn't he, back he down wouldn't on be it. Yeah. Well, I don't. I doubt Preston Sprinkles would be corrected. On I this. no, I don't think Sprinkle believes he's guilty of what. Well, same with argues. Arius. He didn't. He didn't back down because he didn't believe. No, but Arius absolutely believed that the Son of God came into existence, and it was not everlasting or eternal. In his nature, and he never repented of that. I think if you, you think said, if, if you, I think if you said to Sprinkle, "Hey, you're ontologizing same set or LGBTQ identities, and LGBTQ identities should not be ontologized any more than our other disordered right. sexual identities. Our other sins are like yeah. like we we are image bearers of the Holy God, made male and female, ordered unto reproduction, and." Blah, blah blah, and whether or not we have this version of heterosexuality or this kind of kink or this kind of no, whatever, or LGBT, like uh, that should know, not be ontologized. And you think he would be like, yeah, Spring I agree would say with absolutely. That. Okay, but but Nick, this is the, absolutely I mean, this is where this all co- leads to. Then at the end of the day, it's like okay, then how much accountability? Then at what point? Because I, I could maybe Preston would say that. Then he'd go write another book where he muddles the waters again because he can't make a freaking statement. Like I like. He 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 lives in the delusion, the academic, the academia delusion of there's like a there's like a whole personality style and temperament and yeah. way of thinking I, that it's so jacked up and backwards that like even when they I admit the pres- truth thing, they go and contradict themselves five minutes later. I agree. I agree. I, however, I don't think for Sprinkle it's that he's an academic. I think for Sprinkle it's that he's an extrovert. He's I think he's very relational. And I think he really is having lots and lots of conversations with LGBTQ oriented people, especially T mm-hmm. and trying to help these people who he's making friends with walk through a relationship with Jesus. And he's seeing some of the, he's seeing a lot of them make progress to where they can, they can accept their God given sexual sex. I would like to and, see that progress, you know, I mean, he, like, showed, he showed what he does. These seminars, he shows videos of these friends and they talk about how they got to where they could affirm 
how they were like, I was trying to become a man. I was already taking hormones and I was, I, and then I encountered Jesus and I thought Jesus just wanted me to be like a woman wearing homeschool dresses. And then like, as I began to work this out, I began to work out that like God, there were lots of versions of woman, a woman I could be, but I had to be a woman and I had to grapple with that. The deepest part, like, like, I mean, these people do exist and, and that's what, and my, my issue with, with Sprinkle is, is that there is the, that role of a spiritual direction. Yeah. Where yeah. You walk yeah. With somebody, and then there's the mass thing, which can be pretty yeah. nuanced, I think. Yeah. And then you, there is the, I stand up in front of the whole yeah. church and say X right. is true and Y is false. Yeah. And see what Butterfield sees is, is that the evangelical church or the Bible believing church broadly right. is just in disarray. Well, because, because and Butterfield she's like, talks this is about, crazy. Like we yeah. you need to be very clear and right. unequivocal about right. sin and the gospel in these in five lives. Because there's two, there's two different relations. There's multiple relationships that we have as human beings in the church, but there's two of them are the, are these one is what is being taught and Preston right. Sprinkles is a teacher. So what is being taught, it can be judged harshly because we don't want to be taught by false teachers. And what he's doing is false teaching, not because he wants to, but because he can't get it straight that he's teaching, not just doing counseling obsessions with trans people. And and yet Rosaria is going on, you know, she, you know, her thing, the gospel comes with the house gear or whatever. Like her mm-hmm. whole thing is on hospitality, like having people come in and having conversations with people yeah. and talking to people. And she's doing a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah, in some ways, the difference here is very Italian versus English, too. Yeah. Because Sprinkle is very, like, Northern European. It's very kind of, like, light on the touch and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Italians are just like, you're stupid. Like, yeah, I, right. blah, 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 interrupting yeah. each other. Yeah. And and Rosaria is just kind of like, yeah, you get, you invite them in your home. You bring them to the kitchen table. You love them. And then you tell them they're, like, they're not a woman. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. and And, like, I, I, like, I. I mean, I'm half Italian and half yeah. English. Okay. Like I, I, in my own body, I feel the difference between these two I've people. I've never felt very what, you, what, what Preston Sprinkles has felt and what, like what 90% of the people who probably go to like Blackhawk churches felt like, and I'm not saying it's, you know, cause I, I did an interview with Crystals today mm-hmm. and I, and I like, I could see as I was doing this interview that he like, like really did care about people like really a lot. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't agree with all the ways that Blackhawk does And he things. cares about Jesus a lot. Yeah, and he and he was great to talk to. It was really fun, and I was like, I and he relearned Hebrew, so he could read the Old Testament in yeah. Hebrew. He loves the scriptures that much. Yeah, he loves reading the Bible. That mm-hmm. guy loves the Bible. So like, but I, but you know, it's something I like wouldn't have maybe thought of beforehand. Mm-hmm. I've never had that internal like like mushy lovey dovey thing, and so. I know that there's a problem with that, but I don't actually. I think that that's very beneficial for teaching. To not have that. It's beneficial for not backing down when you shouldn't because of people's feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is when, beneficial when empathy for teaching. Hurts like what you, did Paul have? You're not hurt. I guess Paul. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Paul. But must whenever, have been whenever a, those empathetic feelings would help you, you're often not. How did Paul them. thread that line? Because obviously I can think of times where he's like praising and encouraging and yeah. lovey-dovey. Well, you know, it's interesting because in one of the things that Paul says, I think is this in second Corinthians where he says, you know, you guys joke about me that Paul, who's like really sweet and kind when he's with you, 
writes these like really heavy yeah, letters yeah, when yeah, he's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. And it, it gets the feeling that like when Paul is with people, he he's sounds a little all, like Preston Sprinkle. Yeah. He's like, okay, let's walk through this to figure this yeah. out. He's right there with them and he's right. got all the time in the world. Yes. And then when he's not, and he's in a jail cell somewhere else and he's only got four pages. He's right into these. He's like, look, you cannot sleep with prostitutes. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I don't right. care what you think yeah. the stomach is for. Stop doing it. Stop. Yeah. You know, like that's wrong. Okay. And that dynamic, I think is an absolute beautiful, beautiful thing. Like, yeah. I, like, so somebody should just tell Preston. And I like stop writing books and stop talking on your podcast. I would be fine with that. If Preston wanted to help all of the trans people outside of the, this public life that he's built around himself on Twitter and everything like that, I'd, I'd actually be more on his team. Yeah. The and thing that this, I'm, this gets at, this gets at the difficulty in modern evangelicalism because it's the podcast and the books that pay for all of it. Yeah, I know it's bull crap. That's what gets him the speaking engagements and then the speaking fees pay for it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, he should just not do all that stuff because it's not being helpful. And I think Rosaria is the voice for the people on a macro level. And maybe he's a voice for the people on the micro level. And, and maybe they both can cross over, obviously, because everybody's responsibility is to have uh, micro relationships with different individuals. But yeah, I, I think that this is why I think that in, inherently... And implicitly, see, I, Chris see, Sprinkles I still, is muddling the water and destroying things. I, okay, I so I think that I would be willing to say that I think Preston Sprinkle is not bringing clarity to certain things out of a desire to be compassionate, and that lack of clarity is a problem. It is a long-term problem. I don't think I would say he's a... I, I can't think of a passage where I would say... That is straightforwardly false. You are a false teacher. Okay, but you recognize. But I, would, I will say, a lot of people who read this are going to get the wrong impression. Let us they're astray. They're going to get their. They're going to. They're let us astray. I feel like if I say led, that means I'm saying that he's, 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 yeah, like, he's doing it. He's guiding them yeah. that way, as opposed to they're they read this. Okay, they take the impression they want, but think partly because of their worldliness, and they go away. Don't way. think emotionally right now. Think about how, what is the false teaching of our time. It's not objective statements that are her heresy. That's not what they are. People aren't saying things like the Trinity doesn't exist. Some people are saying that, but not that's not really what it is. Now, what what the false teaching of our time is? It's it's things like this that are emotionally leading people in a particular direction while saying things that directly contradict how they want people to emotionally feel like that poem that he put in there. It's like, he says the right things that evangelicals can accept. He sprinkles in some of that crap because he knows that that's, what's going to get people in and, and everybody's going to be like, Oh yeah, we like agree on this stuff, but what's underneath it emotionally and what's surrounding it and guiding it is all of this emotional manipulation, heresy and false teaching that, that, that encapsulates these true teachings. So there's like a little bit of true teaching surrounded by false teaching. And, and it's like, to be able to recognize that, you have to be a really, really, really solid, like Bible Christian person who can see through it. And most people aren't. So the reason why the people who are reading his stuff are being, they're going in the wrong direction is because they're maybe subconsciously by sprinkles. I don't know, or maybe he's doing this consciously, but they're being led that direction emotionally and spiritually through a, manipula a manipulative tactic. It's like, I couldn't have told you why everything that I believe in now is, uh, is uh, like postmodern, like because I grew up in the public school system. Like, I couldn't tell you exactly why that was, but 
because my teachers told me things that like they sprinkled in some truth, mm-hmm. like, you know, here's evolution. And then like here, like evolution is not true to me, but he, here's evolution. You know, we all came from monkeys through billions and billions of years, but like, here's some true science too. And to be able to make those distinctions as a young person is like impossible. Mm-hmm. And you have to have somebody who's actually has the integrity to say, here's all of the true stuff. And here's all of the not true stuff. And they're, he, they're not connected in this way that you want them to be. And he's not doing that. And so these young people are getting just bogged down and they're going in the wrong direction because they're being led in that direction direction and whether he thinks he's doing it or not i don't care okay what i feel like is what i feel like the other emotional dynamic here is is that what we can see is people who already have very fairly progressive and secularized thinking tendencies that have like certain critical theory and postmodern dynamics built into them where they're used to kind of relativizing things and equivocating on things it's infected with a certain kind of um, expressive individualism yeah. and it's within a context of extreme consumerism. Right. And that's where people are at. And what we, and, and so what we're doing is we're predicting how does a person who is in that mental space, when they engage with sprinkles work, right. what impression will it leave on them? Yeah. Okay. Now on, on that level, I'm pretty much with you, right? That like, I think, the impression it's going to leave on some people is right. may not be great. Okay. Where we disagree on the accountability for that impression. Yeah. However, when I think of sprinkles work, I think of the main faults formally theologically with it are twofold. One is I think he becomes biblically minimalist in ways that are unfaithful to the, to the broad tradition, including the confessional By tradition biblically of the minimalist, what do you So mean? like when he says, I wasn't at the fall, I can't oh, tell you what the right, result of right. the fall is. Just kind of diminishing what the Bible yeah, says. Yeah, it's kind of like, because. on one level, that's true. Like yeah, the Bible, in, there, right? the, in Genesis 3, it doesn't explicitly tell us everything that's going to be the result of the fall. Right. What it says is there's a curse. Yeah. We see things go wrong. Yeah. The Bible shows us without telling us exactly why it's right. happening that way. Right. And so I think that... You get more context in Romans 1 where Paul says, right. we'll start to invent evil. So it's like, that's another... Con- con- right. We start to invent yeah, new evil. I want to say that the context of that is whether or not the an intersex condition is a result of the fall. Right? An intersex condition. Right. So if you're born yeah. Yeah, with yeah, both yeah. male and female biological characteristics... You're saying like with a penis and a vagina. No, isn't people born with both penis and a vagina? Isn't that a real thing? Yeah, but that's a very extreme case. Okay. So when people say that an intersex condition is like, I don't know what they say. I th- I, I want to say that I've I've heard up to ten percent, but that's kind of like a like a very 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 tiny female something, and everything else is very clearly male. It's very clear you're a male. You're easily heterosexual. Chromosomes male. are male. Chromosomes. Yeah, but there's like there's some characteristic of some kind that's female that you have, like a little boob or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, yeah. but like that kind of thing. Um, but <laughs> then, but then there's that that, but then there is intersex where you're like, is this a male or female? Yeah, right. Like there there are male organs, but they're internal, and there's like some external female characteristics, yeah. and like th- those that's, are serious questions that we should yeah, talk so that's about. That's extremely yeah. rare. Okay, so yeah. so the I think I think that's where that quote comes from is when. People say, okay, where does an intersex condition come from? A lot of Christians would say, well, any, any deformation of nature, of human nature is a result result of the fall. fall. Yeah. And therefore intersex is the result of the fall. Right. So how should somebody identify? The Bible doesn't literally say that. Like, like I see how Christians get there. creating a systematic theology. Right. I see how Christians get there, but do we literally to be Christians have to say that literally everything that's wrong with nature is a direct like result of the fall. Now, Rosario, Rosario would say, yes, yes. 
Well, yes. and I would just ask him what other option is there. Right. And I think and that's I don't fair think enough. he would have an, I don't think, I think there would be an enough, answer. But I think what he's saying is if he's writing this book and he's, he's actually saying, okay, what I want to tell you is what the Bible literally does in fact actually say in its text, as opposed to the theological tradition. Does the Bible literally say that an intersex condition is a result of the fall? Okay. Maybe it does. I'm not hundred percent sure. Right. Off the top of my head. There may be something that it says where it is deductive, hmm. closely deductive that in, that all that all broken conditions in nature are a result of the fall and therefore intersex has to be. <laughs> I think that's possible. The point is he's saying it doesn't literally say that. And, we, and, and the point he's making is we should be careful as Christians to maximize that kind of implication. in the Yeah, Bible. but I would just be like, you, this is just another manipulative emotion, emotional manipulative thing. Cause I'm like, Oh, when it's convenient for you, now you're going to be able, now you're going to get down into okay, the need. But into notice the you're not now about, saying it's literally heresy. You're saying, Preston's doing the wrong thing as a leader. No, You're no, not I, saying he's teaching a literal heresy. No, I think he is because, yeah. well, because I think See, that is, because I don't think, you can't I, I don't sit think here and tell me church, that it's not implicitly. In, in the history of the church, that would not have been considered a heresy. You don't think that to Preston affirm, Sprinkles saying that, no, I think that, what, that not all nature is infected no, I, by the sin? That not all of nature, people would be like, get the frick out of here, bro. That statement see, was infected by okay, the fall. See, I think, I think that's where, one of the reasons why I, I'm dissatisfied with some things Preston Sprinkle has said is because I think there are, there are things that he said that you're like, okay, wait, isn't it deductive from what you just said there to this Christian doctrine that you yeah. didn't explicitly deny? And yeah. I think if I asked you, you would agree, agree, you would agree, 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 agree. Yeah, you would but get that. But like out here, you're like, I don't know. Yeah. Like that seems weird. It seems like it's purposeful. Right. However, historically in the history of the church, when we define heresy and we define false teaching, yeah. that's not how it's defined. What would you define it? Or what, what would they what, define what it? What Rosaria is doing is she's doing the logic and she's, 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 she's taking what like it's a heresy against logic. And she's doing, no, she's doing the math. She's like, if you believe a, yeah, right. a implies B, B yeah. implies C, C implies D, D yeah. implies F. Yeah. F is a heresy. Yeah. Now, now Sprinkle didn't say F. He said A. But can you but do she, what that? she's saying? You is, can do that. You can get from A to F. It's direct. It's not that you can. It's that that's the only direction it goes. See, that's what Rosaria would say. Well, and what I other direction would can say, it go? I don't know about that. Yeah, he would say, I don't know about how you dance around it and not answer right. the question. And I'd and say, and like, okay, bud, I don't care that you think that but, you can dance around okay, this problem. But historically, in all of the controversies of the early church, that's not what heresy meant. What did heresy mean historically? Like definition. Arius literally said the son of God began to exist. I mean, he like, he said like literally <laughs> the thing. Yeah. And people were like, no, no. So you're as Preston Springer has not said that not all of nature is affected by the fall. Has he explicitly said that? Or is that just implicit in his, like, I wasn't there because, because I feel like it I, is I'm a heresy sure. to I say, don't I don't know if I can quote him. On if this. you, if you did say to me, not all of nature is affected by the sin or by, by sin. No, he would in say the fall. all of nature is affected by the fall, I think. But that doesn't make it bad. Right? Isn't that what you're trying to say? I think the question is, is I think the question is, in, is intersex the result of the fall? And I think he was saying, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I can say that for sure from the Bible's text itself. Because, it because okay, but, so but, how else would an intersex condition be created? Right? Right. Um, other than the fall. Right, because it's absurd to think that in the Garden of Eden, in perfect union with God, that anything other than the two explicit genders that he created, male and female, he created them in his image, would ever be created. That's crazy. 
That is heresy. I don't know what else I can say. That is false teaching. That is not true. You're you're distorting and yeah. Dis- okay, so okay. So part of the th- the healer is I. It, this is one of the reasons why I chafe under this conversation. This you part chafe? Of it, yes, is because uh, is because neither you or I know the quote and call it up <laughs> and can say this yeah. is literally what he said. And I just I just don't think we can judge somebody else's servant uh, ser- servant yeah. without being like, okay, this is what he said. You, are you finding it? Yeah, but I don't think we want to wait for me to like find the. Specific I feel thing. like we talked about it for like two hours, and it might be helpful for the listeners to to clarify. I I, I want to say it was in chapter four. I remember her saying like, "Open up to chapter four or something like that." And in the podcast, I, I don't know. Oh, here we go. Intersex you got it. Okay, fall. here we go. Some say that intersex conditions are caused by quote the fall. Others think that they were part of God's original pre-fall design. I Who? used to. I don't know. He oh yeah, say. this and is I think, crazy. I think Butterfield actually says, "Who are these people?" Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he does earlier in the chapter quote some like very progressive, like <laughs> yeah. theologians. So when he yeah. says theologians, he's talking about the full spectrum yeah, of people who right. talk about people God, who okay? try to study so, God. So others is just like anybody from a serious person to like a fruitcake, right? Yeah. Um, That's I used, the type I used of reference to, you want I used in your to book. punt to the fall whenever intersex conditions came up in conversation. So he's saying punt. this is what this is what I, I used to say. I used oh, to say, she tore this thing apart. Yeah, this was. Whenever intersex conditions came up in conversation, but I've become a bit more cautious about doing this. Maybe it's theologically true. Maybe it's not. I wasn't in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned. And if I'm honest, I know less about the fall and its impact on humanity than I thought I did. Maybe the fall caused a defect in an enzyme that leads to an excessive production of androgen androgens in the genetic XX females, which leads to a congenial adrenal hyperplasia. Or maybe it was because a dude cheated on his wife and left her when she was eight weeks pregnant caused all kinds of stress on the mother, which may have caused a defect in the enzyme. Okay, so let's follow this. I may or maybe, or maybe using the fall to explain intersex conditions is wrongheaded to begin with, as many disability theologians have reminded us. Many rich biblical themes related to vocation or the cross might provide a more fitting lens to the intersex. People can be seen as conduits for God's grace and service rather than only images of broken creation in need of fixing. Okay. So this is, this is interesting because if, if you say, so what he's saying is think about this way, a child is in utero, right? And let's say there is what causes an intersex condition is like a significant, like enzymal or something, something's happening in the pregnancy itself. Okay. Mm-hmm. It may be that it is genetic and it is, is moving forward in biology. And let's say that that's a result of the fall, that there are like genetic problems that God is allowed to happen in creation because mm-hmm. of the curse and it's flowing from the curse, right? The curse of the fall is what's producing it. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So here he's actually saying the fall, but what he means is the curse. Why do you think he, right? Doesn't- because when he says maybe the dude cheats on his wife, that creates an enormous amount of stress that changes her enzyme levels and so on. We're well, like, okay, well, why does the guy cheat on his wife? Well, because he does a sin. Okay. Well, why does he do that sin? And then you begin to track the heritage and lineage of that sin all the way back to the first sin. And you're like, well, wait a second. He cheated on his wife all of it because of the fall. Yeah. Like sin is working its way through humanity and it's systemic or as a systemic organism. That's, and we're all participating in it. That's all from the fall too. Mm-hmm. Right. So wait, so Preston, both examples you just gave us are from the fall, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. And Sprinkle would say something like, yes, when I used to say intersex condition is from the fall, what I meant is genetically from the curse that there's a, there's biological breakdowns moving forward and they're carried in all of us. And then they come through in our biology. Now 
I would say, well, wait a second. Is the guy committing adultery from the fall? Sin being unleashed into the world? Well, yes. So wait. So then intersex condition in that example would still be from the fall, but just not from the curse in, the, in that genetics. Way. I think he would say, yes. Okay, so wait. So if Butterfield says, whatever happened is from the fall, you agree with that? Well, yeah. Okay, but you, what you're saying is we shouldn't just attribute every biological thing that happens that's not good to just genetics flowing forward from the curse or something, right? And he would go, yes, that's what I'm saying. But he didn't say that. But it's implicit in the alternative example that he gave. You mean you mean when he said you mean the alternative example that he gave when he said maybe I don't know how things work but wife. maybe 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 so I don't know how this works but here's four options what the frick do you understand what I'm saying you yeah. I don't know how it works but here's four options okay, that I just thought so, of off the okay, top of so my when head Lexi, when Lexi was pregnant with Jude right we found out that he was going to have like some really significant then they say to have an abortion right they implicitly encouraged us to have an abortion okay but when, they, when I said I said okay do you know why this has happened. Because it was relevant. Because if it was genetic, it would be very likely that then Jude would have kids that would have this condition. You had a good doctor. He said it's from the fall. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So what the guy said was, is like, well, it could be genetic. It could be a, it could be like a virus. You could have gotten it from like a cat, like petting a cat. And that virus got through the blood barrier. That's crazy. Your child and create this deformity. It could have been when you were skinning a deer that you picked up a virus and then you gave it to your wife. Like, and so like, right. Yeah. It matters because if it's genetic, then Jude might pass it on to his children. Mm. If we know it's not genetic, then he could have children without any arthrogryposis, right? So that really matters to us. Mm-hmm. Now, are they, would I say, theologically speaking, they're both from the fall? That's what I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, can, but can, I would say they are different reasons. Can, uh, did sin proceed um, from nature or from man? That's another question that I, I've always wondered. Like, like from nature, from man, uh, from nature, uh, uh, externally from man, like did sin, did the Pandora's box of sin proceed from Adam and Eve in their beings or did it proceed? Did it like just proceed out of like in, into nature, into trees and grass and everything and things started to die? Right. Because I think that that also plays into this question yeah. as well. Okay. So this gets at one of the questions here because because Rosaria Butterfield is very solidly within the reformed Presbyterian tradition. Yeah. She asked right? yeah. Calvinism in how it's worked out. It's theology yeah. of the fall really maximize maximizes what it explains through the fall. The other trends in, in like historic Christian thought have not done that. They, they have said like the origin of human sin is the fall and that it produces the curse and all, and, the, and the, all of creation groans under it and all that, mm-hmm. but getting super specific about like, this is therefore from the fall and this is this, and it comes yeah. through us this yeah. way. In some ways I thought the Roman Catholic church got in a lot of trouble because they assumed a lot about the fall. For example, the reason why they believe that Mary was conceived without concupiscence by her parents, the immaculate conception is because of what they believe about the fall and how sin is passed on and down and through. And they think it's deductive and everybody should believe it. If you don't believe it, you're not even hardly a Christian. If you don't believe in the immaculate conception of Mary, because otherwise original sin would have been passed to Jesus through Mary's carrying of him. And he would have original sin and be guilty. Let's say, so, okay. But what about Mary's mother? Right? No, they believe Mary's mother and Mary's father when they conceived Mary had sex without concupiscence that is without any inordinate passion that it was a a truly pure act and in so doing 
did not didn't something they, different happened in Mary's conception where she was she was conceived immaculately. I didn't. And so so, so they think that that it was a, it was a that pure is immaculate act of without sex. any stain. Yeah, and so and so that was like God's grace on them. That was like forcing them into this sexual pure sexual act. They and, believe that the two were very holy people, hmm. but I imagine they were, they would believe in some work of infused it's, grace. It, you know, it's like interesting, but it also just seems like one step too deep. It's like why why can't you just accept that the Holy Spirit impregnated right, but Mary. I, th- I think that that's what, I think that's partly what Sprinkle would say. Is he's saying, why are you reading? Like, why do you have to, why do I have to say the intersex, all intersex conditions and all of those kinds of things are literally the result of the fall, as opposed to saying when, even when I, my alternate explanation is something that ultimately is from the fall, just less, less, an immediate explanation. It's a, like there's there's more intermediate things because it's from the fall, right? Well, I believe both his explanations, like in a in a broad Christian sense, both right. of his explanations are from the right. Fall. But the, because it be, the reason why I would say you have to say this is because it is from the fall. That's why I would say it, right? And so, and, and then and then he and like what is he? Like, yeah, well, I agree, it's from okay, the so fall, see, but there's a lot of I stuff think, in between. And I'd be like, great, it's still from the fall. But I think what Christian love demands here is for me to read the rest of the chapter. <laughs> see what he's saying about these other liberal theologians he's quoted about saying gender identity in your head is a, is more real than gender identity body because I what I think he's going to say in the chapter is your biological gender identity is actually more real than what's in your head that's where he's going to end up but does he say that the thing that's in your head isn't real no why would he say that because it isn't real you just said something that was in your head and then you said it because you thought it was real enough to believe and say like because, our no, hold on, hold on, no, no, no. are the th- real. They're just not, they okay, just not, so, they just don't define. But us. you're not saying that about the the thing that people believe about their biology. I think that so if I believe I'm a woman, yeah, it is real that I have a belief that I'm a woman. I'm not a woman, but it is, yes, it the, is the true belief, that in fact I'm having a thought. Yeah, I have, that's I have true. a belief that I'm yes, a woman. Yes, but I it feel is that I'm but, a woman. right. But he, but you have to tell that person that that thought is not a true. Right. Enemy. See, this is a, this is the reason why. I am I am not sure I'm on Rosaria's team on this is because Preston Sprinkle says these things while he's getting ready to say the opposite thing. He's saying the thing that sounds totally unorthodox because he's moving as far as he can towards the people that he's trying to talk to. And then he spends the rest of the chapter kind of walking it back to what he thinks is biblical, which is historically orthodox. Right, but I, but and this so, is the argument that I made is that the chasm between what the secular non-Christian thinks is actually true and what the Bible says is actually true, you can't start where secularism is and walk your way back to orthodoxy because there's the chasm's too wide. The definitions are too different. You have to if you're going to start there, you're going to have to go through a whole process of redefining every single word that's used over here in secularism as you move towards orthodoxy. And so what you ultimately do is what Preston Sprinkles does is muddies the waters and then he comes back and he says, "Well, when I said this over here with the secularists, what I really meant was with orthodox." You're like, "Oh, how will I ever know that because you're talking to these people and they're talking back to you and you're having a conversation with the trans people." And and you're talking to them on their level with their language and their terminology. And then you're trying to tell me afterwards that this is actually that you actually meant the Christian thing. I'm saying with air quotes because no, you I didn't. Think that, no, I think I, man, Andy, I really think he, he is like, like when I, like I, I read a couple of these chapters last night to just kind of refresh. Right. Yeah. And I think that his view is too minimalist, but I think, yeah, I, know I think that. he says things that are clearly like, Stuff you would get attacked for. 
like when like when he when he deals with the whole gender thing right he what he says is and he says it really clear he's like look if you're a man one of the most fundamental things that you do have to accept is that you're a man and that you're male and that you are male and not female and right. you should represent yourself in such a way as that you're recognizably right. male. Now and, you, you would right. say, well, freaking course. Like yeah. that's like the, but here's the thing. He is talking to people who think that who is think unthinkable. That. Okay. But then the next step there, Rosaria says, okay, then what's the next step? Okay. Right. If you're a man, you have to accept that you're a man. So then what do I do with the thoughts that are telling me that I'm a woman? Rosaria says, repent and them. believe what right. Jesus says is true. And Preston Sprinkles says, well, that's a nuanced, complicated question. Okay. And then Jesus says, repent and believe the things that I've told you. And then Preston Sprinkles, well, that's nuanced. Jesus said this thing and Preston says this thing and Rosaria's thing is way more like what Jesus says and Preston's thing is way more like what the devil says in the garden and so functionally I'm saying well and functionally I'm saying what he's doing to people isn't helping them get free of the sin if Preston Sprinkle was here I guarantee you he'd say Andy you just did the emotional manipulating jargony monologue that you have accused me of like then wow like because like so when jesus gets to this point in matthew 19 where he's talking about marriage and sexuality and singleness and he says look if you can accept this you should like he's like if you marry a woman you gotta stay married to her Mm -hmm. and if you and there's some people who are going to be eunuchs for various reasons some are made that way by men some are born that way right and so he's acknowledging this stuff. And he's like, look, you should accept this if you can accept it. Now, does that mean if you don't, you're going to hell or what? I don't, I don't really know, mm-hmm. but he, he doesn't, he doesn't say what, what Rosaria thinks Calvin would say. <laughs> he, he says that he says, look, I know this is really hard for you to accept because they say, look, if that's what marriage is, like, it's better to just not be married. And Jesus is like, look, no, no, no. He's saying, if you can accept this, meaning like, I think the Calvinists would say, if you have the capacity, if your if your eyes are if you have huh like if you're elect and you elect, if you're elect and you have the, the capacity to see it and your eyes have been open to the truth, if you can see this, here's how you should proceed. And I would agree with that. Yeah, but I I also think that the way Matthew presents it, the what the words he quote puts in Jesus' mouth or records and says Jesus actually said, which is I hope true. Well, yeah. I mean he's writing it forty years later, so he's saying yeah. this is what Jesus said, right? Um, I think that like that locution is like Jesus kind of softens the blow when saying the thing that's really hard. And I think the implication is the same, but like, but if, but if sprinkle is trying to, is trying to soften the blow while saying the thing he thinks is the fundamental, like fulcrum that like, once you accept, if you're a man, you're a man. And not only that you're a man, you shouldn't hide that you're a man. You should be distinguishable from women. And if the Bible says wives should submit to their husbands, if you become a husband, you need to lead your family. And if you're a woman, you would need to submit to your husband. And if Titus says that women should be, quote, busy at home, right. whatever you determine that means, that is like maybe your home has priority in how you function in your life, or you shouldn't be idle if you're home and just let your husband work. Whatever busy at home means in that context, you should do that. The Bible says it, right? He's And you got to sort, sort out what Jesus says and whatever that is, you got to do it, right? That's what he says. Like, I look at what Preston is saying and I'm like, okay. It's a little light, but he's going from you are bigoted, hateful if you contradict any of this stuff, and he's walking you through this to these minimums of orthodoxy 
and saying them straightforwardly. I actually am way happier with the book than him in person. I actually struggled way more listening to him equivocate and talk all over the place in person. That's if your perspective. When I read his book, I see what he's doing. What you're saying is true. If your perspective on what Jesus meant by saying, if you can understand this, then do it. I don't think Jesus, when he says that, he's saying, this is just voluntary, do what you want. But I think what he's saying is he's like, this is the way it is. Now you need to sort out what you're going to do. And like, you can't just do whatever you want. Right. But that's not what Preston is doing. I don't know. I like, no, he's, he yeah, does okay, say, you like, can say that Preston does true. do that, but I'm Wait, saying I mean, that's not says, what like, Preston is doing. Even for intersex people, they're, they're, the intersex person's biology does dictate a primary gender and they are one gender over the other. And that is their gender, not their mental sense of gender. Great. I, right? I, I, like, I say that's, that's great. No, I say that's great. But what I'm saying is that he, he, I'm saying what he's doing and what he's done are two different things. He has done that in that book. What he's doing practically and functionally and, and out to the masses is contradicting some of these statements that you're saying that he's made, which let's say all those statements are true. And he said those things. And I say, great, like, praise God. Everything else that he's saying contradicts that stuff, though. So he makes himself out to be at the very least. I think other things he says the gracious, make it seem like he might be equivocating. Yeah. Yeah. He's contradicting everything he's saying. Like, you can't. You, you, yeah, I think he, you he sounds very tortured to listen to in person. That was, that's been my experience. So, so, again, this is my thing. Like, you can write whatever you want in the book, but then what happens when other things that you say contradict? Like you don't have a coherent, like, concise, logical path you can't say the same thing in two different places because you're so emotionally broken down and you can't handle the fact that if you say the thing that you wrote in the book because he's not when you write a book you don't have to deal with the emotions of the person that's reading it he does say these things in person kind of but yeah it's there's a lot of i've listened to his podcast it's it's like I don't even know, like i've never heard somebody and i haven't gone to a lot of places who can say so many words and say nothing I mean, it's I, crazy. Okay, yeah. So the, this is a difference. Now, I haven't listened to his podcast much recently, but I do like it, kind of. <laughs> I don't, but here's the thing. I've never, well, I don't say never. I have, if I have ever, only very rarely encouraged anybody else to listen to it. Yeah. Because it's I don't called know. Theology in the Raw, and I don't even know why. I don't, how you, I don't know what they're going to take away from it. Yeah. Right? But I like it because I feel like I can, t- I can spit out the bones, eat the meat and spit out the but bones. But how in any way, but shape, I would, or form. I don't encourage people. Yeah, there. in no way, shape, or form is that in any way resemblant of Christ. You never walk away from Christ not knowing exactly where he stands on the thing. You have to walk away deciding whether or not you believe the thing that he tells you to believe, but you don't walk away being like, oh, what did Jesus mean when he said that I need to sell all my stuff and follow him? It's like, no, he meant what he said. He didn't say, well, this is nuanced. I mean, like, sell Actually, the cars. that is one of the most misunderstood the- statements of Jesus that he ever said. What do you mean? Because <laughs> he did not require every single person who's ever followed him to literally sell everything that they have in, to, in order to follow but him. But he did for the rich young ruler. Maybe, but that, but that, but everybody else who's ever read that has been trying to figure out what the flip, how that applies to them. Yeah. I mean, it's not difficult to figure out how that applies to them. It's not because there's been a lot of disagreement <laughs> See, over 2000 years. You have to, you, yeah. It's that Some people got, who literally created monastic orders around those verses and others who think that if you read two more pages, Zacchaeus gives half and Jesus is perfectly happy with it. Yeah. I think that that's Jesus working at working different people's salvation out on different levels. I mean, yeah, that's like, what most Protestants w- think. One of the man, the man, the rich but young ruler loved his money. That's not how St. Francis took it. 
Yeah, well, how did St. Francis take it? We should sell all we have and follow Jesus. I'm tempted to in America. Uh, yeah. Greedy people. But the... But I, I mean, I would say that like, yeah, the, the rich young rulers, does, um, Jesus attacked the thing that the person loved the most and the rich young ruler loved one, his morality, which Jesus tore that apart in the first part of the sentence mm-hmm. and then two, his money. And so he tore those things apart in this guy because this guy was like, I'm a good person just like you and I have a bunch of money, but I followed all the commands and just like, okay, you're not a good person and you should go sell all of your stuff. That's what that guy needed to hear. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's like difficult exposition. Like, I don't, I don't think that I don't know. I, in church history, there are some really strong sermons that say that that demand is a lot more normative than we think. Well, I did a podcast on Greek with, with Craig. I, yeah, to do it today, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. You can sell all good. your stuff. No, he did. He got up to 50% of his no, income. But yeah, I would love to do that. Some guys awesome. to get up to 50% yeah. of, I mean, with Lex, but then he, him now. and I didn't agree on the sexual, the transgender thing at the end. Well, he was closer to sprinkle. Yeah. He was totally close to yeah. sprinkle. Yeah. Yeah, he, I thought he was a nice guy, though. I, I think he's So, yeah, good. I mean, I guess I would encourage some people to look at... I should at, have done that on, like, the go- the validity of the gospel. You know what you should try to do, I think, is I think you should try to get Sean McDowell to talk about this. He, I think he might... You, you won't get Preston Sprinkle on the podcast, yeah. but you could say, hey, I want to talk about the approach here, yeah. especially relative to the mortification of sin. Yeah. And I want to talk about somebody who is for Preston's book. Because I, I want to... You could I, email him. I could email yeah, him. Yeah. I think that would be... That might be good. But like, I, I think where I want to end with this is like, I have recommended Sprinkle's book. When I do, there are a couple of things I tell people that like, A, he's too minimalist. And B, his view of gender in the Bible is, is inadequately, is very inadequate. Because the Bible does say more about what it means to be a man and a woman than he admits. But it shows you more than explicitly tells you. So when he narrows it down only to the explicit didactic statements mm-hmm. of what gender means, he gets that pretty narrow down. And it's five or six things. Yeah. But if you start with Genesis yeah. and the fertility of the female and the normativity of marriage and yeah. the normativity of fertility and the interrelationship of the man and woman together and the creation of the family and how that fundamentally changes the female existence and the male existence and how that is normative because marriage is normative and fertility is normative, then all that stuff flows forward as normative maleness and femaleness in the world. You're also just, I'm just telling everybody that you saying this, you're also implicitly condoning the like lackadaisical, nonsensical, postmodernist, uh, tone of the of of all of Preston Sprinkle's stuff. Even the book has has no, some I, of that no, in there. Would, it has strings that of that. When I've heard him speak in person, I am troubled by the equivocation. You don't think that the first several chapters in that book or people to be loved is another one too, but this one it doesn't he talk about like personal relationships that he has with gay people and how is that not the most a manipulative bull crap you've ever heard? Hey, I'm, I'm going to name my book Embodied, and I'm going to say that we're going to study the Bible. And then I'm going to start with telling you a bunch of stories about people, the like gay and trans people that I know who are really nice people so that you can, so I can butter you up to manipulate you about what the rest it, like, come on. Like if I did that, I, no, I don't, everybody I don't, would call my crap on that. So, if okay, I was like, so Hey, we're going to do think, a I podcast on transgenderism and whether it's biblical and I'm going to only have trans people. I on. Think that you're like, what are you talking about? I think that you're engaging in, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I don't think it's obvious. I think you have to put in a discerning judgment there because one of the reasons you would do that. So like when I went to the, I went to a seminar he did in Holland, Michigan, like, I don't know, five or six years ago. It was a while back now. It was when, it was when people to be loved was out, but embodied was not hmm. anywhere near out. And it was mostly focused on same sex attraction and gay people essentially coming to church and feeling safe at church. And how hmm. do you love gay people in your church? Yeah. And he started off with like five chairs on the stage. Yeah. And he went through five stories of five different gay people he knew. 
Mm-hmm. Right now, on one level, you could say, and it, they were very like em- empathy creating, feeling sort of stories. Yeah. Okay. They're heartbreaking. As far as I can know, as far yeah. as I know, they're true. Right. And they did affect me emotionally. And the question, the question then is, right, when you feel that kind of empathetic emotion, am I engaging in the treason of empathy where I'm connecting with an emotional idea and now I'll accept anything? Or was I being flippant before and believing something that was convenient for me and easy for me, but actually really cost them and not really seeing everything that I should see actually had a selfish view that I just labeled the orthodox view. Right. And so in that sense, if I credit him, credit to him goodwill, I would say he knows he's speaking to conservative people. Mm -hmm. He knows one of the things conservative people can do is protect themselves with their orthodoxy. And so he wants to say, okay, I want you to think about these five people first and their lives and their experience and how they feel. I'm not going to tell you to change your doctrine, but I want you to start with these real human beings and we're ministering these people. These people, we have to love them. And yeah. if you if you have a nice clean orthodoxy, his view of the ortho of the conservative orthodoxy people are is very condescending though. It's like their orthodoxy. Yeah, but there's a well, they say it's there to protect them, but their orthodoxy is there to guide them into how to deal with people like this. It's I mean, not yeah. the vast majority of the conservative people that I know who are who are really like solid, like 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 very conservative, very orthodox, like more orthodoxy than I like. Like I went to Bethlehem Baptist Church and these people, they providence of God. That's the answer to all the questions. And they, but they love God mm-hmm. and they're doing it because they believe this is the right way to do it. They they evangelize to people. They go and talk to people. They and Preston Sprinkles would not like these people because he would say they're the like stereotype of exactly what he's talking about. And yet, and like, they drove me crazy a little bit. So I'd be mm-hmm. like, what's the answer to this question is the providence of God. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I, that doesn't answer the question. But the, the truth of the matter is I think that this whole thing about how conser- conservative orthodoxy has been blown out of proportion and that like these people are just using this as a defense mechanism to be able to like run away from sinners. It's like, no, they hold on to orthodoxy because it's like they have nothing else. What else do they have if they don't hold on to their orthodoxy? They have Preston Sprinkle who runs around saying nothing to people and re- like, did you just fart? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and um, they, they run around saying nothing, uh, nothing to people. And I seriously doubt that. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I would say it. I seriously doubt Preston Sprinkle's converts most of them are legitimate. I seriously doubt it. I just can't get behind this, this rhetoric. I can't get behind it. I cannot sit here and say that somebody who doesn't call somebody explicitly into direct repentance into rebirth and regeneration and into a new life and into putting the death of the old self in that language, in the language of the Bible without all the bullcrap nuance to make, to, to, to pussyfoot around the issue and not call people sin out for what it is. Mm-hmm. You're not preaching the gospel. You're just, you're preaching yourself man-made method and it's not working and it never has. And I, I yeah, I, <sighs> you would say you think I'm totally wrong just so people. I haven't uh, argued against that, but I think that it would be manipulative towards you. So I'm not going to use that particular argument, but how I, would that, what was it? Cause I, I, that's what I did with you when what? you were 19 and 20. What? Was I didn't just go, 
I didn't just say you're just wrong. Yes, like, you I, did. Like, like go back and listen to our first no, podcast. No, 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 but not all. But I still was like, I would like, I tried to like take you through. Usually, I was trying to nuance your view of the thing. I was trying to be like, okay, yeah, this is right, but like this is also right, and like it's like if you get these two things in place, you can you can do this both. Like all the adults don't have to be stupid for you to not hate yourself. Like you can be like. I got problems and these adults actually do have some problems too, but they also have some good things about them. And like, you can work this out. And a lot of times what I was trying to help you do is be like, Hey, look, we can, it's, it doesn't, it it is both black and white. Okay. And also there are other things happening. I'm just going to say you're, you're talking about discipleship, not evangelism, because I would have argued that what Vince did as far as evangelism for me in F and F and bringing me to the gospel Mm -hmm. was what I just did. Now, what you're talking about is discipleship. And I think there's a whole different conversation that can be had. I think there's a lot more play within discipleship to be able to play around with things and ideas and, and like, Oh, what do you think about this? What is it? You know? And, and I, and I think that like this in discipleship, I think you did that. I I don't really don't think there's much, like this conversation we're having right now, I don't think you should be like, no, we're not having this conversation about transgenderism. Trans people aren't Christians. We're done. Like, I mm-hmm. think that that's normal as long as the foundation is set. Mm-hmm. But like Vince's Vince kind of preaching the gospel to me at FNF was like very clear. It was just like, God, Jesus loves you. You're a sinner. But like, like, thanks for coming like to this thing. And, and then I figured it out. But after that, the discipleship made sense. So I don't know if you view that as an accurate representation of history. I I agree that you're right. That in some contexts, people don't want to hurt people's feelings and drive them away. And so they withhold certain truths. Yeah. But by withholding those truths, they're also withholding clarity. And so there's a sense maybe even you can, you can end up shooting yourself in the foot because by not putting it all out there, you're actually not giving them the whole thing to think about. Yeah. And it actually like, why would anybody want that? Yeah. Right. So I, I do think that's true. I, I think that with, I think with what Sprinkle is doing here is the structure of most of the chapters is he starts with something that won't immediately turn off more progressive people. Hmm. And then he amplifies it with more progressive voices. So, okay. So he perceives it this way. So that he perceives that progressive people won't turn this off. But ju- but just so we know as Christians, mm-hmm. when the gospel is preached, it's not preached so that people won't turn it off. It's preached with the understanding that it's not going to connect with human beings in their natural state of sin. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to use the words of the gospel to regen- to, to totally upend the person's... So, so the more that we focus on the people's... Uh, sinful perception of conversations and words in the gospel, mm-hmm. the more we distort the gospel that that message doesn't get clear. It gets more distorted because what the gospel it's, it's the Valley of dry bones. God says prophesy over the valley, over the bones. And he's like, Lord, mm-hmm. only you, whatever, only your words. He says, prophesy these words. So he prophesies the words over the Valley of dry, dry bones and the bones come to life. But any other words, if he would have taken into consideration the fact that they were dry bones and they can't hear, he, it wouldn't have worked. He had to speak the experience. The, the very clear, explicit words that God gave him because it wasn't in his methodologies that those king, things came to life. It was in God's oh, God. word that they came to life through the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it, it is true that every sermon in the book of Acts has an accusation section. Like if you if you use yeah. those as your model sermons. Gregory Kolkel you know. told me that in the book of Acts, the word love is not used one time. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. 
But you you could also argue, you could also look at the teachings of Jesus and the word love is used numerous Multiple times. Multiple times. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I yeah. know. And yeah. also there's a number of sermons of Jesus yeah. where there's some where he like is very aggressive right, right. and others where he is wooing sinners yeah. in yeah. like with invitation, right? And saying things only implicitly. Mm-hmm. So there's some, like you like get to Matthew like 23 and, and he's like, you guys are all going to hell in real fast, <coughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Or, hey, you know the tower stole when it fell and killed all those people? Do you think they were worse than you? <laughs> they weren't worse than you. You're yeah. worse than them. You know, that kind of stuff. Like Jesus says that kind of stuff sometimes. Yeah. And then other times he's like, you know, this man had two sons and one of them did this and one of them, you know, like, yeah, yeah. so I, I think that like, the I argument do, I, against methodology. I do agree with you. Like one of the, I think one of the things you and I have in common is like, I do agree with you that when the church is like wishy-washy mm-hmm. and not clear, then both non-Christians and Christians get confused. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that's can be a real problem. Yeah. I also think it is true that conservatives can get real nervous about their orthodoxy. And when they get nervous that they're, that they're ignorant or they don't know enough, they can get real aggressive with their orthodoxy. Yeah. And that can, can hurt some people who are like, is totally. this true? Is that true? Yeah. Right? I also yeah. think there's a lot of people sliding in a progressive direction mm-hmm. and depending on, and, and when they read this book, the question is what happens when they read this book? Do they get, do they, do they, like what, like the progressive yeah. sounding stuff. And then they just like, don't really listen yeah. when he turns in the chapter. But, but I think that one of the things that Sprinkle does in this book is if you don't know a lot about trans people and you don't know a lot about the stuff trans people are saying, yeah. this is actually a pretty good survey of like what progressive people are saying, what trans people say, sure, what the sure. research out there sure. says. You got to read it in the right way. Right. Though. And then like him saying, okay, if you were going to talk to somebody like that, how would you then say this is the, at least the minimum of what the Bible says? Mm. Like just to start with grappling with what the Bible says, mm-hmm. how would you even say that? Mm. And he says that, right? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, that's, that's not enough, Preston. <laughs> and I, w- I would argue, yeah, that's not, that isn't enough. But if you had, a, if I had, a, if I knew a trans person who was considering Christianity, they were like, how do I do this? Okay, I don't, might don't have answer, them read don't this answer. I, I, Cause I was going to say, we got to end this podcast with a, I want to ask you an emotionally manipulative question to end this podcast. Okay. Okay. Trans gay person comes in. That's Mm -hmm. one person. A trans gay person comes in and they say. They're both trans and gay. Yeah. Okay. So I I don't know how that works, but I think that that's one of the things, which means that they're just a heterosexual. So woman to man. And then she likes men. She likes men. I think right. And just a regular heterosexual. I don't know. Okay. Let's anyway, just say it's a trans person. It's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. It's LGBTQ plus person. Okay. And they walk in and they say, I'm interested in Christianity. What do I need to do? You have a gun to your head and Rosario Butterfield and Preston Sprinkles is standing in the room with you. And you have to tell who them. Who has the gun? Uh, <laughs> I, I have the gun. <laughs> yeah. Who has the gun? Uh, okay. So the gun, uh, you know, you have a gun to your head. You have Preston Sprinkles, Rosario's Bu- Butterfield, Rosario Butterfield and mm-hmm. LGBTQ person, what do I got to do? What's the next step? You can only give them one of two books, Embodied or Five Lives of Our Anti-Christian Age. If yeah. And I have to give them one of them? You have to give them one of them only, and you have both of the authors standing there, and this person's salvation relies entirely on this decision. Gun to your head. And this is a male to female or female to male? It's LGBTQ plus person. It's a, I don't know. I mean, no, yeah. no, no. You, the, 
Because if it was somebody more like Rosaria Butterfield, I might choose her book. But if it was somebody more like Preston Sprinkle, I might choose his book. That's you can't. Yeah, Annie, my, my honest answer is I probably would give them Preston Sprinkle's book. You get ask, shot. Would, Wrong answer. You shot. I would, I would <laughs> ask them to read it with me. Are you serious? You would give them that? I would never. I would. You just got shot, so you wouldn't be reading any books with this. I, I mean, can't. frankly, I would prefer to sit down and just talk with that person myself, because I think that Rosaria would probably be too much too fast. Because because my job to fulfill the Great Commission is to make disciples. And to teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. Yeah. Okay. What that, what that means is, is for that disciple to become mature, they are going to have to grapple with their sexuality. I agree with okay? that. Okay. Yeah. That may not be the first thing mm-hmm. we work on. Mm-hmm. Like that first kind when I, if I sat down and they wanted to, what do I need to do to be saved? I would say, like, you, you, need to you have to in repent Jesus and believe yeah. in Jesus that he died for your sins right. and you rose for right. justification. And they're like, okay, now what do I do with my sexuality? Then you have right. to have a gun to your head right. and pick that. And then, it, yeah, but then, but then the, the, what they do with their sexuality may not be the first thing I go after. Yeah. I would I would start with the authority of God and the fear of the Lord, the right? the the like and the full authority of Jesus. What it means the that full he is authority Lord. Jesus and the the soul uh, not soul of scripture or that but the uh, infallibility of scripture probably. That yeah, we, but and then I I probably would read a gospel with them, probably yeah. the gospel of Mark, and I would work through like the authority of Jesus and how he speaks sure. like nobody else and how he's sure. right and how he's trustworthy and how he cares right. how he's giving full life and I would try to cultivate that in this person who's seeking to believe because I want them to believe when they get to the point of, because when they get to the point where they have to, where they really understand that Mm -hmm. like this means taking up a cross and following Jesus, Mm -hmm. that is it's moving towards what looks like a tomb believing out on the other side of it is a river of life. Yeah. Right. To that bet that in dying, thus we live, Mm -hmm. which, which Christianity preaches and nothing else preaches. I don't know any other, I I don't know any other philosophy that says, Die that you might live. Yeah. Right. Now stoicism gets close to it. Close, but not, but not you don't close. live. And right. like Buddhism or Hinduism is cease to exist. Yeah. And you will exist in like it's not yeah. really the same thing. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's a very, very difficult thing. And they have to believe in the life giving nature of Jesus the Christ yeah. and in Jesus giving his whole life, including his sexuality, yeah. to save us. Right. No one can speak of Jesus' offspring right. because he didn't get married. He didn't have yeah. children. He didn't do any of that stuff. Right. right? And so that person, I think, needs to grapple with that. Yeah. And when they know the Savior, then they can submit their sexuality to him fully. And I, I do think that I would, I'm going to go at the same rate with that person as I would with some guy who's looking at porn and sleeping with girls right. and whatever. Right. So you gave the, you gave the Sunday school. And you just, I, you know, read the Bible with them. You gave the, no, I, I think I that's try. the right answer. I, yeah. So what I think what I would, what well, I would, I what I would right like answer. to be able to do with right. them is to say, when they ask question A, yeah. that Preston Sprinkle, I think, answers relatively adequately to start conversation. I'd say read chapter four in this book. Yeah, right. And when they're like... And don't read the other parts. Maybe. And, and, then, yeah. and then if they're right. like, well, do you think that homosexuality is a, is a normal form of human sexuality? Just, I would be like, you need to read chapter two in Rosario yeah. Butterfield's book. Yeah. Well, you know? well, okay. And I'll just say this. Because the thing is, is like, Andy, right. I listen to this book and there's a bunch of stuff that annoys me in Sprinkle's mm-hmm. book. But mostly I'm like... I agree with what you're doing. Like where you get to, I think that's true. I think more is true. Right. And I think you're avoiding some things. The me- but, but the method of clarity has been tried and true for 2000 years, by the way. There is that. You mean and Rosario's? Yeah. Like version? like that method, like nobody's ever written crap like this where it's all like, oh, it's all nuance. Like nobody, nobody writes that crap. Like, and, and, and to me, I just look at <laughs> what you think somebody's written some of that 
Yeah, I do. I mean, I who, think some who? of the I think some of the early apologetics work started with the with what the Romans and Greeks believed. And then now they were much more aggressive because that was the rhetorical style of the day. That's been the rhetorical style for 2000 years up until 25 years ago. I mean, more than that, but it is true that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is true that like early the early church rhetoric and then into the Reformation, the, all that stuff that you read, the, the rhetoric is very harsh. The church fathers like hardcore man, like they um, on like modesty and whatever. It's like, but the, but but I will just say this because I've been saying this for a couple of years that the uh, it is it's prophetic. I'm a, I'm the, a prophet, you know. But the 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 the, the Gen Zers are not going to come back through that type of rhetoric. They're gonna come back to Christ through Rosaria's type of rhetoric. They don't need the waters muddled. And when the church recognizes that that very clear pointed and concise speech is going to bring these people back. It'll be great. It'll be a great day. But right now they're still trying to do what they try to do with the millennials. that didn't work. Is this, and it just, I don't think the methodology works. I don't think that this is how you bring people to Christ. It might be a, a method in how you disciple people when they've come to Christ mm-hmm. and agree on the foundations and the fundamentals. Um, yeah. But to get people to those like four fundamentals in, in Hebrews, the elementary principles of Christianity, I don't think that's done through this methodology. Yeah. And I'm, and, and yeah, I evangelism think, and discipleship. I, I think, yeah, this gets back to like what people like Sprinkle don't want to say. So like, you're not going to find right. in Sprinkle's book that transition medically transitioning a 17 year old is butchery. Yeah. Yeah. But which, it is, which is but, true. But it is butchery. Right. Yeah. And and for him to hang with the people he's trying to talk to, he knows that that's going to be a, a deal breaker and they're going to stop listening. And the problem he is he doesn't that, know that he thinks that he th- he thinks that the truth isn't sufficient enough to change people's hearts in that scenario. I, I yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, but I, I also think the truth isn't enough to change most people's hearts. No, I that's don't why agree. most people don't believe that's so well. Okay. Whatever. That's a, right. That's like, a, I hate that though. That's, that's okay. I agree with that. Technically what, but, you're, what you're saying yeah. is you don't remove the thing God has given you to exactly. do. Right. And you something else what the that you think is better. Are, exactly. The issue is not that the truth is going to convince everybody. You don't everybody. want a bunch it's of that people. that you have to offer the truth to everybody. Exactly. To find who it will convince. Who will it convince. And, right. and then, and then you don't so change don't offer the something truth. else. Exactly. Because then you're going to get a bunch of false converts and they'll depart from us because they were never of us. And then we'll yeah. be in a whole mess like we're in right now. Yeah. But Andy, I think I said this to you before and maybe we can, maybe we can end with this though. You'll probably want to gun to your head, gun to my head, gun to my head is, when I, okay, when I was younger, I, I worked at this Christian camp. Okay. And I was like, I was like 19 years old and I was doing college ministry. And most of my friends who were college ministers at this camp were going to like more expensive Christian colleges, right? They were going to like Houghton and like the cool New York Christian colleges. Hmm. And I was going to state school. Right. And I was like, like real Orthodox, you know? Um, but I didn't, I had been going to new Testament classes and blah, 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 blah. blah mm-hmm. Right. But I've been reading my Bible, you know? And I remember this, there was this like disdain for me they were like losing their faith and going essentially theologically liberal at these colleges that were supposed to be so great in christian discipleship and they just they they treated me like i was some kind of ignorant stupid person right yeah. and i thought maybe they were right because they were learning from these like really intelligent phd christian people right yeah and i remember reading this passage in the bible where the apostles come to jesus and they say jesus we found this guy who's casting out demons in your name and we stopped it yeah, and he because got, he wasn't he, following Jesus us. Was not happy with that. Yeah, and Jesus is like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah, like he's casting out demons. Like, and there's nobody who has that kind of power. Who, when 
who is going to like turn around and just say, I'm not the Christ. Like, like, mm-hmm. but the thing is, is like, this guy wasn't following with Jesus. Like he wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't following with them. He wasn't learning. He wasn't with Jesus learning from him. Like he was like, I mean, I don't know how on top of things he could have possibly been, mm. but something was right about him where he was casting out demons in Jesus name. Now, I don't know if Preston Sprinkle or Rosario Butterfield are casting out. I don't know. But the point is, is that there are people out there that are doing ministry that I, that annoy me, that I think are doing it wrong, that are not within the circle I want them to be in, that I think are dangerous, frankly. And are leading people away from Christianity. That seem, it seems like, no, because I mean, this guy is like, I mean, the, I don't want to take the comparison too far because this guy clearly was operating sure. the power of God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there, there are people that I think they're more charismatic than I think they should be, and they teach some stuff that I think is weird. Yeah. There's other people that teach too much about blessing. <laughs> they're not prosperity gospel preachers. <laughs> but they, they it, almost, but it scares they me a little are, bit. Yeah. It scares me a little bit yeah, where they're yeah, going yeah. with this. Yeah. Or I was at one church where they had a lady in there, and she was talking <laughs> about how God, he, he, she would give God money, and God would give her more. Yeah. And she'd give, and, and, and she'd give God money, and he'd give her more. Yeah. And he, so he gave, and then he gave her a brand new car. And she gave that car away and then she, he gave her like a better car, but like every, I kept waiting like, and then she's going to say, I got a million dollars and you can too. And she never did. She's just like, I just keep giving it away. Every time God gives me more, I just give it away. All of it. And then God keeps giving me more. And, and she, her, her point was not, you're going to be rich. Her point was let it pass totally through your hands. And then you'll get to be part of this inspiring journey, but you won't get anything. And I was like, Okay, I was waiting for this to become a prosperity gospel message, right. and it just won't. But it's kind of Christian. Yeah, and this was the lady that <laughs> prophesied over me that I was going to count money. She had me come stage. This no, guy gonna count not money. just that. And he's like, I think there, she's like, I think there might be a plane. Yeah, a jet. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if anything was going on prophetically, but in less than a year, in my and I, because in my mind, I'm like, Lord, I just want. She's like, these hands are going to count money. I was like, God, that'd be great if it passes through my hands. Right. Like if if you used me and trusted me to do that, right? right. And less than a year later, I'm talking to two churches that are thinking about giving High Point their building so that we could, and this is multi-million dollar kind of thing, right? On the east side or where? Yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of like, okay, that's weird. That might be it. it. Is that, was that a prophecy that was kind of close, but a little off? Or like, what's even, what's even going on there, right? And I don't, and the answer is, I don't know. But what I'm not doing is stopping her. comes with a jet. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but like one of these, I'm, I'm not stopping her. I'm not stopping that guy who would visit. Am, am I concerned about those ministries in certain ways? But like, and so when I look at Preston Sprinkle, right, I look at him and I go, man, I want to punch you. Yeah. Like I literally want to punch you. And I think if he listened to some of my sermons, he would want to punch, punch me. And I think Rosaria would punch both of us. <laughs> and there's some things with Rosaria. I'm like, I listen to her YouTube. And I'm like, freaking yeah, Rosaria. Yeah. That's right. And then there's certain times where I'm like, that jump from A to B there sounds more Orthodox Presbyterian to me than really yeah. all the of Presbyterians Jesus. do like, that. They do. It's that. like, yeah. like it, there's a, it's like too, you're too sure too fast yeah. that A gets to be there. And yeah. it makes me wonder, is she Presbyterian? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think, I don't yeah. think she's Orthodox Presbyterian, but yeah, but like you read her book, like they don't even sing worship. They sing, they psalms. sing psalms. Yeah. Which I'm not against. Right. I, I am against saying that's all you can do. It almost be, it almost, to me, I think it'd be nice if High Point just kind of like did that for a little, a little bit. Yeah. Just like for like maybe like six months. <clears throat> we should we at least have the books that. in the pews, right? Yeah. So, okay. Anyway, the point, what the point I'm trying to make here, Andy, is that G, there are some teachings about Jesus about I'm stuff name, you need to judge. Yeah. There are also a number of places where Jesus is like, you need to be really, really careful 
about the judgments that you make, including yeah, yeah. my servants. Right. And so one of, the, one of the things I said in my sermon two weeks ago about what do you do when people seem to be wolves or false teachers, like yeah, people who are thieves. Right. Like, and one of my things was I'm quick to criticize. I'm slow to judge. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. very happy to look at Preston's book that I and know he spent years researching yeah. and poured out his heart to write and say, yeah. I find these three things very inadequate. And can I think you he say, needs to fix those. Can you say like, whereas I'm not going to say he's not a Christian or I'm not going to, I'm not even going to call him. I'm not even going to call him a heretic. I don't think. Or a false teacher. A false teacher, small F, I guess. Like you I wouldn't think, call Rosaria a false teacher. See, small F. I don't know. I, I wonder. So you should I know give I've the said things that LGBTQ are wrong. person. I know I've said things that are wrong and I don't think of myself as a false teacher. You are. Everybody who teaches is a false teacher. Okay, well then, yeah, then Preston's a false teacher. But that that's definition. why. But you're right. That's why I call him a heretic because he's worse than a false teacher. He's purposefully leading people astray. I, at least, and I'm I'm judging his motivations. Okay. And I don't know if you think I can do that or not. But I'm like, you can't believe some at of this these point things. with him. I am more concerned when I think of how Jesus wants me to behave. I am more ready to wait. I can say based on what he's saying. I am concerned about the his trajectory, but so many I'm people have that over left the next the faith 10 years because of this stuff. He's going to slide so many. But right, and that's why I'm trying to warn anybody listening to this. Still yeah, after however long we've been talking. That. Yeah. Like I'm concerned about Preston. Like, right. But you so, didn't grow up in my generation. I've seen people like dozens of people leave the faith because of this crap that's gotten into the church and the mm -hmm. rhetoric and the conversations and the talk around homosexuality and all that stuff, it's led them so far away yeah. from Christ. They don't yeah. believe in Jesus at all. I, so I sent you that email today of that pollster. I didn't see that. Yeah. Either, so, but. so I was, so in the, the episode for today, which is November 8th, right? Yeah. We're on November, November 8th. 8th. For only for an hour for the, more. For the, um, right. for the podcast, the world and everything in it from world magazine, they have yeah. a pollster. I think his name is Ryan Burge on there. And what he was talking about in that is he said that, um, for a while, when you polled people, mm -hmm. there were, there was a big group of people who were millennial and Gen Z who were Christian and they were progressive mm. over the last 10 years. What pollsters are finding out is that those people aren't Christians anymore. Yeah. That's not They're surprising just progressives. at all. Yeah. They're secular surprising. progressives. They're irreligious. Yeah. Whereas on the conservative side, the conservative Christians of that same age seem to have I think what he said, if I got, if I understood him right, are holding. They're both the Christians same, and yeah, conservatives. The same statistics. Right? Okay. Yeah. And so, so I emailed him and I would love to get him on the podcast and be like, okay, okay is this a phenomenon? Like, and how, yeah, and like, what's do we, going on does it, here? Is, like, should I, as a pastor change your think yeah. that like, cause, cause I've been, I, I've, so what, the, what I've High been points saying, made up of a lot of millennials and right, what I've been saying is, look, you can, if you reason from biblical faith, to progressive policies and that's who you think you should vote for i'm not going to tell you you're absolutely wrong i think that you should seek to reform your movement on issues that are clear biblically yeah. like abortion yeah. but maybe you think higher marginal tax rates are just and stuff like that so maybe you're a democrat the but thing, i think if yeah. you're a democrat you should be fighting within the democratic party to, to make it more yeah. pro-life and also good luck <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah right right and not and not to worship like sexual ideologies, yeah. but instead really care about the little guy and be very, very right, careful about what Jesus said about people who lead the little ones astray. And right. Cause I think GK Chesterton, like if you read his, like his stuff on populism, democracy, the little guy, like he's sure. a, he's a, 
He's a he's Democrat. A Democrat so, like, in that way, but yeah. but if you add, if it's gonna be is he pro life? Is he pro LGBT? If he lived ideology, today, say, he would, not. Right, if he lived today, he would be rejected by the, yeah. the left too. I mean, they would hate his yes. guts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because he was a, he had a conservative heart, but he was for yeah. the little guy. He yeah. was a Democrat, exactly. small D. Well, he was a Christian. Right. I mean, right. I would say that's what we should be as Christians. We should be for the little guy. I mean, I, I mean right. not all the time. We should be for right. the right. So one of the things right. I'm interested about, and I want to talk to Burge about this, mm-hmm. is is there something in progressive, yeah, in the prog- progressive political ideology that has enough progressive ideology in it, yeah, that is actually a, a poison in the system mm-hmm. that it will over time natural naturally progressively yeah. deconstruct to the Christian faith yeah. okay. so that the Christian yeah. faith will come apart. My answer, and maybe not I'll, only we'll to see. become a liberal Christian, yeah. but actually a not religious. Yeah. Like, I, li- I, like literally walk away from the faith. I'd entirely. be interested in hearing what he says on that. My I'm suspicion is, is, is that actually it has less to do with the like cancerous nature of progressivism and more to do with the lack of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of conservative Christian teaching. That conservative Christian teaching and, and like Pastor Deneen saying, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals are all liberals today. They just are are slightly yeah. modern conservatives are slightly less liberal than modern liberals. It's 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 there's they're all believing the same core thing. And when you hear conservative Christians talk, whether those be pastors or yeah. it's uh, not rooted in the conservative tradition. It's not rooted. There's like, oh, there's Kirk like and Burke three and or four sort of, people, of them yeah. who are doing that. And like Shapiro mm-hmm. is one of them. It's like, who is talking about conservatism as what it actually is, not as Republicanism or Trumpism or yada, 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 yada or like all this, like, or charismatic I think, Christianism. I think most of the daily wire folks are, are really solid. Are like, except for Candace. That's it. Candace has yeah. no idea what she's talking. Yeah. About. I don't, yeah. I don't know her well enough. She's, but those, but those guys, even Walsh, who is trying to, be a populist kind of mm. he's connected to the yeah. conservative tradition. He understands it's, I think oh, it, it may just be, that, it may just be that yeah. he like knows the other guys. Knowles and, and Walsh of- are awesome on that. And Clavin's amazing. Shapiro's great. And I, Allie Beth Stuckey on, on yeah. the blaze is great. Catholic. Yeah. No, she's Protestant. Oh, she Protestant. She yeah. debated a Catholic. She debated oh, right. Candace Owens husband. husband who's a cat. Yeah. It was the worst debate I've ever seen. It Both of not, them were like, it's not great. Yeah. It's horrible. I saw a little bit of that. <laughs> it's like, a, and then Candace said some things. I was like, shut what are you up. Doing? Yeah. yeah. So, but she's, I, I don't think she's stupid. I no, just no, think no. she On gets her show, over her education. Yeah. They pulled her in so fast. She's she was pregnant. like 22. Oh no, and, that was recently. The one I'm talking about. I know, but like, she oh. needed to incubate somewhere. Oh, totally. I think she yeah. would have done better. She if, was a like, Southern belle who like, she looked the part. So they, you know, she's a conservative. Yeah, she's now. a black conservative and she's pretty and she's pretty Oh, you're, smart. you're talking about Candace. Not, Candace, yeah. Oh, to- okay. My bad. I think Candace yeah, needed need like 10, 15 more years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or at and least like, like. not to be with Kanye West for that long. <laughs> like yeah, to be friends with it. You know, they were like. Yeah. Really I mean, I just feel like, or she should have hung out with more with mentors. Yeah. Or I don't know what, yeah. because it feels like um, Brett Cooper's doing okay. Uh I think she's doing okay for what she's doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at what she's doing, and I'm like, she's just mocking the left on TikTok. But and I think like, that's whatever her thing. That's what that's her doing. shtick. But I don't necessarily see that as like d- constructive. You know, yeah. I see that as Gen Z being like, yeah, let's just make fun of them. It's like mm-hmm. mockery is fine to some extent. Yeah. Doing it every day, five days a week, is kind of like just annoying. My, I'm I'm sure Brett's a nice person. Yeah, but like. I don't know. But anyway, I think I think you are right. The conservatives are not connected to the conservative tradition. All yeah. Burke. And so they don't have good answers for the progressive ideologies and philosophies that right. are coming out of the universities, which are which are the progressive right. sanctuaries. And so that's where right. that's religion is coming from. I agree with that. I yeah. also think that they are not that progressives are not connected to the best of the liberal tradition. 
I think that there is a good liberal tradition. I think it's Christian mm -hmm, mostly, mm -hmm. and I don't think they're well connected to that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I think that the progressivism today is so incipiently secularistic in a negative way. Yeah, that I just I think that you have to be very sophisticated mm -hmm. and very disagreeable mm -hmm. to, to even it. have a chance. I mean, not yeah, even I, to survive. It's like. Really, yeah. you have to like not care but if like, people I like I feel it. like I can be a progressive. Like I I'm not really a progressive, no, but like I know. there's a number of things where I'm like, yeah, I mean I, I can totally make an argument for that in good faith. Right. I, I mean I can't make an argument for abortion. I mean I right. just wouldn't do that. I think it's too disgusting. Yeah. But I but like I can make an argument for why you would have higher marginal tax rates. Like if you just increase yeah. your your sense of like how much You're how saying much you we could owe each do other. it not but off of like you could see into some other people's perspectives on that. I can see that. why they would believe that. Yeah, I, I, think yeah, I can I, see why they believe it The as reason well. I'm not a progressive is because I believe it's imprudent relative to human nature. Yeah, Not exactly. that I don't understand why, why you people would want would come to, to that share conclusion. more wealth within yeah. a society right. that is prone to certain leaders. Why and on I, the surface level that sounds and good. I, right. And I also think that like there are problems with mm -hmm. how capitalism works out in societies. I don't I, think capitalism yeah. is bad inherently. No. I think I think free markets. Well, people are bad, and they make right. up the market, and so the the mar so the capitalism is going to be corrupt in some capacity, and so and right. in, in any other institute or right. any and other. And I think it's economic, the least bad, and I but yeah, I think it needs so guardrails. Right. Those guardrails are inherently yeah. progressive in the sense right. that you're you're coming in to regulate. Yeah, I mean, and, in the in the sense that it's produced. Right. more greed than any and, other society in human history. I mean, yeah. we're the greediest people ever. And I'm also like, I'm also like half libertarian, but I also think libertarianism is wrong. It's evil. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Do whatever I want. But, but at I the want. same time, I think like there's certain principles, the principle of non-coercion yeah. as a fairly fundamental social principle. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that to a certain extent, but I also believe in the legitimacy of authority. Yeah. And not in, in morality. And, right. Because, but if, if you're a full libertarian, and you function on the non-coercion principle almost entirely. Yeah. It's hard to not get to like anarchic communalism. Yeah. Like right. at some point, like in Monty Python, like at some <laughs> point you have to say, no, there is a legitimate authority. Yeah. Hierarchical yep. authority for something. Well, you have to, yeah, you have to say it because it'll, it naturally occurs. And then that's right. going to be a and mess. Because nat nature requires it because yep. otherwise you have anarchy and then anarchy, anarchy leads to tyranny and there's no liberty. Right. And in, and well, anarchy leading to tyranny is just anarchy leading to another version of hierarchy that you can't, ex I mean, how right, you the govern. the worst form. Absolutely the worst form. Right. Communist crap form. Yeah, it's bad. It's right. bad. Communist crap. Well, any strong man. Right. Like, like when there's anarchy, people say we have to have order. Any yeah. kind of order will work. And then they, and then they turn to whoever can bring order, loud which is usually the strongest. Yeah. Meanest. And you, and least moral person. Yeah. Yeah. Hitler. So, yeah. And I mean, I, so I, so I like there, like, I don't, I don't just like, I think you can be a, like, like most of my black friends who are Christians are Democrats yeah. and their faith seems to be relatively stable. It's tough, man. We'll see how that all shapes out in the next 10 to 15 years as the progressives keep getting way worse and worse and worse. Cause yeah. I'm like, it is interesting to see how the, the, so what Burge said in that thing is that the gap, the gap between religious and non-religious voters, that the religious voters are almost all voting Republican and the non-religious voters are almost all voting Democrat. Yeah. That's the biggest gap there's ever been. <laughs> and so the, like this is not going in a good direction i mean this is some no. scary statistics yeah this it, is yeah, bad it is scary i'm not fighting a war it, yeah it's uh, what i mean i'm not doing if, if i get if I called into war i'm not going suck it joe biden i'm not doing it <laughs> i'm not fighting under joe biden i'm not doing it yeah 
I'll go to prison. There's a point where I, I, I could conceivably see myself volunteer, volunteering in an Israel conflict because volunteering in an Israeli con- well, conflict. You got, you got to understand that if we don't protect the Jews, we're talking about my wife and daughters. We're not. No, I, I understand that. Like in if America, they're coming, if they're coming for the Jews, they're coming for my children and my wife. In, 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 not in, I mean, yes, in America at some point, but you think that they're going to be able um, to like get to America? I suppose they I don't will. Know I mean, this go, is, go on I don't campus, know where this is right? going. Go on campus. I mean, these young people are. Yeah, pro you've seen Palestine. some of these demonstrations and stuff like it's that. Crazy. Like, it's crazy. I, I don't know, but like, if if you would volunteer, how bad does it need to get for you to volunteer? I don't know. For my wife to be afraid enough to encourage me, probably, because she's the she and my daughters are the ones I would be defending. How close are they to that? Not close. Not close at all. Okay. No. So maybe if they started doing encroaching on America, but like I, think. I don't know that people are going to stop hating Jews if they can kill all the Jews in Israel or disperse Dude, them. It's no, yeah, it's going to be bad. Like, and I do, I do agree, I do agree with some of the Jewish activists that your attitude towards the Jews is your attitude towards humanity. Yeah, like it. it they you are. Can't, yeah, if they're the the, <laughs> that's that almost sounded bad. They're like if the people the think mine. that they're the yeah. The uh, never mind. I I was gonna ask one question. Do you think World War Three could could come out of this uh, Israel conflict? Sure, it could. I mean, I, I mean, I don't likely. Think, I don't know how likely it is. I yeah. do think that it's this is the most precarious it's been. I think since the Cold War. Yeah, it's like weird. I was I was twelve the last time the world was this scary. I think. Yeah, I don't. I've never. I mean, nine eleven maybe, but not even because Ukraine no. happened and this happened in the last yeah. year and no, a half. No, nine eleven for me at least, I didn't find it that scary. Like oh. I, I was like, okay, they got they got some planes through. Yeah, but these are still terrorist organizations They're that not, we have plenty of yeah. capacity to attack. Right. Um, I, I think we overdid it and did it wrong, but really. Yeah, I mean, the those wars we fought, I just I don't think that they produced what we'd hoped. No, in they didn't. Sense. They didn't. Um, and I wouldn't have done it that way. Like, I, I mean, I, but anyway, the point is, is that you'd have left Iraq and Iran to, <laughs> to continue to ballot, battle it out amongst themselves in the Middle East to I keep don't, some, I don't know. I don't know. I think I would have said, we've got to kill this terrorist group. Yeah. And I would have tried to focus on that. Yeah. Getting the Saddam and, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe I would have, hmm. I mean, I, but the, the point is, is that like, that didn't seem like it was going to be world war three. Yeah. Right. Um, you need, you need a muscular China. I mean, with China poised to do stuff in Taiwan, oh, right, with Russia right. and China making massive inroads in Africa mm-hmm. for mining rights and all that and, kind of stuff, and Russia taking at going at Ukraine, Russia and in Ukraine, all that stuff, and then in 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 Europe not being able to like defend. I mean, I don't know if they should defend Ukraine, but there's all of these questions around like right. Europe is 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 almost like on the side of Russia. It's almost as if it's kind of just like an extension of Russia. Yeah. And I mean, my capacity. understanding is they're paying more than half of the aid money to Ukraine at this point. Yeah, but they weren't at the beginning. It took them a long time to figure that out. I mean, yeah, but I, I am grateful that that is yeah. the case now. I, I mean, the part of the problem in both of, in all of these regions is, is that everybody is in impending populational collapse. I mean, the birth yeah. rates are all <laughs> 1.2, 1.3. So there, there oh, aren't man. enough young men in these places. Yeah. I and, know. And they've got, they've basically got one generation of men to waste. Oh my God. Cause they just don't have the populations coming up. If we could just not kill each other for another 50 years, we could, the earth, the earth will be depopulating. We won't need everybody's land. Wow. Right. Russia won't need the Ukraine cause there won't be any people. 
Why would you need the Ukraine? What, what empire are you going to create when the birth your birth rate is 1.2? Right. You need an empire when your birth rate is like four or five or six. Yeah, right. right? You'd have to convince wow. women to have children again in order for any of that to matter. Which means you'd have to reverse all of the psychology and philosophy that we've done in the last 200 years. Right. To, yeah, the stuff that built what we have today. Right. But in the, yeah, and there's almost nowhere that has the kind of birth. I mean, like Africa, Africa and the Arab countries have birth rates above two. Yeah. And that's about it. So, and the problem is, is that if they're anything like everybody else, and they are because they're humans. In South America, you get them, I would assume, right? South, South American. No. Those wow. People have, really? No. Most of those places have liberalized and secularized. They got wow. plenty of birth control, and their birth rates are through the floor. I did not know that. Yeah. About. Just just type in birth rates around the world, okay, and no. just look, and almost, and to, to read, just keep your population stable, you need 2.3. 2.3. Wow. And just start looking for countries that are 2.3. You'd be like, well, India. Nope. 1.2. Really? China, 1.2. All the European countries, 1.2 or 1.3. What are we? The, the, we're at 1.8 to 2.1. I can't remember right now. I, because if you because if you break down the demographics, it's Latino immigrants that are at like at 2.7. <laughs> and so when you balance them against like white and black Americans and other ethnicities, because yeah. like white Americans, black Americans, Asian Americans, most of those birth rates are all 1.2 1 to 1.7. Man. They're low. And, but then the Latinos are just having more kids per woman for the most part. Yeah. So in certain pockets, I think African-American women are having some more kids and there are certain subsets of white people like Catholics and Protestants, mm. evangelical Protestants that are having more children. Yeah. But like basically, but overall it's not, basically it everybody is depopulating that. Canada, Russia, yeah. China, India, If you're a Christian, you're listening, throw your condoms in the garbage. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, they're, I mean, I do think like when Israel was in exile. Catholics got one thing right. They, I think that they're half right. Yeah. I'm, I'm all in on the no contraception. All in. Yeah. Not just because of pleasure, but also <laughs> because of this problem that we're having, the reproductive pl- problem. And, and I, I actually, I, yeah. I think it's pr- a pretty biblical stance, you know. I think that. I think that the idea that God intended us to have as few children as possible is for our own personal fulfillment is probably not what our fertility is for. It's Moloch, yeah. I think, right? Or Baal. Whichever one they sacrifice babies to. Moloch is, yeah. Moloch, yeah. Yeah. Freaking Moloch. All right, we got to end this. This is like five-hour mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> People said they, they or we'll see. Tell us if you like this five-hour podcast. Um, you could go through custom parts out if you wanted to. Like no. the silence when we were trying to find the spot. It's good. On. That's good. For, that's good for people to really sit and think. I don't know. Yeah, I'll probably cut it out. But I'm doing more podcasts with Vince coming up here. We're actually going to do some more. Um, we got a couple interesting things coming up. Anyways, if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends. Leave a five star rating. Leave a review. We'll see you guys in the next one. I'm going to probably name this "Is Preston Sprinkles a Heretic?" We'll see you later. Bye. <laughs>